The great media talk radio is. school sports report that nobody was interested in. And I noticed uh, Frankie Diaz, uh, well, what was his name? Diaz, yeah, uh, yeah, sounded like he had a gallon of Red Bull as compared to last night. And still, I'm not happy with that news. I mean, that's half-baked from like a week ago. But you see, it's all meant, ladies and gentlemen, to deter me from reaching the epic proportions that I can bring talk radio and have done it over the course of 32 years. Because my job is when I come on at 12 midnight this Sunday morning is to create a crescendo of energy so that you're not going to be passing out. You're not going to be stung out. You're not going to be cutting seas. You're going to be wired up and awake and ready to get on your magic carpet ride. This is so good, Steppenwolf. Gotta do it. Gotta follow up Tony Orlando without Dawn with the great music that he was playing tonight. But now I have to take it to a different level. I gotta energy you all up. Whereas I realize that many of you really want to just cut a few C's. He can't let you do that. Too much going on, but first off, let's um, make sure that our apparatus here at WABC has not been the victim of sabotage by so many fair-weather friends here at WABC who are trying to box me in. They know I'm like Vladimir Putin here, just taking up real estate a mile a minute. In fact, there was commentary today. And a number of different locations said, hey, Curtis, how come we don't hear you during the week? When he came back from the mayoral campaign, and we would hear you from time to time substituting because many of those hosts and hostesses are insecure, totally insecure. They're paranoid. You know, they heard, oh, Slee was back. Look out. And uh, I just want to uh, assuage them and let them all know, yeah, you better look out for me. I'm going to eat my way up into as many hours at WABC to earn that acronym, uh, always broadcasting, Curtis. I think I'm happy enough doing 20 hours on the weekend. But now it's time for me to focus on that week schedule, 6 to 6. Yeah, I'm salivating just thinking about it. Oh, yeah. So go ahead, continue to try to box me out, continue to try to sabotage the technology of this overnight show, The Other Side of Midnight, the weekend Other Side of Midnight, 
But you too will just end up knocking yourself out because I can I can work around any impediment doing this 32 years. Go ahead, knock yourself out. First off, let's test the phone lines, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC to make sure our discronificator, which handles all the AM incoming calls from the active-minded listeners on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound that reaches 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and yes, can be heard in the Bermuda Triangle. And then, of course, there is the spectrometer which processes any incoming FM calls from our sister station, WLIR, out in the Hamptons. And they will converge and merge. And it becomes a concept of us and we and not I and me. But when it becomes I and me, that's when we end up with problems. And then I have to put in the emergency call to Dan, our crack engineer, at Bada Bing, uh, the strip club that's right next to our Tower of Power. And got to prevent him from getting any further lap dances or any further brumskis and getting him to make sure that we are contacting all of you crystal clear. Remember, you can always download the app for free, WABC app. No matter where you are, you could be in Kiev, you could be in Odessa. You will hear us crystal clear on the stream. And actually, the various podcasts, not only of the regular programs, like earlier today when I was on with Anthony Weiner, that was our fourth program wrapping up a month worth of programs on Saturday. But I'm sure some of you, you might want to binge listen, just like you you find a new program on Netflix and you want to binge watch, right? You can binge listen and go to WABCradio.com or go to all the new podcasts that have nothing to do with the day-to-day broadcast, like my own with uh, Anthony, my oldest son, 18, intern here at WABC. It's called the Father and Son Podcast, starring... Yours truly, Curtis and Anthony. And, oh, yeah, we were talking about the steam tunnels underneath New York City. That was our 10th episode. It's in the can. You get to listen to it. So let's test out these uh, these uh, Alexander Hamilton uh, phone communications to make sure that what Marconi created, if you're Italian-American, or Tesla, if you happen to be Serbian, uh, is Tom Shell five star one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two? That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. And the reason that I came in with Steppenwolf's Magic Carpet Ride is again. Oh, we heard all day today is the leader, the besieged leader of the Ukraine, Zelensky, begging, beseeching NATO first, then President Joe Biden. Then a series of U.S. senators and House members who we did a Zoom conference with to impose a no-fly zone. He wants a no-fly zone over uh, the Ukraine. And uh, yet there was uh, Vladimir Putin, who many of you have called Hitler, many of you have called insane in the brain, out of control, a vicious, bloodthirsty KGB thug. Well, he was surrounded by stewardesses, I guess, from Aeroflot, because Aeroflot is no longer flying. Uh, They have no ports of call to go to as they've been embargoed out. But he was standing with the stewardesses and said, hey, any of you countries get involved in a no-fly zone? I don't care who it is. It could be little Kosovo. It could be the United States, Canada. It matters not. That's an act of war. And it will be interpreted by us here in Russia as an act of war. So now, ladies and gentlemen, We clearly have an opportunity to make a decision, and I know some of you are inching ever so closely to that no-fly zone. It is amazing to me 
how so many liberals and progressives who normally, the moment you would uh, mention conflict or war or arms, the moment you mention a no-fly zone, they're all into it. And I'm like saying, are you crazy? Do you know the history of the no-fly zones, really? Do you understand every time we've imposed them on Saddam Hussein, remember, he was our friend, then he was our enemy, then he was our friend, then he became our enemy. <laughs> and then Bush 43, because he wanted revenge, because Saddam Hussein had plotted uh, an assassination attempt against Bush 41, who had staged a Persian Gulf campaign against him and his uh, Red uh, Guard, pushing them out of uh, Kuwait, but refusing to uh, track them all the way back to Baghdad. Uh, had put together an assassination plot when Bush 41 would be visiting Kuwait. And you know it, that Bush 43 wanted vengeance, like a son would want for anyone who tried to harm his uh, father. But we're going to go to war over that? Are, we, are you crazy? And he did, by creating this bogus uh, weapons of mass destruction routine. You know, very similar to the way Putin has created this bogus rationale for invading the Ukraine. Oh, it's run by neo-Nazis. There's all kinds of drugs flooding in from Odessa. You know, it's sort of like us when we say, what is our biggest problem in the United States now? Is it Black Lives Matter? Is it Antifa? No, it's white supremacists. Is that any different than Putin who all of a sudden imagines that the number one problem facing Russia is the threat? by neo-Nazis who are embedded into some of the forces, the paramilitary forces that are fighting in the Ukraine, right? Is that any different? I mean, let's be real here. That's why I don't believe anybody's propaganda. you got to keep an open mind and start to look at the tea leaves and wonder, some of our friends, some of our relatives, some of our co-workers, some of those who are ideologically aligned with us now starting to beat the drums of potential war over the Ukraine. What on am I? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then this was the winner. Earlier today, I headed out to the Rockaways, the Irish Riviera, for the first of the many St. Patrick's Day parades that will be taking place throughout the, mar- the month of March. And I met people who were from Kerry, County Kerry, in, in the land of Era. Era. I asked them, hey, is that where John Kerry is from? Ha, <laughs> they got a good belly laugh. And uh, Kildare, there was two guys from Kildare. I said, is that where Dr. Kildare was from? They had no idea what the hell I was talking about. Galloway, Donegal, Cork, Mayo. Uh, a lot of kids, uh, a lot of young people with freckles. Yeah, that's how you knew they were Roman Catholics out there. And, boy, they were busting their buttons and bridges with Irish pride, Roman Catholic pride. But there were some young men who were saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I want to go fight for the Ukraine. I said, you want to go fight for the Ukraine? Yeah, yeah, did you hear? Zelensky has a website. I said, he has a website. I, I thought he's hunkered down. You know, he's, he, he, he's facing assassination uh, plots by Chechen uh, hit squads. He said, yeah, he's got up a... He's got up a Ah, he's got up a website. Ladies and gentlemen, he is uh, asking for volunteers to go fight. To go fight in the Ukraine. In fact, they they claim they can handle anywhere close to 60,000 international volunteers. That means you show up and I'll run it down to you exactly what is required. I guess as long as you can inhale and exhale. 
uh, and you can make it to the Ukraine because you're not a Hessian. Uh, no, no, this is not like the American Revolution where the Brits, the Redcoats, depended on the paid Hessians, the mercenaries from Germany. No, 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 no. You're you're a volunteer, and you're going to be crawling into the belly of the beast. Now, I don't know if you show up there to give you a Kalashnikov, they give you some instruction on how to operate, but you're going to be operating with a lot of foreigners. You're going to keep two separate units. It's going to be like, instead of the French Foreign Legion, the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. You know, the East, whoa, I guess I'm ready for war here. I almost knocked this microphone out. You do that again, microphone, and I will discombobulate you, which will mean we won't have a program, but I will have the satisfaction of knowing that in my tangling with this freaking microphone, I won and the microphone lost. Boy, you can see, man, I am fired up. Maybe I would sign on Zelensky's dotted line, right? There's going to be an East Division of volunteers and a West Division of volunteers. The problem is, if I show up, myself and the Guardian Angels with our Red Berets, immediately some of those Ukrainians will have flashbacks and think that we're part of the communist horde that came pouring through East Europe after they defeated the Nazis right outside of Moscow. And I'd like to know if any of you are intending on heeding the call of the new darling of the world, Zelensky, who was a zero, remember, when he met with Donald Trump, uh, the previous president, accused of a quid pro quo. Now he's a hero, according to all. How many of you are going to scrape the barnacles off your backside in the safety and comfort of your homes in your neighborhoods no longer stay attached like an, through an umbilical cord to your family and decide that you're going to go fight for right. You're going to fight for the Ukrainians. I have a feeling there aren't going to be that many of our listeners willing to do that. And I'm not just talking about the boomers like myself. I'm talking about the hipsters, the millennials, Generation Zs, Xs, or whatever. How many of you are ready to sign on the dotted line, become a volunteer for the Ukraine, for Zelensky? Whether you will join the the eastern wing of what they're going to call the International Legion or the western wing of the International Legion. You get your Kalishnikov, give you a few grenades, give you a few lessons. I'm sure some of you out there, you're already very proficient with guns. You know, you live out in the middle of nowhere America, leave it to Beaverland, father knows best, little house on the prairie, so you know how to shoot. But are you willing to give up your safety and security here in America and go to fight for Zelensky, who's embedded in some kind of a portal somewhere in Kiev? That's right. To me, it's Kiev. You order chicken Kiev. They didn't change the name of that. And now all of a sudden I hear commentators, it doesn't matter, Fox News Channel, MSNBC, CNN, and the band RT. Yes, the band RT. Uh, I'm still able to get that on YouTube. And they're calling it, I forget what they're calling it. To me, it's always Kiev. It's like chicken Kiev. You want to change the names? Does it really matter? They're bombing the living daylights out of the people. And they hide in the subways of Kiev. Kiev. See, now they got me doing it. Could you imagine? God forbid that was happening here in New York City. How long would you be able to stay in a subway station to avoid the fallout from bombs falling from high in the sky from Soviet bombers? I mean, let's be real. You'd probably want to take your chances running in the streets. Who the hell would want to stay in the subways of New York City? 
Those people, you see how they're cooping out in the subways? The subways are clean. The bathrooms are clean. They're in working order. Each and every one of these subway stations in Kiev, Kiev is like a museum, just like in Moscow. And it's got the deepest subway station in the world. Four escalators down. That's how deep they dug it. I think that would protect you from any bombing raids, any incoming flack uh, by the Russian forces. Our number is 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Wally calling from the hometown of Joe Namath, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Wally. I'm going to be on WFAN. Wow. You see, we need that energy. Our news guy, he needs that energy. Frank Morano needs that energy. Some of the other host hostesses, they really need that energy. But Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. Wow, I was going to say, first time I ever got a call from Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. I've been there, yeah, yeah. Joe Namath Lamb. Aliquippa nearby. Oh, yeah. Washington, Pennsylvania, on the way to uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, home of the University of West Virginia, where they have on, emblazoned on the uh, mountainside. Eat a pit because they have a rivalry with the University of Pittsburgh. I know I spoke there. People had no idea what I was talking about, those hillbillies, but I spoke there. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, the hill, Pittsburgh. That's right, the hill. Hmm, McKee's Rock, McKeesport. Boy, I'm on a roll now. I'm like, you know, I'm like a whoo, divining rod. I'm going up the hill. I'm going through the mountainside. I'm looking at the Allegheny River. I'm like in Pittsburgh. I'm in Iron City, although it's no longer Iron City. It's high-tech city. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Susan in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Okay, let's uh, switch the battleground to um, closer at home, although, you know, our hearts and prayers are with the people of Ukraine um, in this, uh, you know, just horrific situation. But I know you're in the uh, front lines uh, with um, Andrew Giuliani in this uh, war, if you want to call it that, with the state party who is preventing uh, his ballot access, um, I guess, as well as, well as uh, the other candidate, Estorino. Um, and how you feel this could play out, because it seems that I know from past experience when the state party tried to block John McCain from getting into the part into the um, primary, the presidential in 2000, that was extremely uh, uh disappointing and uh, but Susan, Susan, let me bring you back in the time machine. What did John McCain do? It's very ironic that you bring that up because he had a press conference. Do you remember where when he was in opposition to the Pataki-led state Republican Party machine at that time? Do you know where he had a pre- press conference and he called him out? I certainly do because I was on the steps. Of the um, uh, fe- uh, the uh, the building there, the federal. Um, no, no, no. It was, it, was the, it was the it was the Russian the, the Russian embassy. That's where he had it. He said, "What they're yes. trying they're trying to impose upon me 
Russian standards where they're trying to eliminate me from consideration by the Republican voters in the state of New York. And the Pataki-led Republican Party apparatchiks, the GOP leadership, backed off. It was a brilliant place to hold a press conference. There was John McCain with the Russian flag in the background at the Russian embassy saying, what is, what is the Republican Party in, in, in New York? What is it, Russia? You know, with Alphonse, Sally Boy, Tomato, George Pataki, they were trying to squeeze him out. They weren't able to do it. Let's go to Bill, who's calling from Summit, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. Okay, Curtis, I know your rules and everything, so we'll get right to it, okay? Um, It's very interesting what's going on in Ukraine, very uh, tragic. And I agree with you on the no-fly zone. I think that could easily mistake or by a Russian or an American or NATO jet is just having an incident with another one, start a world war. And um, I agree that's not a good idea. But I think uh, sanctions um, could be stepped up. And um, Well, when you, know, you say stepped up, uh, what? Well, what more can be done? Well, we're sending them these uh, – Weapons that go on your shoulder. Yeah, Stinger, Stinger heat-seeking mes- missiles. You fire them at uh, aircraft, and potentially it could take them down. Right. You're talking about a helicopter, a tank, or a very low-flying plane. We should be sending them the type of missiles you know, that go off a launcher that could knock out that convoy that's there for like 40 miles or 20 miles sitting north of um, – Kiev, and I agree with you. There's chicken Kiev. And um, I'd like to, oh, can I ask you a question about, I want to ask you about Frank Morano, one of your favorite topics. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You can throw a question uh, about Frank Morano. It's taken us all the 25 minutes before we speak of Frank Morano, who uh, is in charge of the other side of midnight during the week. But go for it, Bill. Okay, well, I I was watch, listening to the station before he came on. Um, and since he's been on, and uh, in the beginning, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. He would he would ask the, the the listening public how much of a tip to give his movers when he moved into his house, $10 or $50. I mean, they probably should get a few hundred, but whatever, that he doesn't know these things, or he pretends he doesn't know. Well, well and, I mean, look, if you look at his picture on his Facebook page, he has his high school graduation picture from Tottenville High School where he was a purple pirate. We still don't know how old Frank Morano is. Nobody seems to know. So, Bill, just assume he's young, he's immature, and he may not be worldly or cosmopolitan enough to know that when you got the Ben-Hur brothers there, you know, schlepping all the furniture into his new abode, that there's a certain gratuity, a certain tip that you give to these guys and gals. He doesn't know, so we have to educate him. You understand, Bill? We gotta, uh, because if it was left to his own measures, he'd probably give the guy $2. $2. I understand. I understand he drinks a lot, or he says he drinks a lot. And also, that before the baby was born, he went to AC, like, as many weekends as he could. Yeah. And a lot of times, he did not take his wife, Rachel. 
And oh, what and now? Now, what, what what are you suggesting here, Bill? Are you suggesting that in addition to uh, having uh, a pension, a desire to gamble his hard-earned money away, that maybe he is uh, mm, stimulated by the cocktail girls who keep coming up and giving him those watered-down martinis as he loses his hard-earned money? Not really. I mean, maybe he's looking. I'm not accusing him of any anything. I'll tell you what. I'm not on Facebook. I don't see that picture, but I saw his wedding pictures on the Internet. And Rachel's pretty good looking, I would think. Oh, yeah. She's uh, drop dead gorgeous. Drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. And he looks like he's short, kind of heavy. And no, no, you got it. You you, you, got it, Bill. You got to look at his podcast, the one he does about organized crime. When you look at that picture, you say, my God, is this the same guy? He looks like he could be a hitman. He's all buffed up. He's wearing a gladiator suit. You know, it shines in the dark. You know, hey, you look at him there and say, wow, this is not the same Frank Morano I know. Maybe he thinks he's a Sid uh, impersonator. (laughs) Well, you know, it's good. I I want to applaud you, Bill, for ratting out Frank Morano. See, this was good. Bill got in what he had to say about no-fly zones. But then he did me a solid because I cannot listen to 20 hours of Frank Morano a week. I'd like to be able to. Uh, I, could, I know I could always catch up to his shows on podcasts. But there's so much crime in the city. Crime in the subway's gone up 200% just in the last week alone. And Eric styling and profiling Adams is doing absolutely Jack Daly squat nothing. In fact, in the first eight weeks of an Adams administration, the crime is worse than it ever was in eight weeks of any of the eight miserable years of Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope. So it's kept me very busy with the Guardian Angels and the subways. So uh, I need all of you to listen as much as you can five mornings a week from one in the morning to five in the morning. Take meticulous notes. And every time he's off the beam, you got to rat him out. Look, I'll give you a big chunk of Parmesan cheese, but you got to rat them out. Look, it's good. It's good for the station. It's it, it, it's not surus. You're going to feel nauseous by doing this. You're going to feel releasing this is important so other people understand. Let's go if we can to Johnny Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Johnny. Hi, Curtis. How you doing? I just want to want to say I got a Frank Morano story. Hold on a second before you get to a Frank Morano story. I'm not on my. How many times do I have to say? Kamala, you gotta you gotta let these folks know as you're screening. Say please, please, Pachian. Say you're gonna you're gonna drive him crazy if you ask him how he's doing. Because then Curtis is just gonna say I've had better days. I've had better days. Kabish, John, Kabish. I understand. Okay, all right, you understand. Go for it, John. All right, well, I wanted to bring up that, uh, because I I listened yesterday morning. I couldn't stay on any longer. I was holding on last night, uh, yesterday morning, and I finally, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I had to hang up the phone. I'm 78 years old. Anyway, to make a long story short. Wow, you sound a lot younger. I got to compliment you, John. You don't sound like a 78-year-old old uh, old geezer. (laughs) I got got glaucoma. Wow. Well, you, you must be drinking two <laughs> bottles of Geritol a day. And I also had colitis. Oh, you had colitis <laughs> too. You're 78 years old. My don't am I. I had also had colitis bed. They gave me a rotor-rooter job, let me tell you. Oh, I know what that's like. They gave me the rotor-rooter treatment. But anyway, 
uh, Tammy Faye. Uh, I go downstairs, you know, today I'm getting ready to go to church. I go down and my wife has on HBO on the, uh, on the, and it was, a. Uh, it's called eyes of Tammy Faye. There's a, there's a movie on, ca- on cable. Uh, and it was a coincidence. You were talking about it yesterday morning. And it's the whole story about her life, you know, with, uh, Jim Baker and the whole nine yards. And that, uh, that girl's name, Han, was called Jessica Han. That's that's the, the girl that he was involved with, Jessica Hahn. Yes. Uh, it was from 1987 he got involved. With it. She was the secretary of the church, which was called PTL, which was Praise the Lord uh, Network. That was the network he had. And anyway. Uh, well, you see, a lot died. of people, John, a lot of people don't realize that she uh, she was uh, born and raised in Glendale, Queens, right next to Middle Village, and then moved out to Long Island. You are absolutely correct. And she is the sister of Chris Hahn, who uh, I will be on with in a few hours as we do uh, left versus right. He's the aggressive progressive. Uh, He also being from uh, Long Island. That's her youngest brother. Yes. And uh, and they they both won the SAG Award for that movie. Uh, The the, the actress's name is Jessica uh, Christine, and the actor was a. Country Western star. He played the uh, Jim Baker. He, uh, Kenny, I forgot his last name. I'll now, let me ask you a question. So when uh, when they did a close-up of the actress playing Tammy Faye Baker, did she break down crying and all the mascara start running all yeah, over her face? Yeah, yes, they, 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 they had all, she had all that mascara on, yes. And uh, she won the best female actress. And he won this uh, country star won the best. Male actor in 2021. He died in 2021, believe it or not, Jim Baker. Yeah, you know what it was from? It's probably uh, lung poisoning from all that lead uh, that was coming out of the lead smelter in Muskegon, where he was born and raised in Michigan, where I spent some time. I know you were talking about it. And uh, she died in 2007 of colon cancer. Yeah. And, 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 and it's just, I just I wanted to bring that up. But anyway, about Frank Morano, he was on last week, and... Uh, he was, the day you met him in Staten Island with Andrew and uh, and Mayor Giuliani and all that, uh, he was sleeping in his bedroom. He, <laughs> I don't know who who does it like that, but he had a partial roof put on his house. Partial. <laughs> I don't know who would do a partial roof job, but I guess he would. And he <laughs> woke him up out of his bed, one, and then at 1 o'clock, he said he had to get dressed to meet you guys. And then uh, I thought it was crazy. Like, who the heck would have a... How do you have a – I don't even know what kind of house he has, but, I mean, if you're going to do a roof job, I think you would do, yeah, like – Yeah, but, John, thing, John, you know it's like saying? if you run out of money, if you're always shooting craps, playing roulette, <laughs> you know, blackjack in Atlantic City and losing all your money, maybe he only was able to put the down payment on the roof, and, you know, the crew comes – they start putting up the roof, and they say, okay, you, you put half down ahead of time. Now where's the rest of the money? we got to get the supplies. And he goes, well, I don't really have it right now. He said, okay, so we'll we'll put up half the roof. <laughs> anyway, I was the guy who called about Luck Oil, too, by the way, last week. Yeah, well, John, you, you should know when you pass Frank Morano's house, I'm sure his neighbor might call him up and rat him out. He's got that blue tarpaulin on the other part of the roof that's missing. You know, the the <laughs> half the roof is a normal roof. Uh, you got the A-frame up there, and then you got the other half. It's covered with that blue tarpaulin like in a third-world country that's just been hit by a hurricane. Can I ask you another question? Sure, of course. I know you, yeah, mentioned, I know you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned one time. You went to PS 114. Where is that in Canarsie? 
PS114 is still there, although it's uh, been converted into a charter school. It's right on Remsen Avenue off Glenwood. Uh, oh, Glenwood, okay. And right, my you. mother went to that school, Francesca, when Canarsie was just fields. Very few people lived right. in Canarsie. They had they right, had left right, Skillman right. Street, downtown Brooklyn. She was the only one born here. Everyone else was born in Bari uh, in the town right. of Andrea, right o- along the Adriatic. Right. But she went to right. PS114, then Tilden High School. And yes, went, I went to Tilden. Yeah, went, uh, oh, right on King's Highway. Yeah, I went to Tilden, uh, yeah, yeah, King's Highway and uh, Tilden Avenue, whatever it's called, yeah. Because wow. I went to PS115. That's why I was asking. Yeah, that's where all my Supreme Cuisine cousins went, PS114. Then I went to uh, Bilderstein Junior High School. And then uh, John Sherman, uh, who uh, became the chancellor of NYU, Rockaway guy. Uh, he cut his veins and arteries. He'd bleed Irish and Rockaways. Uh, he basically bamboozled me into Brooklyn Prep to Jesuit High School in Crown Heights. And uh, in my senior year, I was student government president. I battled them on the dress code policy of wearing uh, uh, shirts, ties, and jackets. How ironic, because when I was running for mayor, what did I end up wearing most of the time? Shirts, ties, and jackets. They shined their boots on my backside, kicked me to the curb, and I never looked back, John. I believe <laughs> Oh, well, thank you, thank you, thank you, John. Can I ask you one more question? Of course, go for it. How come, they, how come our, our Secret Service, FBI, whatever you want to call how come they never investigate George Soros? You would think, right? It's so obvious. Not only George, who lives in the Hamptons, has this big Ponderosa out there, but his son now, who's now uh, basically uh, taking up a lot of the activities of the old man, which is destabilizing currencies all over the world, pushing a vast left-wing uh, agenda and subsidizing elections of district attorneys who want to hug thugs and turn them loose and not prosecute them. Anyway, right. our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Douglas, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Douglas? Uh, hey, Curtis. Good evening. Uh I just want to say, yeah, I think you are the rock star talk radio, definitely. Uh, you ever think of trying to do The Garden or try to do Radio City or maybe Broadway, something on Broadway? Hmm. Well, now that that's starting to open up, Broadway, they still have that stupid mask policy probably till April. Rockefeller, um, I mean, uh, Radio City Music Hall, they've opened up, but they still have the mask policy. Now, now that's an idea to consider. How about a one-man show, Douglas? I saw Springsteen on Broadway. It was a pretty good show. It was the one-man show he did like two and a half hours. Well, you and know, a long it. time ago, there used to be a place where, remember where old Calcutta played? They always advertised in Times Square, the uh, Great White Way Broadway, the longest-running uh, uh, musical uh, on Broadway, they claimed, was old Calcutta because people were running around with no clothes on. That's why everybody was running over there. Uh, but next to it was, and maybe some people out there remember, it was called the Dinner Club. And I actually did a one-man show at the Dinner Club, had it all packed up. It was a fundraiser for the Guardian Angels. We were in desperate need of funds at that time. And uh, people liked my performance. I think, Douglas, uh, since clearly I've had many, many other episodes in my life take place since uh, I did the uh, Dinner Club in fact, Roger Ailes came to that. Roger Ailes uh, and his wife and a whole bunch of other notables. I think I could revive that. There are so many more episodes. We'll probably be there five or six hours, Douglas. Yeah. 
You can try to try pull off something on Broadway. Maybe just do something Broadway, you know. Yeah, how, how about how, how about we try off Broadway, then work up to Broadway, and then all of a sudden we get a road crew going out there where we have multiple uh, clones of Curtis Sliwa. So you know you have road shows out there, and then it'll culminate in maybe a cartoon, and then a movie, and then we go the whole nine yards. What do you think, Douglas? We start with a matchbook, a comic book, yeah. and then an actual book. Yeah, maybe you sell out. You think you sell the place out? Well, many people have already suggested that I've sold out on my ideology a long time ago, but uh, I, I would hope I not. Oh, oh, that's what you meant. Sell out in terms of Mula Shmula. Yeah. Scott, oh, oh, that's right. Could you see my name Spring in lights? Spring sold out. Springsteen was pretty much a sellout. I know, but think of it. In the great white way, now that it's been dark for so long, one of those empty theaters in Schubert's Alley, that has been uh, open for about two years, could end up having on the marquee a one-man show, a legend yeah. in his own mind, Curtis Sliwa. I like that. Yeah. Douglas, yeah, you, this is amazing. By the way, you know what they do whenever they're trying to get a show? Uh, they have a go-see. Uh, that means they invite people to contribute uh, to the show because it costs a lot of money to rent those uh, facilities and pay yeah. and pay those stagehands. Do you know what they make like an hour? The union, the stagehands. It's like uh, what? What do I do? So that's for sure. Yeah, I tell you, what, I think this is what we'll do. We'll do a go see, and then all of a sudden you'll have to pony up some dough so that we can take this show on the road. I like this, Douglas. You see, Douglas has contributed in a way that can actually lead to something substantial. The rest of you, you know, you cluck and you say many different things, but you do nothing for nobody, including yourself. Douglas has come up with an, a, a brilliant suggestion. Curtis Lee, one-man show. Not Broadway in Brooklyn. No, 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 no. We're talking Broadway, the great white way. Schubert's Alley. You imagine? What, a, what restaurant, ladies and gentlemen, what restaurant should we have the opening night festivities at for the Curtis Lee One Man Show, a legend in his own mind? Please, please. Uh, well, we got to start booking these places now because uh, in April, uh, hopefully there'll be no other derivatives uh, and uh, we'll be able to get back to some kind of normalcy in Broadway. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. In 1965, Vietnam seemed like just another foreign war. But it wasn't. It was different in many ways. And so were those who did the fighting. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 19. In, 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 in Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, he was 19. Zelensky is saying, you need to come sign up and join the Ukrainian International Legion. Right out of the Spanish Civil War, which we'll talk about in the next hour. You, too, can take up arms and support Zelensky and the Ukrainians against the might of Vladimir Putin. How many of you will actually do that? 
I didn't know. He put up a website already. He's saying, if you're not going to give me a fly zone, no fly zone, give me your young men, give me your young women, and even your boomers, as long as they can pick up a Kalishnikov and shoot it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go right to the phones. It's Eric calling from Uptown Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eric. Hey, Curtis. It's nice to hear you um, put things a little bit in perspective. I'm glad you brought up Iraq because um, we're going to do no fly zone against, against Putin and Russia. Like, he's some local guy in the desert, some strong man in the desert. We, we you know, gave tacit approval to, to you know, invade Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Kuwait was. And, and this, remember, remember, you remember, remember the little girl, not a little girl, but remember the girl who's a nurse or something who said they were Saddam soldiers who were, disconnecting babies from incubators and stuff like that, and she turned out to be Saudi royalty, and then it was all bull. Yeah, in I fact, that, that, we don't really, yeah, that part, Eric, uh, when uh, the Saudi, uh, excuse me, when the uh, Saddam Hussein uh, vaunted Republican Guard invaded uh, Kuwait, there were yeah. stories coming out how immediately they went into the uh, maternity ward and started disconnecting the incubators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And remember, we were told, and you know what? In order to wipe out the Kurds that he hated, he loathed, he despised, he was gassing beagles, remember? And Americans said, oh, you could kill babies, but you were gassing beagles? You were killing little puppy dogs? We need to go to war against him. It was all, it was all, it was all propaganda. It was all, all I mean, so, I, you know, this was the only thing it serves China. To really, to buy, we're going to prosecute Putin for, you know, it's just a little bit, they're laying down a little bit thick. I don't know. I, I'd i like to prove to me that Putin personally is giving orders to kill women and children and, you know, innocents. I mean, it's a little bit, I, I but thank you for the other perspective. Well, no, look, you know? Eric, I see so many similarities. Uh, Putin is claiming he has to uh, invade the Ukraine because... Uh, it's run by neo-Nazis and there's drugs, drugs flooding yeah, into sure the country. Uh, we yeah. said we had to do that because, yeah, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein, we claim our biggest problem in America now is white supremacists. I, 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 oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, they're, all, they're all Democrats. There's like five of them left. Right. I'm, uh, I'm at Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, in the white sheet section looking for white supremacists, <laughs> figuring they'd be there when the, the white sheets are on sale. Right. Yeah. It's the yeah. same nonsensical so, propaganda. Yeah. When you want to go to war, you create any narrative you want. Yeah, they don't seem to care about human life, and they care about, oh, this is happening over there, you know, supposedly, you know. It's just uh, it, it's too too easy, you know. They, they, think we, they think we forgot about the things. Well, the just, thing. uh, oh, just remember, war, as— Weapons uh, of mass destruction. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're still looking for the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> we're still looking. Oh, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. Curtis, Curtis looking, what yeah, happened yeah. is Bashir Assad sent trucks— <laughs> And brought them, because he was part of the yeah. Ba'athist party, into Syria itself, into Damascus. All bull feathers. Another one, yeah. All bull feathers. <laughs> yep, yep. He gassed his own people. Uh, Assad in Syria, like, really? Come on. Uh, and when he was winning against, was it ISIS, ISIL? And he, so suddenly, oh, let me gas my own people. <laughs> well, <laughs> Eric, here, Eric you know? what you got to do is you take <laughs> everything in a very jaundiced way. Because yeah, you can't judge. It's all 
propaganda. It's our propaganda versus their propaganda. And look how many mistakes we made. The no-fly zone over Libya. We took out Muammar Gaddafi. He had been our enemy. Then he was our friend. He gave up his nuclear weapons. Then we put in a no-fly zone because Hillary Rodham Clinton. I'll get you, my little pretty. Hey, Barack Obama wasn't too interested. But if you remember the French and the Brits, they were doing it, so we had to do it. And now look at the mess over in Libya. And then remember, we had a no-fly zone over Serbia. Slobovan Milosevic, the butcher of, <laughs> of the Balkans. And what do we do? We ended up hitting the Chinese embassy and killing, what, three red Chinese journalists? Almost creating an international incident. And then because we didn't want to get knocked out by SAM missiles that had been provided by the Russians who were supporting the Serbs because they were all Orthodox Christians. We had our planes flying so high in the sky that the Serbians actually put up cardboard cutouts of tanks. And our jets were firing heat-seeking missiles at cardboard cutouts of Serbian tanks. That's when Bill Clinton was president of the United States. And remember, wasn't it Hillary who landed in Bosnia-Herzegovina? Try to find that on the map. And there was machine gun fire from a machine gun nest. And she began running in a, in a jagged pattern to avoid getting shot. Remember that all turned out to be bull feathers? Don't believe the hype on either side, ladies and gentlemen. Don't believe the hype on either side. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Steve, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis, I called you about two weeks ago about the Brillo pads, remember? Well, that's right. Uh, which yeah. did you prefer, the SOS or SOS. the... SOS. Oh, you did? Yeah. A uh, couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, last week we asked him about Sinatra. He tried to get out of a contract. The guy he was trying to get away from was uh, Mitch Miller. Are you sure it was Mitch Miller? Yeah, yeah. Wait a no. second. Hold on a second. I think, uh, I, I think you're pulling my chain on this. Uh, Steve. I don't think so. You know, I would have to go to the expert, uh, Joe Piscopo, Joe P. on that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, Eric Adams. Now, he went up to uh, Albany to talk to him about changes of bail law. I don't think he talked to him at all. I think it was just a hack. But he came back here saying that, well, I tried, but he couldn't do anything. I think what he wants is the Republicans to take over the governorship. Then they're going to pressure him to do the job that he's supposed to do. And then he's going to look like a fat rat. Mm, That's an interesting uh, view of things. But I will tell you this. I think Rudy Giuliani put it best the other day when he was at the Annadale Terrace being interviewed uh, when we were collecting signatures for his son, Andrew, who I'm supporting uh, in the Republican primary to take on uh, Kathy Hokum, Hokum meaning nonsense, is that he said, look, all Eric Adams had to do when he went up to Albany is say to the governor, I've supported you publicly. I'll now start supporting Swazi, who's running against you because he's more modern than you are, unless you put pressure on the state legislature, which has a supermajority of Democrats, to change that no-cash-bail bill. And he, di- he did not do that. Uh, he, he basically got pimp-slapped around by the governor. Uh, Cousins, who is the uh, majority leader of the state senate from Yonkers, and Carl Hastie, the corrupt one from the Bronx, who is the speaker 
uh, of the uh, of the assembly who is just as crooked as Meyer Lansky, Hyman Roth, uh, a.k.a. Uh, <laughs> Sheldon Silver was. Yeah, uh, one other thing. Now, South Africa at one time claimed they had nuclear weapons. Who took those nuclear weapons out? They did have. Uh, in fact, when uh, I set up the Cape Town Guardian Angels, I visited, they have a animal range, you know, where they have wildlife loose uh, about a good 60 miles outside of Cape Town. Cape Town is the most gorgeous city in the world, bar none. You go up the Indian Ocean, it's gorgeous there. Then you see the Pacific Ocean, it's absolutely gorgeous there. Uh, make that the um, uh, Atlantic Ocean and then the uh, Indian Ocean. Absolutely magnificent. Unfortunately, it's got so much crime. It's been renamed Rape Town. But about 60 miles outside of Cape, Cape Town, you actually can crawl into the missile silos with the nuclear payloads. They had about seven or eight nuclear bombs that had been developed by the apartheid regime of de Klerk. And de Klerk decided to give it up. That's the only country that hasn't suffered the ramifications from giving up your nuclear payload. Every other country that's given up their nuclear weapons, you see what happens. They get taken over. You know, so the lesson there is, no matter who you are, whether you're uh, a democracy, whether you're autocratic, whether you're a dictatorship, uh, you better develop a nuclear weapon. It's probably one of the few ways you can ensure that you're not going to get invaded. Yeah, but, but who took them out? Uh, I believe the clerk may have given them up to the United States. I'm going to fully research that. Maybe somebody out there uh, who is an Encyclopedia Britannica who remembers uh, researching that in the library with the blue-haired matron on the microfilm uh, or uh, has good working knowledge uh, of the apartheid regime of de Klerk. Remember, there was another apartheid regime in what was Rhodesia at the time, Ian Smith, and then became uh, Zimbabwe. And, oh, my God, it was bad then. (laughs) And then Zimbabwe. Oh, Oh, my God. Could it get any worse? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Hopefully I've got my uh, geography straight here. Let's go to Michael in the Boogie Down Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Sir, I got a bum education, double-digit inflation. Can't take the train to the job. There's a strike at the station. What's cracking, Commander Curtis? And you're right. Frank Morano is a train wreck and a joke. (laughs) Hey, Quick question. Yes. If, that, if that monster that mashed that bag of crap, if he mashed that bag of crap in Eric Adams' face while he was wearing that Armani suit and that fedora and that scarf, that ridiculous scarf the other night, currently, would he be currently running, roaming the streets in New York City as we speak? Your <laughs> thoughts, please, sir. Thank you. And let's go, Brandon. Out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We should do an update. On the rubbing poops and shooting hoops guy who did his own video. We'll play that again. A lot of people couldn't believe the video we had of him that has gone viral in which he taunts the criminal justice system, taunts the police, taunts all of us, says, you had me and you let me go. You know, I I took my own feces, smashed in the face of this woman. I thought for sure I'm getting locked up. No, you cut me loose. I told the judge, F you. Figured the judge would have me remanded to jail. Nope. Then the cops took me over to Brooklyn, where I was uh, charged with uh, attacking a Jewish guy in Crown Heights, a hate crime. And you cut me loose. 
So I could go back to the Bronx 241st Street, last stop on the number two chain, and shoot some hoops. That's why I call it the episode of rubbing poops and shooting hoops. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Valerie calling all the way from Florida, where unfortunately so many of our fellow residents have fled. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Valerie. Hi, Curtis. It's actually Valeria. This is such a privilege to talk to you. I feel like we are friends that have never met. I used to live in New York City, in Yorkville, 84th in York, back in the late 70s. And I used to work at La Maginette. Do you remember La Maginette? Vaguely. The restaurant? Vaguely, Valeria. They had a fantastic disco downstairs, and I was... um, a cocktail waitress. It was owned by the mob. They were like, it, you know, they were like the silent partners back in the day. In like the they, like they were to so many nightclubs and restaurants and gin mills back then. But it was a beautiful Italian restaurant. And then downstairs, they had a, a fantastic disco that everybody went to. I used to also be, this is a blast from the past. I was a hat check girl. At, on I think they call it Sutton Place, right, on the east side where all the mucky mucks live? Sure. And there was a, an old-fashioned speakeasy that they, um, trans, that they kept the way it was a speakeasy, and on one side was a, a restaurant, on the other side was a disco, and it was called La Boite. And Andy Warhol had a party there. And I met so many people on Broadway and stuff. And whenever you play the dance music, Curtis, yes. it just takes me back to the day when we used to be disco dancing in the 70s in Manhattan. And you're, riding, you're driving in. If you happen to have a car, you learn how to ride the lights. So you get all the green lights going up the avenue, you know, going up and down 6th Avenue, 7th Avenue. So many memories. Now, Valeria, where in Florida do you live now? I live right um, one block away from A1A in Pompano Beach. It's absolutely gorgeous. Curtis, we want you back here. I heard all about your trip to visit Rudy. And we just can't, I just thought I just got the biggest kick out of it, especially when you were talking about Hollywood. And I'm so glad you really enjoyed Palm Beach. I've been there many times. Up in the Mar-a-Lago. Well, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, Valeria, there's so many of our fellow neighborhoods who are going down there not to have a secondary residence, uh, but rather to make it their permanent residence. And having been down there recently, I understand why. That is paradise to Santa's land. And this, it's still a wasteland, New York City. A wasteland, Eric Adams. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC.
Zelensky is calling all of you, all of you who want to go to war, that anyone except Russian nationals can apply to his international legion, like the French Foreign Legion. There'll be two brigades, one in East Ukraine, the other in West Ukraine. All you got to do is uh, go to a go to a Ukrainian embassy or consulate. You get an interview with a Ukrainian military attaché. You get a special visa. You're a volunteer. You're not a Hessian or mercenary. You won't get paid. You better bring your own combat gear and then get ready to shoot some Russian. How many of you out there are actually going to take up the offer of Zelensky who wants us to put up a no-fly zone with the NATO, which would uh, guarantee a world war, uh, and instead go fight? With the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. They'll give you a Kalishnikov. They'll give you plenty of ammunition. You know, you get a, you get a chance to fight them. And I'm hearing a lot of people are like warriors. Yeah, we should have a no-fly zone. We got to do something. We got to send troops. Hey, Zelensky's giving you an opportunity. You could go. But you got to go to the nearby Ukrainian embassy or consulate, interview with a Ukrainian military attache, get a special visa. You're a volunteer. You're not getting paid. No rubles. No euros, but you got to bring your own combat gear. And let's face it, Americans have enough guns. They don't need Kalishnikovs. They got better firepower than a Kalishnikov, that's for sure. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I do know that many of you have watched The Simpsons over the many years, right? Homer Simpson and his family, uh... To watch what they've done in the town of Springfield, which is like anywhere in the U.S. of A. Homer, the patriarch of the Simpson family, right? Working at the nuclear power plant. All of them being taken over in the U.K. by uh, Putin and the Ruskies. Doing his best to lead his family. But often finds out that they're really leading him. Many of you are probably not aware of the episode that actually predicted what Putin would be doing now as a megalomaniac attempting to put back into place the old Soviet Union, but this time under czarist Vladimir Putin's rules. The Soviet Union will be pleased to offer amnesty to your wayward vessel. The Soviet Union? I thought you guys broke up. Yes, that's what we wanted you to think. <laughs> Must crush capitalism. How many of you remember that Simpson episode, right? Basically predicted what's happening now so many years ago. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Preston, who I think is calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Preston. Yeah, Curtis, uh, I think you need to change the name of your show to Institute of Advanced Learning. 
because um, I'm learning a lot of things from you. Hmm. So I should change it to what? Uh, Institute of Advanced Learning. Uh, by the way, Preston, what country are you from? What country I'm from? Yeah. What country are you from, Preston? I'm from Germany. Are you from Germany itself? Yes. Okay. Which town were you born and raised in? No, from from East, East Germany. Oh, East German. Were you born there when the wall was up and Vladimir Putin was the KGB agent assigned to East Berlin? No, no, I left there before. Okay. But you grew up when the Stasi ruled, right? Yeah. Okay. East Berlin. Is it, is it possible, Preston, that you were brainwashed back then? I mean, possible? Mm-hmm. Hey, look, look, it happens. You know, you, you're, you're just a child. You're learning America's evil. You know, the Soviet way is the best way. I know it's kind of hard. You, you, you don't have other points of view that you were exposed to. I, I understand, Preston. I understand what you're going through. I really do. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not interrogating you as if I'm Vladimir Putin, the KGB agent. I'm just. I'm feeling your pain. I'm feeling the fact that you are. You have a a, a thirst for knowledge and information because for so long you were only permitted to learn of the propaganda of the old Soviet Union. Correct. Yes. Good. And you see, it's my job, and you have corrected me, you have given me constructive criticism, that for people like yourself who were, who weaned on information that was basically one way and only one way with no diverse thought whatsoever, that it's really incumbent upon me, and not just me, but other broadcasters, to understand there are a lot of people who have come to our country in which they grew up in the same kind of circumstances. You've enlightened me, Preston. Yes, yes, you are. Yeah. You, 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 you are an institute because no propaganda, you are giving it straight. Mm. Well, I, want to, I want to commend you because this is what we need more of, constructive criticism. Too often, Preston, the callers are sycophants, toadies, and lackeys. I hear them calling every day all the other shows. Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, can I kiss you too? Kiss Oh, you're the best. You are so right, Preston. I, I salute you. I salute you, Preston. Uh, and by the way, Franco is a good man, so be careful. Yeah, I got to be careful. You know you know what's coming up? March. Yes. The Ides of March. Brutus! <laughs> Do you think that Frank Morano looks a little bit like Brutus from the days of Julius Caesar, huh? <laughs> think of that. Think of that. History yeah. tends to repeat itself. The Ides of March will soon be upon us, and I will have to be careful that he might pull out the long knives with Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they're, they're together. They're like two peas in a pod. They're egomaniacs. It's all about I and me. They're neurotic. Uh, they're very suspicious of me now lurking about with all these hours. So it will be like the Ides of March for me. I've got to watch out. They don't pull out the long knives and stick the shivs in me. No, 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 they like you. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So you see, a man born in East Germany, 
under the oppressive jackboot of communism. The old Soviet Union, when the wall was built to prevent them from leaving, and he was able to make it here to America to listen to talk radio with all of its diversity, but he reminded us there's so many of our listeners like him came from oppressive regimes, came from locations where they were not given a diverse uh, curriculum at all. They weren't free to think for themselves. They were programmed into bots, into bots. And he also reminded me to watch my back. The Ides of March may be upon me. Frank Morano is Brutus. By the way, who is Sid Rosenberg in that scenario of the Ides of March, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's see if I uh, I can go to uh, John, who apparently is calling all the way up from Capital N, Albany. Is this correct, John? Yes, Curtis. It's you know me from Rivers Casino. I talk to you when I can get a hold of you. I know you, yeah. you know me. You know me, we're a happy family. No, we're not. Hey, when can you come up to Albany and bitch slap that hokum? Well, first off, John, that, uh, I think John's been uh, nipping a little bit tonight. You know, you think uh, he's been drinking the last of that Russian vodka before they start pouring it down into the uh, Hudson River up there, right outside of the old GE plant next to the PCBs that are embedded in the riverbed. God. John, you were, you were doing so well, and then you you really tore into Hochul. You should have just called her Hochul. That, uh, that would have handled everything because she is nonsense. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dean in Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Curtis, I have a couple of things if you give me a, a couple of minutes to talk about. This guy, Frank Diaz, I did the math, is robbing you of 10 minutes per day. Two minutes times five hours is 10 minutes. He's stealing time off you, brother. Yeah, very astute. Very astute. He is. And he, he belabors his newscast. You, you can see. Yeah. It's like, get it over with, pal. It's over. Move on. But no, no, he, he, you're right. He wants to eat up as much of my time as possible. It's like a toothache when you listen to him. It's terrible. <laughs> get the ambisole. Yeah, get it, get, 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 put the, put the vodka on the tooth to let the pain go away. <laughs> second, second thing, if, if you, second thing is, what about if we send all the criminals that we have here in New York and the United States and send them over to Ukraine, give them a gun, and make it like a penal colony? Oh, you mean like, Aus- like Australia was founded to be a penal like colony? Australia, yeah, and feed them lobster like they did 100 years ago. <laughs> By the way, uh, Dean, if we were to take our criminals and send them over to the Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainians have enough problems already with the Russians. They would send, they would send them back. Yeah, our criminals uh, would prey upon these uh, folks who are, like, desperate to to fight for their lives. That is correct. Oh, one more thing. The word TIP, do you know what it stands for? Hmm. The acronym, you mean, T-I-P? Yes, yes. No, no. Enlighten me, please. 
May I enlighten you, sir? And our audience, by the way. Yes. To ensure performance. To ensure performance. That's one of my mantras. That's one of my mantras. Uh, I get here. I prepare to ensure performance because I don't want to ever be accused of having uh, left it on the table in the prep room. That's correct. You don't want to be accused of non-performance. Well, I've been accused of that many times by some ladies <laughs> over the years. Yeah, that's for sure. I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, well, you no, know. That's all. I just ha- look, it happens to guys. You know, hey, hey, Dean, that's why you constantly notice. You, you get those texts that constantly, hey, we got a supply of Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. It's like, who are these people? I, I mean, <laughs> they're coming from every country in the world offering you like thousands of these pills for like $2.50 for a whole a whole carton of them. Who are these that's, people, that's, Dean? That's, that's a lot of days of no sleep with that Viagra. You can't sleep with that thing there. Dean, uh, do they know they something sleep. that I don't want other people to know, that maybe I have a lack of performance? Is that what this is all about, Dean? <laughs> no, you perform very well, so just... Yeah, but Dean, I don't trust. I don't trust this technology. Who knows? Maybe they catch me uh, on a few occasions in which I'm not at my peak of proficiency. Uh, And immediately the technology picks up on that. And every freaking salesperson around the world selling these products is texting me. Free Viagra. Maybe we should give the the Viagra to the uh, Russian pilots. Ooh. They'll have so many things to do with themselves that they huh. won't be able to. That's right. That's they right. They won't be able to perform. How's that? Not only that, look at all those Aeroflot pilots now who uh, can't fly anywhere. They've been grounded. Uh, they may need a lot of that. They may need a lot of it. And, you know, I tell you the time. I say Moscow getting ripped off every which way. Can't trust these people. Uh, went there to meet with the mayor, Leshkov, who then tells me he wants 10000 American dollars in order to meet with me and the Guardian Angels, you know, for capital improvements. Yeah, his own improvements, if you notice, his wife is like a, a gazillionaire. Where did she get all the money from? And then it was time for us finally to leave uh, Moscow. I was getting very cold, and uh, I was getting... Uh, the runaround in terms of organizing a chapter there was needed at the time. And so we went to Moscow International Airport. We go up. We're ready to check in. We had an Aeroflight f- flight back to uh, Berlin, Berlin and then to uh, London. And all of a sudden, the attendant who spoke English said, we can't find you on the logs. So the British guardian angels, they want to argue. And I said to them, I guess you don't understand their form of English, which is give me money and I'll find your names on the log. So why don't we pool whatever money we have? At the time, there were no euros, so there were sterling pounds. Uh, there were Deutschmarks from some of our German guardian angels, and actually I had dollars. Let's put it in a, a beret. Let's push it on the counter and see if the guy we'll make sure that our, that we're able to board with the tickets because he wants a bribe. Luckily, it was enough money to bribe our way onto the flight that we had already purchased, and this is the way they do business in Russia. But I will tell you this. There were a lot of fears, a lot of intrepidation. We took the train from East Berlin 
right through Poland, Warsaw, then to the border of Belarus, where they had to lift the train up and put it on a different gradation of tracks because uh, uh, the Eastern Europeans no longer wanted, uh, always feared that the Russians would invade uh, the Soviet Union again uh, and attempt to take Moscow. So they changed the gradation of the track from Poland to Belarus, stopped in Minsk, which is like being back in the 1950s with all kinds of monitors. It was a totalitarian dictator there. The same one is still there. Made our way to Moscow. That was all by train. But we had to fly back by Aeroflot. I will tell you, the service was top-notch. The stewards and stewardesses were really good. The food was very good. And the flight was very good. Well, there is no more Aeroflot flying anywhere in the world other than to other Russian cities. So there are a lot of uh, pilots who are going to be in need of Viagra because you're going to have a lot of time on their hands. And if you know Russian guys, ugh, man, nasty, nasty. Reminds me of Israeli guys. Nasty. It's like too much machismo. The ladies, yeah, but they also have a little chip on their shoulder. Beware, guys. Now, let me tell you something. Many of you are into these mail-order brides. Those Ukrainian women are going to be all over your Internet offering to become your mail-order bride now. You know what it's going to be. Coochie, coochie, I love you, you love me. It's all about getting the green card. The moment they get the green card, they're going to drop you like a bad habit. They're going to divorce you, take your money, and be American citizens. While you scratch your belly button wondering... Wow, I knew it was too good to be true. I knew that nobody, nobody like her would ever want to be with a schlub, a schmendrick, a pisher like myself. Beware. There are already so many mail-order brides coming from Siberia, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, with women desperate to get out of there. My God, they'll probably, when you're, you're interviewing them, they'll have no clothes on. You'll, you'll sign on the dotted line. You'll be like, oh, my God. Did she just do what I think she did? Yeah. Please bring me to America. I will be your bride. Uh-oh. I'm warning you guys and a lot of you guys out there. It's like fantasy time. Fantasy becomes reality real quick. Green card, divorce, she's American, and you got nothing. Bupkis, Ugats. Be careful. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ah. Let's go to Billy calling from the Irish Riviera, Pearl River. By the way, Billy, when is the uh, annual St. Patrick's Day Parade taking place in Pearl River? Uh, usually the Sunday after uh, the 17th. Sunday after the 17th. Usually, if they're having it this year. Oh, yeah, well, of course. Of course you're going to have it. I got to make sure I'm there with Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani, uh, as we go marching. You're going to show up? In, of course. In every, I was out there in the Rockaways earlier today. I don't know. You've been uh, disparaging Pearl River lately, Curtis. I don't know if we uh, if we want you up there. Oh, well, wait a second. You know, you I... disparage uh, the citizens, you know, with your uh, comments about our... Alcohol intake. Well, excuse me. Excuse me. Should I say you're all teetotalers that you believe that prohibition is secure? Well, you other things to say nice about us now that you want our votes. No, I don't want your votes. Andrew Giuliani wants your votes. See, you're with them, so you want our votes. No, no, no. See, Pearl River couldn't vote for me for mayor, Billy. 
Well, okay, you know. All right, all right. We straightened that out, Bill. A tough guy, huh? Billy. I'm Billy. A tough you guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, tough guy, huh, Billy? Yeah, yeah, pretty tough, huh? No, no, no. <laughs> I tell you what, when, I, when I'm there for the parade with Andrew and Rudy, can you come up to me so I can punch your schnoz right down your throat? Well, what are you getting hostile for? Oh, you're right. I should be nice. I'm coming out to Pearl River. I have made some disparaging yeah. remarks about the wear, Irish there. You're right, you're right. You're going to wear green? Hell, I never wear green. I always wear red. I'm not wearing orange. I'm not well, wearing orange. For St. Patrick's Day, at least. Come on, Curtis. Hey, come on. You know the Italians. You know what they used to do on St. Patrick's Day? They'd wear orange purposefully to piss off the Irish. That's not nice. Yeah, well, they did. They did. Well, I don't know. I don't think going on Broadway is a good idea for you, Curtis. Mm. Well, what's going to happen to me, huh? Huh, Billy? Huh? I said going on Broadway before you saying you want to be on a Broadway star or something. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, One-man show. I mean, everybody else does it. Why can't I do it? Because we can listen to you for free on the radio. Nobody's going to buy the tickets. That's right. Why would you pay for something that you get for free? Yeah. Now, you see, I need, I mean, to, I need to applaud you. I, I need to praise you for that. You, you may have prevented me from making a tremendous financial disaster. Well, you got to use the OPM, op- other people's money to back your show. Yeah, well, that's why they have the go- they have the go see. Uh, you know, they, they, of the producers are always there. By the way, you you do a lot of heavy breathing, Billy. There, you want oxygen or something? I got asthma. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm asthma. sorry. I'm sorry for disparaging you, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Who? You're gonna have some sympathy. You're gonna suck up all the oxygen in Pearl River. We got a lot of oxygen. Don't no, worry. I understand that. So, but that is brilliant. Nobody would pay for something that they get for nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to shoot you down, you know, Curtis. But... No, no. You saved me a lot of schiaro, a lot of moolah schmoolah. You know, no one would invest in this one-man show unless they saw me put some coin into it. <laughs> this is very good, Billy. You saved, me, uh, you saved me a lot of child support here. Yeah, you know. Because, you know, I'd have to juggle. I'd have to say, uh, mothers, I got to use the child support. Just this, just, this week, just this week, just to get it started. And please, I'll make sure I make it up to you. And you know they would never end up seeing that money based on what you just said. Nobody would show up. I'd be, I'd be, at, the t- I'd be at the box office and wonder, well, nobody's showing up? And then Billy would show up and say, I told you. Why would anybody pay for something that they get for free? <laughs> it's like the newspapers online. Nobody will pay for them online because for years they were able to get it for free online. Brilliant. That's brilliant, Billy. God, you're better than a leprechaun. You just saved me a pot of gold. Yeah. Well, come up to Pearl River and wear some green, Curtis. We. Uh, good on you. For you, I'm going to have to do that, Billy, because you saved me a lot of green. You know, you know, you know. There's really not much of a difference between the Italian and the Irish flag. Like when the Italian flag gets faded for beat out in the sun. <laughs> You're right. It's still- <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's like the tricolor anyway. Yes, we're a tricolor salad. You think most of the Italians know whether that's the Italian colors or the Irish colors? <laughs> You're absolutely right. 
I do it to that myself. <laughs> Sometimes when they leave the flag out too long, the Italian flag. <laughs> it does look like the Irish it, flag. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it bleaches out, and it looks like an Irish flag. <laughs> you are so right. Man, you are very cogent, Billy. Very cogent. Yeah, Billy, you you have saved me a lot of green. And when I go to Pearl River with Andrew Giuliani and Rudy Giuliani, I'm going to have to make sure for the first time I actually wear some green in your honor, Billy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, Billy. Thank you, thank you. Wow, that started out as a very hostile call, right? And all of a sudden, he taught me something. You see, that's why I let callers talk. Unlike other talk show hosts and hostesses, they shut them down. If I would have done what other talk show hosts and hostesses, Frank Morano, perfect example, his his ego would not have permitted him to take that kind of constructive criticism. But I recognized the guy was getting to a point, and I say, he could be a leprechaun for me. In this case, he saved me. He saved me a pot of gold. He saved me a lot of green. Because if you're going to get any investors, in an off-Broadway production, or naturally the big white way Broadway, you got to throw some coin in yourself. For me, it'd be minimal because I don't really have that much. But you got to show the investors. Well, I got some skin in this game. For me, skin would be my child support. You know, I don't pay my child support. Guess what? They sent me to jail. Oh yeah, you know there are a lot of people that love for me to be in jail. Especially the mayor of the city of New York, Eric. Don't give him an extra day. Lock him up. I'll never forget. That reminds me. In that second debate against Eric Adams at Channel 7 Eyewitness News with Bill Ritter. Remember, he was the host. Uh, Eric Adams said, oh, he doesn't pay his child support. Remember, I went nuts. Dude, what the hell are you talking about my family for? I don't talk anything about your family. You're an enigma. We don't even know where you live. And by the way, I'm up to date with my child support payments. Boy, that was so low. That's like, you know, you're in the ring, and he he not only hit me below the belt, he basically cracked me in the head with, with, with a hammer. Let's go to Helena in South Orange. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Helena. Hi there, Curtis. Uh, you know... All I want to say is that I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. This type to your face. Uh, perhaps you, it might be Mayor Sliwa if you hadn't uh, asked uh, Frank Morano to be your guy, uh, advisor, consigliere, or whatever you called him. Well, Helena, he was a very good consigliere. Without him, I would never have gotten a Staten was Island. Was he? Yes. Was it, he? Yes, he was. He, he In fact, he... He helped me get the Staten Island GOP nomination, which was not mine initially. If I hadn't gotten that, I wouldn't have been able to run for mayor. He did that. Yes, he did help enormously with that. And no, I, I you know, know, you know why? You know why he did that, Helena? No, I don't. He wanted to get me off the radio. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, and then notice he got more hours when I was when I had to leave because the FCC rules and regulations are you can't. Be on the radio when you're running for mayor. It's sort of unfair. You know, that's what yeah, they well, that say. Yeah, that and Yeah. So naturally, yeah. Frank wanted that to happen because he got more hours. Oh. See? You didn't know that. Yeah. So now. No, I've been enlightened. Yeah. But you see? know, Curtis. Yes. You know, Curtis. 
Uh, somebody has to do something about the way he claims that you hypothesized about the incidents that occurred to you. Oh, well, some of them I have. As, no, 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 especially the one involving uh, your mutual friend. Oh, you mean the Gottis and the Gambinos, uh, the ones who aerated yes. me with uh, five hollow-point bullets? Yeah. Yeah, well, that that's a fact. I mean, that went to federal trial. It's documentary evidence. The guy who shot me, uh, Michael Leonardi, did 20 years. He was from Canarsie. He's now out. Might have been nice, mm-hmm. feds, the FBI, forever busting Italians. If you actually let me know, the guy who tried to kill me was out. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't, Helen. I had to learn. I had to learn it at the Third Avenue Festival in Bay Ridge when the Gavones, the wise guys, the Jadrules, the knuckle draggers, hey, you know who's out, man? Mikey's out. And you know what I told him, Helena? I said, well, this time, tell him to go for target practice because he missed the <laughs> headshot last time. Good for you. Yeah, damn right. But you see, there was a reason that Frank Morano tried, and he really did work it hard. Uh, to help me get that Staten Island GOP nomination. I would mm-hmm. never have been able to do it without him. But the beneficiary of it was he got more hours on the radio. Yeah. But, you know, it took me a while, but I finally learned that everyone that calls in, as you say, TL. Mm. You know what the expression tuchus yeah, He's a tuchus kisser. Yes, you're right. No, but everyone that calls in. Yeah, but because remember, these hosts and hostess, look, look at Frank, look at Sid Rosenberg. They're like peacocks. They need to be adored. You know, peacocks will actually fly up to a rooftop and they'll start crowing like a crow if you don't pay attention to them. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It happened. two things tonight. Yes, yes. And that is Sid Rosenberg and Frank Morano. If they're not the center of attention, they get all upset. They start pouting. You know, it's like they, they then they start getting very paranoid and insecure, Helena. Look, it's part and parcel of this business. So we need to placate Frank. Uh, we need to assuage Sid Rosenberg because then, then all of a sudden, they, they, who knows? They might just flip the script. Well, one never knows. Do one. That's okay, right. Okay. Well, Curtis, thanks so much. Oh, my for pleasure. My pleasure. Your words of wisdom. Okay, and so again, let me let me establish this. Frank Morano, without his help, I could not have gotten a Staten Island GOP's nomination, which put me on the road to victory to run as a Republican. If I didn't get that nomination, I would not have been able to run. Frank Morano is is very responsible for that. Not totally, but mostly responsible. And then as a result, once they took me off the air, who got more hours? Frank Morano. So you see. There was a quid pro quo there. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to David, who's calling all the way from San Diego, California, which has now been rated one of the most expensive cities to live in America, David. And it's not worth it, Curtis, I'll tell you. And I'm born and raised. It's just not worth it. I just came out here to help my brother. I've been living in Indianapolis for the last 10 years. So you can have it. I'm 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 willing to, to give up my seat to anybody who wants to as soon as I go back. But anyway, the reason I called is to ask you what your favorite New York City movie was. But but since you're considering the New York stage show or nothing, I'd like to suggest a, a mid of the middle of the road idea. You can rip off something from Lincoln, Nebraska. Their newspaper there, they produce these 90 second videos. 
They're called Now You Know Nebraska, and they're very good. They talk about interesting things about Nebraska, and they have different people in a studio doing it every every week, everyone from the governor of Nebraska to Miss Omaha. And I thought you could do something on, on location in New York. You could call it Curtis Lee. Why you don't know New York, do 90 seconds on something. There's a lot of material there. And it could be done as, a, as an appeal for funds for the guardian angels or for an animal shelter or something like that. That is a brilliant idea. We're getting brilliant ideas tonight. Brilliant ideas. Yeah, but the, anyway, the, anyway guy, the reason I called yes. is I, I want to I know what your favorite New York City movie is because I've been an armchair New Yorker my entire life. I lived in Syracuse in the 70s for a while. But I, I can't I can't come up with a favorite New York City movie because there's just so many. So I just wanted to know your opinion. Without a doubt, Goodfellas. And the reason is because I grew up in the area where Goodfellas took place. I know the characters, most of them, not all of them, uh, had some beefs with some of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a true life tale. You know, too often they romanticize organized crime, which, as you know, I hate, I loathe, I despise. But I would say Goodfellas was about as close as you could get to the, the reality of the kind of life they live, uh, the lives they destroy, and the stain they put on hardworking middle class people, uh, whether they're predominantly Italian, Jewish, Irish, whatever group they are. Uh, I, I think that really nailed it, David. Okay, I haven't seen it in several years. I'm going to have to go back and revisit it. Yeah, you you see what degenerates they really are. Coke freaks, uh, no human sentimentality, no loyalty, nothing. It's everything I grew up with, guys like that. And uh, it's part of the reason I was always at war against organized crime, uh, all the families of organized crime. Well, I tell you, one last thing is is I watched the mayoral debate on New York One last October. And being out here in California and, and seeing you versus Eric Adams, the, the impression I was left with after watching the debate is that while Eric Adams lives in New York City, Curtis Sliwa is New York City. You did a great job. And I think the New Yorkers... They did themselves a disservice by electing Eric Adams, and I, I get home delivery of the New York Post, and every day I can I can see that that's driven home that Eric Adams, no, they uh, they, they they struck out on that one. Well, that was very apparent uh, in the Rockaways today. Uh, the, it was the first parade since the lockdown and pandemic uh, in the Irish Riviera, and people were giving him uh, cauliflower ears. Uh, cauliflower ear because they were saying, hey, I thought you law and order. It's worse. The first eight weeks of your administration is worse crime-wise than it was in any eight weeks of Bill de Blasio's eight years as mayor. He wouldn't answer their questions. And then, you know, he's uh, removing the uh, vaccine mandates uh, and the uh, mandates to wear masks, except if you're five years old or younger in school, and let's say you go to pre-K as a four-year-old or three-year-old, you have to still wear a mask. How stupid is that? Yeah, that was the front page of the, the Post today, and I couldn't believe that. I heard it on, I heard it on WABC earlier. It's like, I don't, what, what's the basis for that? Is that the, the, is that the teachers' unions? I mean, who's, that's certainly not the science. Who's, uh, who's, who's suggesting that he does that? It's control. 
It's control. It's the elected officials wanting to control every aspect of our life. It's like he's dangling in front of us total freedom like they have in Florida, except he's saying, but not complete freedom. I'm going to make sure that your five and four and three-year-old children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are masked up. That's messed up. But then again, you know, he's he's uh, cracking down on barbecue in the subways. I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> hand him that. Jeez. Well, Chris, a, I love I love I'm, your show. I don't I don't listen to your show when you do it. You're doing it with Anthony Weiner because it's just uh, it's too beta male for me. No, but, no, uh, to- totally, week- totally understood, David. Look, I'm on so often on the weekends. You have such a variety, yeah. but you're not going to want to miss coming up, rubbing poops and shooting hoops. Oh, geez, yeah. Oh, I won't miss it. I won't miss it. Do You're it, the best, Curtis. Do appreciate that. Do appreciate it. See, these are conversations. Would any other talk show hosts or hostesses have this kind of a conversation with a uh, caller? No, because they want to do guests. Or they want to be bombastic. Uh, you know, they got a bully pulpit. They want to tell you what you should be thinking. No, no, no. You think what you want to think. I may enlighten you on some issues, but I'm not going to change your mind. People who listen to talk radio generally are pretty strong in their opinions to begin with. You want to be entertained. You want a good belly laugh. You want to be enlightened, maybe corrected about certain things uh, that are taking place. But you're pretty much going to have your own hardcore point of view. In fact, let's go to Karen in Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Karen. Hi, Curtis. How are you? Oh, sorry. Remember me? I'm the one that uh, suggested that uh, nooks and crannies are advertising for you with the cats. And oh, yes. Yeah, but, Karen, that does not give you dispensation for asking me I how know. I am. <laughs> I've had better days. I don't care how you are. Good. <laughs> how's Good. that? How's Good. that? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I, I have a list of parades here that are in Rockland County for St. Patrick's Day, and Pearl River is on March 20th at one thirty in the afternoon. One thirty in the afternoon, uh, and what is that, on a Saturday or Sunday? March 20th, I'm not sure. Okay. But it is March 20th, because I think that gentleman said it's a Sunday after the 17th. Right. Well, I'm going to have to make sure I have a cup of Irish coffee there and make sure I have a presence <laughs> uh, with Andrew Giuliani and Rudy Giuliani. So Pearl River, get ready. Curtis Lee. First, first parade in Rockland is in... Uh, Speak in New York on March 12th, and then East Chester March 13th. have a whole list here. Oh, that, that's great. Well, keep, keep me informed, that's for sure. That's great. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure that I attend as many of those parades as possible. Uh, although mm-hmm. I have to do it for that first caller from Pearl River. i got to wear at least a little bit of green because he saved me a lot of green. What a mistake that would have been, a one-man show on Broadway, and not realizing, why would we pay for that stuff? We get it for free on WABC. And Mamaronic has it the same day as Pearl River, March 20th. And oh, it's funny, both the same time. I know. I'm sorry. Stupid. Sorry. Mamaronic or Pearl River. It's no comparison. Pearl yet. River. Pearl it's, of course. Of course. <laughs> Look, I'll bring my shamrock. I'll kiss the Blarney Stone. I'll chase the leprechauns there. Maybe get me a pot of gold. It's better than Powerball or Lotto. They, they might chase you the leprechauns. That's true. There's some pretty big leprechauns there in Pearl River, that's for sure. But do appreciate that. Irish ones in the taverns. Yes, do appreciate that, Karen. Thank you for straightening me out on those dates.
Yeah, keep letting us know about the uh, St. Paddy's Day parades coming up. By the way, can I say St. Paddy's? You know, I had this Irish curmudgeon out there from uh, County Galloway who said, you know, you can't call it St. Paddy's Day. Yes, I can. I've always called it St. Paddy's. No, you can't. And you call it a paddy wagon. You can't do that. Well, why can't I call it a paddy wagon? I've always called it. A, I've been locked up in paddy wagons. You can't call it a paddy wagon. What is this political correctness? I never heard this before at a St. Patrick's Day parade. What is happening? one Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I grew up, New Testament, but you can kiss my tookus. Godfather of soul, soul brother number one, James Brown. Where is his body buried? He's still MIA. Somebody robbed his crib. Ladies and gentlemen, as we get back into the trivia mode, where is the Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, James Brown's body buried? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go back to the phones, uh, and it is um, Howard who's calling from Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Howard. Hi, Curtis. I wanted, if I'm allowed, to educate you about something that you misspoke that you may have already know, but we'll find out if you let me. Of course. Okay. You said a river bottom was laced with PTBs at the bottom. It's PCB, polychlorinated biphenyls, heavy cancer-causing, carcinogenic. The main ingredient, the main one is called dioxin, and that was the main ingredient in Agent Orange during the Vietnam War, used as a defoliant. Obviously, extraordinarily toxic. I remember the chairman of the board of uh, GE. He was uh, well-renowned from Boston, I believe. He would oftentimes appear on the I'm in the Morning Show. I'm forgetting his name momentarily, no longer CEO. I think he's passed on. Uh, he actually mm-hmm. went up to uh, Troy Schenectady, where the Hudson River is, where they poured in PCBs from that uh, General Electric plant for years and said he felt that it would do no harm. He'd be more than happy to take a glass of water out of the Hudson with the PCBs and drink it. Did he say he bathed in it, too? Because someone said that also. Yeah, but let's face it, you drink it, uh, I think it will have uh, a much greater detrimental effect on your body than if you swam in it. Yeah, that's true. But he well, never well, did. Before he, I go? He, he, never, he never followed up on his promise to drink a glass of PCB-laced water. You actually are correct. It's PCBs. Can you tell me again the multisyllabic $5 word that PCB is the acronym for? Polychlorinated biphenyls. Oh, my God, you're asking a lot of me, man. 
I'd be stumbling and mumbling. I'm a history major, but I took chemistry. I know, but I'd be stumbling and mumbling over that. No one uses that word anymore, Curtis. Oh, so I'm on safe ground, right? Oh, I would say so. You're a very knowledgeable man. Um, Can I give you one more before I go? Of course. Okay, you said Kalashnikov. It's Kalashnikov, and he was a Soviet arms designer. And he built a very powerful, good weapon. Maybe not quite as good as the M16, but it's close. And it's it's ubiquitous in Asia and has been for decades. And I just wanted you to – I was impressed by his work. You understand why I would always prefer to uh, use uh, the Uzi as compared to the AK-47 or, as you have said, the Kalishnikov. I didn't know you were Jewish, Curtis. Well – you never know. In the history of mankind and womankind, you just never know, especially on my Polish side, coming from Limanova, where my grandparents were, Anton and Wanda. Yeah, there's a huge Jewish community there, huge Jew, and all the pogroms that took place there, and people were forced to convert, either for, forced to convert, flee, or die. Who knows? Who knows? But I will tell you this, Alan. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. I'm I from don't. the country of Massapequa Park. Yeah, Matzo Pizza. Yes. But the reason that have I don't know. Have a good evening. Yeah, so thank you very much. Uh, it's a little, uh, little haughty there, right? You have a good evening. Cut me off. I was going to say, the reason I prefer the Uzi has nothing to do with shooting weapons. Uh, as you know, I don't like shooting weapons. It's my wife, Nancy. She goes to Pennsylvania outside of Milford where her mother lives uh, there's more bears than people there, more deer than people, and she likes to get her AK-47s and go out and sh- shoot some stuff. Naturally, she keeps uh, all her hardware out there, can't keep it here. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Chris calling from the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis, how are you? You know, you're like the you're like the Barry Bonds of talk radio, you know, as opposed to the Bobby Bonds, you'd, or you'd be chain smoking while you're on the while on the, while you're on the air. But uh, because you you gotten better with age, you know. It, I remember hearing Mike Francesa say, you know, when they're trying to tie him in with performance hands and drugs, they're going to say you're on you're on something. You know, you're the only talk radio host that's gotten so much better with age. Oh, well, thank you. It's sort of like a fine wine. You know, the longer it's on the vine, the longer it's distilled, the longer it's uh, just sort of uh, molting, the better it is. I want want to call somebody your attention. So you guys are getting interference with 760 a.m. out of Detroit, and they're another Class A, you know, 50,000 watt. They play – they used to play Michael Savage. It would come in when it gets dark. I live upstate, probably 95 miles from your transmitter, 100 miles from the city. Well, you know, that's uh, WJR. I've actually broadcasted on WJR when I was syndicated uh, at nights. Uh, that's the Great Lake Station. That's a powerful signal there. Yeah, I got to play around with the dial to certain times of the year it's worse. But now they're playing uh, a Ben Shapiro reruns and uh, that's torturous. Ben reruns. I know that, but the Ben Shapiro uh, reruns—that's torturous. So, so listen. I talked to uh, a county legislator and I asked him who he was supporting. Uh, 
down in Southern Ulster. He's been in there like 20 years. He ran for assembly once. Um, not your boy. Uh, so, you know, Hudson Valley, I'm going to talk to some other people and find out. Shamrock Run, he should enter unless he's busy that day. Kingston, New York, that's a big deal. All the politicians are going to run. I think it's 5K race through Kingston. It's on Sunday the 13th in the morning. You know, if you uh, come down, Curtis, uh, Eng's Chinese Place, the other end of Broadway, the race comes through. We'll get there 11 o'clock, get some takeout food when it's fresh, and then uh, go do your thing. See, I'll see if I can find some uh, Republicans that are uh, going to be around, but he should, uh, he should run in that race and march in the parade. Now, uh, Chris, uh, are all the uh, politicians running because they've picked the pockets of the taxpayers and they're trying to get out of town as quickly as possible? Actually, in Ulster, fiscally, we had uh, we had a, a county executive that was a fiscal conservative, and he cut county government like 38 percent in 10 years, and he lowered the budget $60 million. And he was a Democrat, ex-Republican. He was in there for like 10 and a half years. Uh, so the, relative to other counties, much better. We're, we don't get killed with the uh, – the unfunded state mandates uh, we've had the uh, you know the the fund balance he left a fund balance for the new guy you know and the new guy is a democrat more you know of what democrats are like today but got some of the same people in well, there and i think uh, you've certainly given me uh, the rationale for why i should head up to the original state capital kingston was not Albany. With Andrew Giuliani and Rudy Giuliani for the Shamrock Run, uh, which is on Sunday the 13th, we'll be uh, filling up our dance card, that's for sure, uh, and doing an Irish square dance. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Russ in White Plains. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Russ. I'd like to get a copy of Sleewanics for Dummies, a dictionary of entertainment for that guy who wanted to correct you over and over again, Curtis. It, I couldn't take it. He's just, he doesn't understand what's going on. But I'd like to ask you, Curtis, are you grooming Anthony Weiner to be Nancy Sleewa's uh, campaign advisor in the next run against Gail Brewer? Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, I don't believe my wife Nancy has had a conversation uh, with Anthony Weiner. She's never really expressed uh, an idea one way or the other about uh, him being my partner. Uh, I, I think she's just so used to me uh, being on talk radio with different partners. So that would be an interesting thing uh, to bring up with her. Well, he has nothing to lose, Anthony Weiner. And you did sort of make a commitment. She worked very hard on your campaign, and she was a little neglected against Gail Brewer. And we, we need to get rid of her. She's, Gail Brewer has been, spent 30 years ruining life on the Upper West Side. And, uh, you know, people only vote for her because they think she's Jewish. And her family made money from a German munitions manufacturer in World War II. People don't even realize that. But, Curtis, I want to ask you something about Ukraine, okay, specifically? Sure. Because you understand truth is the first casualty in war. And you're one of the few people that really looks at things, you know, impartially. And with, with this war, you have to look at things sideways. And if something doesn't seem to make sense, then it's propaganda. In South Ukraine, these Azov battalions have been trying to prevent people from leaving. The civilians, they're all heading for the exits. You know, they want to get out of there. And the Azov battalion has wanted the civilians to stick around because they know it doesn't look good for everyone to leave. 
And what happened is the Russians said, we're going to open up an evacuation corridor because we don't want to bomb, you know, civilians and have children and, and women bodies all around. We don't it's not a good look for us. So they opened up an evacuation corridor, the Russians, and then right away they shut it down because they claim that someone's sending artillery on there. And then, then they say it's the Russians are bombing it, when in fact it's obvious this Azov battalion, these neo-Nazis, are bombing their own civilians to prevent them from leaving because they're useful as you, human shields down there. But the media just sets out this stuff about it's Russians are bombing their own people. And I know that you look at things in a way that's, you know, not so jaundiced. And, uh, well, no, no, the, uh, the Azo battalions, as you mentioned, uh, in that southern part of Ukraine, um, in fact, were involved, if I remember, back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the uh, trade unions building in Odessa. And uh, they basically took positions uh, within the building. The building got on fire. There were shots going back and forth. Uh, But, yeah, there are some neo-fascist elements uh, in uh, the Ukraine. There's a history of that over the years. Look at all the pogroms. Mm -hmm. But uh, that could have been dealt with in that part of the eastern part, the uh, area that's closest to uh, Russia itself. Uh, there has been a brewing war going on there for eight years. Shame on us for not trying to do something uh, to stop that war or at least uh, to help uh, both the Ukraine uh, Ukrainians and Russians uh, make peace on that. Right. Well, shame on those Ukrainians that are whining now. What have they been doing for eight years while their government has been shelling its own civilians in those eastern provinces? They claim that they're still Ukrainians, but they haven't been raising a peep. And so now we're sitting there. They're telling us we should go fight for them. Hey, listen, that little greasy rat Zelensky, his own people are trying to assassinate him. But we don't even hear this. You know, they took RT off this this satellite, you know, they removed that, right? Yes, yes. I, I used to watch uh, RT on a regular basis. They would right. give you uh, all the updates on Donbass, uh, what was happening there, the battles between the uh, separatists and obviously those sympathetic to the Russians. So uh, I don't believe in banning anything because exactly. I, I think you leave everything out there and you let people come to their own decisions, especially when they have different points of view. Well, they don't, they don't want us to hear any point of view but the government-sponsored point of view. And I'll tell you, on WBI, it's just like the mainstream media. They suck up this war talk like crazy. And you know what it is, Curtis? I think it's a psychological thing. People are so relieved to be unified. Let's go kill Russians because COVID-19 divided us. This is the most neurotic, suicidal society I've ever seen. Well, well the, the thing I think, Russ, is yeah. that we like uh, victims, we were victims in the attack of 9-11, and the whole world came to our aid. They all loved us. I just don't like being a victim, and I don't think the Ukrainians want to be victims. Uh, but right now, the whole world is loving them, uh, whether they are good, bad, or indifferent people who are still there. we have to see how this plays out. But we should have dealt with the problems in Dundas between the separatists, uh, some of whom are neo-Nazis, those who were loyal to their Russian traditions as those battles were waging for eight years. The whole world was just oblivious to what was going on. And now there's no turning back. This is what happens when you don't deal with a problem when it's right in front of us as it was in 2014. You're never going to catch up years later. Hello, Mara. 
Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. No, I don't want this should scare you. But my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy. They're about to organize a searching party. Uh, now, ladies and gentlemen, who is responsible for Hello, Mother? Hello, Father. What classic is this? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I play this uh, song because it fits the crime report, the crime blotter of New York City, where crime keeps getting worse and worse and worse each and every day. We had this fake, phony, fraudulent Fugazi named Eric Adams who showed up all of a sudden wearing custom-made suits, wearing Ferragamo shoes, saying he enjoys the nightlife of New York City and loves to sample it, but hasn't done anything about the rising crime rate. As an example, just in the subway system of New York in one week, a 200% increase in crime. This is after he launched a massive effort, he says, to take back the subways. He had never had a plan, never had an intention to do anything, sold everybody wolf tickets. And when I was out in the Rockaways today before the start of the uh, uh, Irish uh, St. Patrick's Day in the Irish Riviera, people were letting me know that, oh, they, they were having voters remorse. They wanted bumper stickers. Don't blame me. I voted for Curtis Lewa, which they did. I carried that area overwhelmingly. But I want to point to the story. That's why I played the song Hello Mother, Hello Father. And by the way, who created that song? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I played that song because we have a brand new freshman Democratic city council person who has replaced the outgoing, thank God he's gone, Corey Johnson, who became speaker of the city council. And in this past summer was missing in action, was spending all of his time down in Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, and spending no time in the city of New York tending to his responsibilities, which primarily was a city council person for the Times Square, Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea area. He was term-limited out, thank goodness. And he was replaced by this guy, Eric Botcher, who I actually heard recently. On an interview that Brian Lair did with him, he's doing with all the new council people uh, at WNYC. That's the place that I used to be for seven months before they decided <laughs> we're going to put Curtis on the outside looking in many, many years ago. I used to follow Brian Lair. So he was talking to this guy, and the guy was uh, talking about his background. He grew up in a small little town upstate. Uh, he uh, recognized at an early age uh, that he was gay. 
he wasn't well received up in that area. I can just imagine how difficult it was for him and his parents and decided, like so many other gays or lesbians, uh, that they would travel down to the city of New York, a much more friendly environment. And he settled in Chelsea, made his bones there, started rising up the political ladder, getting involved in nonprofit service to the community, and now he's the city councilman. And he said, as liberal and progressive as he is, that fear of violent crime almost made his mother skip his inauguration ceremony in Manhattan. Right? The guy is being sworn in like I was uh, the other evening at Il Baco, great Italian restaurant in Little Neck on Northern Boulevard, for the swearing-in of Vicky Palladino, who represents Whitestone, Bayside, and uh, College Point. And what a turnout it was. Rudy Giuliani swore her into office. Uh, Andrew Giuliani was there. A lot of people who voted for me there because I won that area. And it's ironic, on that very same day that Vicky Palladino was being sworn in, upsetting uh, the political pros. They said, oh, Vicky Palladino can never win, can never win. Uh, she had to win a very heated Republican primary that the county organization did everything they could to not only defeat her, but to knock her off the ballot like they did so many others. These people have to be removed. They, they, they are anti-democratic. They are the Republicans' worst enemy, not Democrats, uh, fellow Republicans. She won against all odds. Then in the general election, she was running against long-term council member who had run for mayor, had run for state senate, had served in many offices, Tony Avella, household name in that area, who then teamed up with the conservative party. That's right. The conservative party worked with Tony Avella, the Democrat, to try to defeat Vicky Palladino. That's how nefarious this was. And Vicky won against all odds. So in today's patch, he said, well, the only reason Vicky Palladino won is that, you know, Curtis Lee was at the top of the ticket. That's why she won. Look, how do you think I won that area? I didn't live in that area. I didn't spend my whole uh, campaign in that area. It's because Vicky Palladino was out there each and every day with her followers getting out to vote, getting across the mission of fighting not only her fellow Republicans who were her impediment, but the conservatives who were trying to oust her for Tony Avella. So don't rewrite history, pal. I'm grateful to Vicky Palladino and all of those of the Whitestone Republican uh, Club, which is now the most vibrant, the largest in the city. And it brings us uh, to this young man who just got elected in a Democratic enclave of Chelsea, Hell's Kitchen, and Times Square, which is flush with crime flush with emotionally disturbed persons living in the subways, living in the streets and in the parks, and flush with homeless people. Imagine his own mother was afraid to come from a little bucolic town upstate where he was born and raised because she feared being attacked. She feared being victimized. He grew up in the hometown of Wilmington. Does anybody out there know where Wilmington is? I've never passed through that little town, upstate New York. I have no idea where it is. I think it's up in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, I, I stand to be corrected. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Apparently, she said to her son, am I going to get hit if I come down to New York City? Am I going to get thrown in front of a train? 
And the new councilman was telling this story during a Greenwich Village Chelsea Chamber of Commerce town hall last week, which, as you know, is an audience of all all progressives and liberals. That just makes me want to cry, said the brand new councilman. And he said, my God, things have to change. That's why I've said over and over again, things are going to have to get worse before they get better. Things are going to have to get worse before they get better. Because the voters, they they just like to be maskers. They just like to be tortured by a conga line of Democrats who promised them everything like Eric Adams and uh, crime wave uh, Hochul, Kathy Hochul, or as I call her, Hochum, because she's full of nonsense. The new councilman said, you don't have to look far on our streets to see people with untreated mental illness. His new position is he sits on the city council's mental health committee. Well, guess what? To all the Democrats out there, this unfinished business. For eight years, Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, took one and a quarter billion dollars out of the city budget, our tax dollars, created this fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi organization called Thrive, and put his wife, a complete incompetent, in charge, Charlene. After years and years of doing nothing, of having a placebo group, she was unable to explain where any of the tax dollars went. We certainly saw in the streets of New York, the subways, the parks, that the emotionally disturbed were not being uh, serviced at all. In fact, the problem just uh, grew, grew to the point where it's completely out of control now. Thrive has done nothing. I made it a major campaign issue when I ran for mayor. Tish James, uh, the state attorney general, the highest law enforcement officer in New York State, could have subpoenaed records. She chose not. All she wants to do is question and cross-examine and do a deposition of Donald Trump and his family and any of those business partners he might have. She's obsessed with that. But not about the Democratic uh, corruption of where one and a quarter billion dollars went. Corey Johnson, outgoing speaker of the council, could have subpoenaed the records. The Mameluk, the Mashad, Scott Stringer, the outgoing city controller could have petitioned the records. They chose not to. Any member of the city council could have uh, could have gotten a uh, could have gotten a subpoena to get those records. They stole the money, ladies and gentlemen. They stole the money. I'll say it declaratively, and I'll tell De Blasio and his wife, "Go ahead, sue me. You won't be the first. You won't be the last. You'll just have to wait online. You stole that money." That was to help these these people who are so in need of help, these lost souls. And you probably banked the money in the Cayman Islands, in Switzerland, or Panama. Do you know that Bill de Blasio and his wife are not living in the home that they own in Park Slope on 7th Avenue and 11th Street? They, have, they own two buildings on that block. The building that they raised their family in, uh, they're actually uh, getting it fixed up, as they say. Needs to be uh, needs to meet new specifications. No doubt, at taxpayers' expense, and we are housing them in the penthouse of the Marriott Hotel in downtown Brooklyn. We're paying for that, and every time that I knock on doors and I ask who's paying for that, they basically slam the door in my face. City Hall knows. Eric Adams knows. He wouldn't be mayor if not 
for Bill de Blasio working behind the scenes to get the unions and the other assistance that he needed to win that Democratic primary against two people who worked for Bill de Blasio. Maya Wiley, who was his consigliere, his top lawyer, and every time he was jammed up, and he had so many jams because he was such an incompetent mayor, he would uh, depend on his sanitation commissioner, Kathleen Garcia, to come to the rescue. He, he defamed both of them and embraced Eric Adams. And Eric Adams will not launch any kind of an investigation. Uh, Kathy Hokum won't do it. The uh, Speaker of the Assembly, crooked, uh, crooked Carl Hasty, he won't do it. Pompous, arrogant. State uh, Senate Majority Leader Cousins from Yonkers, she won't do it. So we're going to have to keep the pressure on, ladies and gentlemen. This brand new councilman, so hopelessly naive, saying, gee whiz, we got to help these people. you got to help them, right? The money was here. The money was from the taxpayers. And what has Eric Adams done? He's repurposed Thrive. They no longer call it Thrive. They've changed the name. It's housed in City Hall. And he's putting some of his cronies in charge. The pipeline of money will continue to go out. I anticipate at some point over the four years, I'm in total agreement with Greg Kelly, that they'll probably be taking Eric Adams out in handcuffs at some point for corruption. He's surrounded by a corrupt crew. Frank Corona's chief of staff, corrupt. He's got another, a bunch of other f- uh, corrupt appointments. Phil Banks who actually runs the police department. You never see the police commissioner at Sewell any longer. People were asking, what happened to the female police commissioner? I thought the whole idea was to have a female and a black police commissioner. You never see her. Because it's Phil Ranks who's tainted, who is the deputy mayor in City Hall of Public Safety, who calls all the shots. And look at what a miserable situation we're in, ladies and gentlemen. Eight weeks later, two months into the Erica Adams administration, We've had more crime in the first two months than any any two months of the eight years of Comrade Bill de Blasio. I want to know where's the Thrive money, and I will continue to push that. And I want to know who's paying the bills to house Comrade Bill de Blasio and his wife, Charlene uh, McRae, in the penthouse downtown at the Marriott Hotel in Brooklyn. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go back to the phones and to uh, Glennie, who's calling from Beth Page. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glennie. Hey, Curtis. Um, I don't understand what you're saying because. Curtis? Hello? Yes, hello. Oh, Glennie, where are you? Curtis. Yeah. I'm in Beth Page. Oh, okay. Oh, Glennie. Glennie, I, I thought you, you dropped off the radar screen there. No, I would never drop off the radar. What I'm saying is, like, you've done everything you can in New York City, and you know you can't do any more because it's 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 a mess. But for us in Long Island, like, I, I would love to come into the city three, four, eight times a year. I won't come in anymore. Why would I? You having some difficulty there, Glennie? Uh, is it sort of uh, hand Curtis, I'm here. hand-eye coordination, uh, getting a little excited? What is it, Glennie? You seem to have, be having technological issues. Why would people come into the city from Long Island, Westchester? You've done everything you can. Ooh. 
This guy's a Fruit Loop trooper. A loony kazuni from Parts Unknown. He had turned his radio off, and then if you notice, he turned it on in the background. So he's trying to listen to himself while he's talking to me, and the guy can't multitask. He could probably not chew gum and think at the very same time. He, he's he got some issues there. He's got some real issues there. <laughs> now, now, what is the biggest crime that's been committed in the United States of late, other than all the politicians who rip off taxpayers, both Democrats and Republicans, who get wine-dined and pocket-lined by various interests in this country and lobbyists? Remember Harvey Weinstein, that pig, that Hazarai, a guy who took advantage of his position in making uh, movies with his brother at Miramax, the casting couch. I mean, oh, my God, talk about abuse of a casting couch. Well, he was cold busted and found guilty of being a perv of all pervs. He's serving a 23-year sentence for rape and sexual assault. Because of his conviction in February 2020 uh, at the hands of Cyrus White Shoes Vance. He's awaiting trial on additional sex crime charges in a California court in Los Angeles, L.A. County. Let me tell you, having been locked up in L.A. County, that is a bad place. There are no nice places in the L.A. County jail. And he's pleaded not guilty. Well, the Sheriff's Department of L.A., Tossed his cell. And you know what they found? They found a box of milk duds. Not drugs, not fentanyl, not heroin, not crack, not meth, not marijuana. They found a box of milk duds, a five-ounce box, which is kosher and gluten-free milk duds. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you if you were in jail, would be smuggling in milk duds. And now they want to prosecute him for that. Now, he's a bad dude, a real bad guy. He's a mamaluke from Flushing, Queens with his brother. They were mamalukes. Mama ruled that household, the Weinstein household. But they want to prosecute him for having a five-ounce box of milk duds underneath his uh, mattress. In the L.A. County Jail. How many of you can remember the taste of a milk dud? I think recently it was purchased by Hershey in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. But oh, I can remember. Yeah, and why? Why is it called milk duds? D U D S. Why is that candy called milk duds? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. It had to be the lawyers who were smuggling in the milk duds. I mean, how else could he have procured? I mean, you go to another inmate. Can you imagine you say to an inmate, could you smuggle me in some milk duds? What? Milk duds? You mean the movie snack? Yeah, yeah, you know, I made movies, you know, me and my brother Miramax. I had the casting counts. Every actor, every actress of any note, those who were coming up the ladder, they always wanted to be in a Harvey Weinstein film. I had to have my five-ounce box, my movie snack of Milk Duds. None of you know why it's called Milk Duds? Am I having to educate you? 
Am I having to throw out trivia that few, if any of you, have any idea? How many of you have lived in the movies? How many of you constantly were snacking on Juju Beats? Couldn't plenty, plenty good. Couldn't plenty, plenty good. Couldn't plenty, plenty good. Choo Choo Charlie, the engineer, remember, said, couldn't plenty, plenty good. You'd be buying that. And how many of you would fork over, what was it, like three bucks? For a theater box. Notice they call it a theater box. Of milk duds. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So they rousted Weinstein, who, as you know, is a big dude, right? They patted him down. They made him take off all his clothes. He had to touch his toes. They looked up his Hershey Highway. All the things that they do when they think you're smuggling in contraband. Because he had a five-ounce box. Kosher, gluten-free milk duds. You would think that was the biggest crime in the world. And they said this incident has has created a situation in which this client is not exhibiting a model prisoner's behavior. Having possession of a yellowish-orange box that I always remembered Milk Duds were in whenever I'd go to the movie theater on Avenue L in Canarsie. And it was much cheaper than now. If you go online, right, you see Milk Duds. It's like 18 bucks, $40 for the 10-ounce carton. It's a movie snack. How many of you eat Milk Duds to this day? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Should they put Harvey Weinstein, should they put him in the box? Should they put him in punitive segregation because he was caught with illegal contraband in his 8 by 4 foot jail cell in a really bad jail, L.A. County Jail? Or should they put him in protective custody, a.k.a. Punk City? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And calling from the birthplace of the Weinstein brothers. That's right. Flushing is Miguel. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Miguel. Wow, Miguel is gone. He's extricated. What happened? He did the bird. Miguel, you were there. You were flapping your wings. I could see you in the distance. You were like a Boston Baldy. You were like a Homer Pigeon. You were going round and round the WABC coop, like so many of our other callers right now, who have been going round and round, some of them hanging on preciously for a half hour, an hour, two hours, just to get in a word edgewise. Because in this style of talk radio, it's more important what you, the callers, say. What's on your mind? The better a caller you are, the more talk time you get. I get enough talk time, 20 hours on the weekends. ABC stands for the acronym Always Broadcasting, uh, Curtis. There's plenty of time for all of you to talk. Let's go to Sean calling from the Irish Riviera in Rockland County along the Hudson River, Pearl River. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sean. Curtis, you're a crazy lad. You got hmm. Bad, bad Irish imitation. Bad broke. Probably uh, trying to speak Gaelic. Uh, he crash and burn. I remember uh, up there in Gaelic Park, right uh, where the number one train is as you go towards Riverdale, towards Westchester. Oh, yeah, Gaelic Park. I know a lot of you 
this being uh, St. Patrick's Day, the start of the many St. Patrick's Day parades and festivities, will remember gathering up at Gaelic Park. Now, try to find any Irish in that area. You have to go on a search-and-find mission. You'd probably find a needle in a haystack quicker than finding Irish folks up there. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from New Hyde Park. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Mother father was uh, Alan Sherman. That was That's a great song. Yes, you uh, couldn't be more hopelessly right. <laughs> when did you first hear that song, Mike? Oh, when I was a kid. I remember it when I was a kid. I'm uh, I'm 58. I heard that probably in the late 60s when I was a kid. I believe I actually heard it um, when I uh, would watch the Ed Sullivan show, hoping for the little Italian mouse every weekend, Topo Gijo, uh, that Alan Sherman would come on and do that Hello Mother, Hello Father routine, which well, really it went all across the nation. It became a, a top 40 hit. I think it's based on a Rossini piece. I can't remember the name of it, but it's actually that the classical melody is, I'm pretty sure it's Rossini. But um, remember back when WABC was still a music station, um, they would do greatest hits every Christmas. And there were always great song parodies. There was always one great song parody every year in the, like from the early to late 70s. And WABC played them all the time. You know what I'm going to have to do? Uh, dig into our treasure chest, our vault of those classics when we were the number one top 40 station in the nation, spinning stacks of wax, and see if I can revive them and resuscitate them and maybe play like one every uh, Saturday, uh, Sunday or Saturday morning. That would be great. There were so many good ones. There was one about Jaws, I remember. It just it always summed up whatever happened that year, like whatever big movie there was, whatever big news event there was, someone would do a song parody. And uh, there was usually one a year, and ABC played them all the time. I'm wondering, Mike, if uh, I'm on the cusp of planning to do a song parody about a man who has dominated the crime news cycle, the crime blotter in New York City, and it's gone viral across the nation and even across the world in what I call rubbing poops and shooting hoops. That's right. That degenerate up in the Bronx, who was cut loose in one courtroom in the Bronx, only to be cut loose in another courtroom in Brooklyn, almost simultaneously on the very same day, getting a good belly laugh at our expense, and then making a video that went viral that taunts, taunts all of our appointed judges, our district attorneys, assistant district attorneys, elected officials, for not really at all protecting the rights of the victims but rather the rights of the accused to the point where it is so outrageous, you say, the deck the deck is actually stacked, hopelessly stacked in favor of the criminals and not the crime victims. When we come back, I'm going to give you an update on a man who has become synonymous with rubbing poops and shooting hoops. Talk Radio 77 WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Basketball Jones. I got a basketball Jones. Got a basketball Jones. Oh, baby. Ooh. Yes. 
No, it's time. Puff, puff, fast. This is a Cheech and Chong classic here about basketball Jones, uh, who has been reinvented into the rubbing poops and shooting hoops character that has dominated our news cycle. This has been so embarrassing to the city of New York. Shame on Governor Holcomb. Shame on the Attorney General Tish James. Shame on Mayor Eric Adams. Shame on the entire establishment of judges, district attorneys, assistant district attorneys, that they've struck out swinging on a guy who is defiant, who tells judges F you, who exhibits behavior that puts him on the verge of being a loony kazoony from parts unknown, unstable, a screwball, a nut job, and yet he basically goes in and out of the criminal justice system like he owns it, and quite frankly, he does. Let me uh, sort of remind you of who this infamous individual is that is dominating so much of our talk time, and rightfully so. He's a guy who had been busted 44 previous times. 44 being the number of Hank Aaron. Remember 44? Well, that was a positive. His, a negative, except for him, 44 times, and he virtually did no time. So he decided on 241st Street, the last stop of the number two train, uh, to approach a woman who was sitting there waiting for an incoming train. He tried to flirt with her. He basically uh, got wolf tickets and decided that no woman would diss and dismiss him. So he went around into a portable area, decided to uh, take a dump and take his own uh, elimination and rub it in the face of this woman. He was soon arrested, brought into court, Bronx Criminal Court on 161st Street, went before the judge screaming like the lunatic that he is. You would have thought the judge would have said, look, I'm uh, remanding you to jail for your behavior in the courtroom and imposing bail. But no, 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 she didn't. Could have sent him for a psychiatric observation, which he desperately needed at nearby Jacoby Hospital in the Bronx. Chose not to do that. He was hit with multiple charges of harassment, of stalking, of assault, right? You would have thought assault. He gets remanded to Rikers Island. And there is bail imposed. None of that. He was cut loose. Waiting on the outside were uh, detectives of Eric Gonzalez's uh, Gonzalez's, uh, district attorney's office in Kings County in Brooklyn, who were there to transport him to 100 Skimmerhorn Street, process him at Gold Street, and then put him before a judge where he was being charged with a hate crime of attacking a Jewish guy in Crown Heights spitting at him, hitting him, and threatening his life. And again, he put on a show in court. He disparaged the judge, dropped the F-bomb. He was not remanded to jail with bail imposed. He wasn't sent for a psychiatric observation to Kings County in Brooklyn. No, he was cut loose. And so he went up to the Bronx. And even though it says that he's staying in a shelter, boy, in this video, it didn't look like a shelter to me. He might as well have been doing a commercial for Holiday Inn Express. You know how they say, where did you stay last night? Oh, I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express. Well, that's clearly where the rubbing poops and shooting hoop stars stayed. Listen to the video that went viral that made a complete joke of our criminal justice system, our law enforcement 
our judges, our district attorneys, and our elected officials. I'm about to get my hair cut. I'm about to uh, exercise a little bit. I know how I do. 2,000 push-ups and better. Shoot a little bit of hoops. You know, I'm getting a lot of threats, a lot of police watching my back, a lot of people making dirty comments, you know. But anyway, I'm not even feeding into the nonsense like how I started this shit or how they started this shit, should I say, last year. I'm not feeding nobody's pride, nobody's ego. You could comment on my page all you want. I'm about to shoot some hoops. If you want to play some ball, step on the court. If you want to play some baseball, step on the court. You could bring your bat, your big gun, your machine gun, your AR, your AK, your desert, your 9mm, your Ruger, your 38 Special, your 9. You could bring whatever handgun that you want to bring. You could bring whatever knife you want to bring, whatever chain you want to bring. Everybody know Frank does him. I shoot any things that I get my f- hands on you get what i'm saying though but i like to stay positive though ha he likes to stay positive you would have thought a district attorney after seeing that would say hey go out and collar that guy dt's go out and collar him we'll find a series of charges that will get him remanded to jail with bail they didn't and he continued on with this lunacy the species that set the scenario right She'll keep every female in their right mind away from me. And um, we all know that I don't like men. I'm not gay. I don't bend over and I don't go around kissing ass trying to fit in. (laughs) He makes a complete mockery of our government, of our criminal justice system, of our DAs, ADAs, of our cops of our elected officials, of our judges in black regal robes. Remember, they all claim how highly educated they are. They go to night school. They go to graduate school. Some of them have PhDs. They are intellectually stupid, these people. They're intellectually stupid that they would let a guy on the same day cut him loose twice with disappearance tickets and then say he's under supervised release. Do any of the reporters ask the court what exactly is supervised release? Because they're not giving them a bracelet. What is supervised release? Maybe somebody out there can explain that. Somebody who's worked in the court system. Somebody who's worked in the parole system or the probationary system. Because how do you have supervised release? Oh, one of Elon Musk's many satellites that circle uh, Mother Earth, are they trained on him wherever he goes when he shoots hoops? When he defecates and then gives defecation education to the first woman that he sees. Or sees a Jew in uh, Orthodox garb or Hasidic garb and decides to uh, yell uh, at the guy how he's going to kill him. Hit him in the back of the head, knock him down and spit on him. Who knew you could do all of that and then walk right out the door? Can you imagine? He's probably saying to himself, how the hell am I here in this Holiday Inn Express? when I should have been on Rikers Island by now, if not for the first indiscretion, certainly the second one, a hate crime. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Roger calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Raj. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Uh, I'm a first-time caller. I'm listening to you, and and I'm a former veteran. I'm 66 years old, and you want to know something? Has our country lost its mind? Have our leaders or so-called leaders lost their minds uh, because, you know, that's what I'm starting to feel and see. Uh, the scenario uh, the, 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 with this guy, with the feces, 
with Harvey Weinstein. I don't get it. I, I, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I know I'm not. I don't get it. I just don't get it anymore. And, uh, you know, when they compare, going back to Harvey Weinstein with his new thuds, how do you compare a guy like that <laughs> to David Berkowitz? <laughs> but, um, but but think of it. Think of it, Roger. For all the things that Weinstein has done wrong, and there's certainly many, many people that he's taken advantage of, many women, and he got a 23-year sentence for rape and sexual assault, you decide to toss his uh, mattress in L.A. County Jail, which is a despicable place to be. It's not Camp Fed. It's a bad jail. I've been locked up there. And then you nail him for having possession of milk duds, the uh, theater box. He said, he's, for real, is this, why not go after other criminals in that same jail who are bloods and crips, who are planning gang attacks against Sorenos and Norteños, which happens all the time between blacks and Hispanics. And they're, they're basically taking milk duds and they're going to charge him with a crime for that. The guy's already going to be doing triple life without parole, Roger. Yeah, I, 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 I don't get it. I mean, you know, and, and I agree with you. He's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He is where he belongs uh, exactly where, where he should be. But, uh, you know, going back to, uh, you know, comparing uh, to what he did and comparing what Berkowitz did, Berkowitz is up in Sullivan County Correctional Facility now. And he basically has his own ministry. Uh, they give him what he wants. Here's a guy that killed young, innocent people. I, I personally don't think he was the only one that did it, but that's that's my opinion. But, you, you know, and I and you compare things like that, and, and I scratch my head, and I say, I don't get it. I, I, I just don't, you know, the same thing with Bernie Getz, and, and that was, uh, I'm sure you remember Bernie Getz very well when he took it upon himself. Was it Bernie Getz? Uh, uh, the, the, the subway guy who yes. went out and yes. defended himself and yeah, well, let's uh, let, let's uh, Roger bifurcate it. Let's go back to um, Berkowitz, the son of Sam, the forty-four caliber killer. You feel that he may have had help in some of the other shootings that he did when he held all of New York City and the New York City Police Department hostage for over a year. Yeah, I do, Curtis. I do. Ah, so just explain that. Take a little bit of time because you're not the first person to say that. There's a lot of other people I've run across, including some in law enforcement, who say, come on, you believe that one guy, one guy alone, a guy who worked a postal shift at the Central Post Office on 149th and Grand Concourse, he worked a swing shift, uh, so from 4 to 11, and then he'd go out and prowling for victims, uh, that we're supposed to believe that it was he and he alone. It was sort of like the, the same thing, remember, with the, uh, the Oklahoma City bomber, uh, McVeigh. A lot of people say, well, you're not really going to believe that it's only McVeigh who took that truck of explosives, put it next to the federal courthouse and building, and blasted it to kingdom come. So uh, what is it that led you to believe that it had to be more than David Berkowitz, the 44 caliber killer, who, who did all those shootings or arranged uh, all those entrapments? You know, they did, uh, they did composite sketches, if you remember, and I'm sure you do, in the, uh, when, when he was uh, out doing his uh, murders. And you know something? Some of those sketches sure do look like the Carr brothers that were supposedly uh, involved with Berkowitz and his, his cult or whatever it was. 
And I look at some of those composite sketches, and I'm saying, you know what? They look like the Carr brothers. Um, you know, and Berkowitz, for the longest, didn't want to admit or didn't want to talk about the Carr brothers. I think while uh, while the uh, family members were alive, his father was still alive. And he sort of uh, kind of like uh, within the last few years uh, came out and basically said, uh, if I remember right, looking on YouTube, some of his uh, his interviews that he gave, kind of admitted that he wasn't the only one, but he took responsibility for a few of them, but not all of them. You know, it's so interesting. Uh, David Berkowitz was adopted uh, by a Jewish family. That's how he ended up with the name Berkowitz. So when uh, he was caught and he was charged uh, up in Yonkers uh, for being responsible for all those shootings and all those killings, uh, I remember at the time a lot of Jewish people uh, felt it was a shanda. They felt ashamed that it was one of their peeps, one of the chosen people who did this. Uh, it turned out later on we found out that he had been adopted. He was really born a Gentile and was adopted by a Jewish family. Uh, and it's amazing how Jewish people looked at that when one of their own committed a crime like this. They they had collective guilt. They felt like, oh, my God, he has he has caused us grief. People are going to think badly about Jewish people, even though it was one individual who was doing this, as you mentioned, he may have had the uh, assistant of another person, just like Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, probably had assistant of another uh, of another person to do those bombings. And why do you think, Roger, that there's been no attempt uh, to follow up on that? It's almost like slam jam. Thank you, ma'am. David Berkowitz, he's doing time. He's in prison. He has his prison ministry. Leave well enough alone. You know that's that's a good question because I think there's a lot there that that can be uh, can be looked at. And um, you know, obviously, you know, NYPD they were glad the case was closed. They got so much you know worldwide press attention and everything like that. And I think they wanted just to shut the case. We got our guy. It's over. It's finished. You know, let's go back to living our normal lives again, you know. Um, but I, I I still think that, you know, if you, if, if you had somebody that was aggressive and wanted to pursue uh, the uh, the other, uh, you know, the car brother element of it, you know, they might find something. Well, there, I, you know? I, but I, I tell think- you, I, I'll promise you, Roger, I will follow up on that. I lived through that. It was one of my motivations to start the Guardian Angels in 1979. As a night manager at Mickey D's, in fact, uh, if you can, Maestro, uh, I'm going to need a little uh, music uh, to sort of uh, get into my uh, scenario here. Let me get the right kind of music to to get the move into my groove, because that was at the time of disco. It was at the time, uh, give me 86, 86 here, please, Alpha. Uh, It was at the time of disco. I will be playing EDM music here, Russian EDM music. I know it is banned now in the United States, banned by NATO countries, banned by European Union countries. But I must tell you, uh, I am in solidarity with the uh, Zelensky. I am in solidarity with Ukrainian people who are under siege by Vladimir Putin. But I can't give up my Russian EDM, my electronic dance music. I just can't. But it does remind me of the time that I would close that Mickey D's on Fordham Road and Webster at night in the wee hours of the morning. And then I'd go out and hit the clubs and then the after hours clubs. But because the son of Sam was going around and he was shooting women with long, dark hair. 
while either they were in a cul-de-sac or they were outside a club or they were outside the house in which the guy they were with was going to drop them off, women were buying up all the peroxide in the city. It's the first time I ever saw African-American women that were dyeing their hair blonde. And the reason you dyed your hair blonde, you were so paranoid. You were so psyched out that he was seeking out women with long, dark hair did you figure, what do I got to lose to become a peroxide blonde and rule myself out as a victim? One guy who had New York City, all of New York City, and the largest police department in the world, supposedly the most sophisticated, had him by the short hairs. He'd be writing notes to the Daily News to columnist Jimmy Breslin at that time, who would be publishing them, taunting the police, taunting the city. You can't touch me. Like, it's almost like MC Hammer. You can't touch this. And then he would write other letters to the New York Post and a brand new editor who had been brought in from Australia by the brand new owner, Rupert Murdoch, a guy named Steve Dunleavy. And he published those letters. And it became a war, a tabloid war between Jimmy Breslin and the Daily and Steve Dunleavy and the New York Post. And remember, he started first. He started first in the deep bowels of the upper parts of the Bronx, up near the neck, up near the Frog's Neck Bridge, the Whitestone Bridge, those areas around. Then eventually worked his way into Queens, over in the Forest Hills area, and then eventually to Brooklyn. Over a year, he was targeting individuals, and he held this entire city hostage. Until all of a sudden he had parked his car along Shore Parkway, near the Bell Parkway, and got a parking ticket because he had been out there roaming about looking for a new victim. I never knew they wrote parking tickets in uh, late at night, but they did. Luckily, that cop was trying to meet a quota, and that's how they tracked him down to his house in Yonkers to the whole story that he was being ordered to do this by the dog. By the way, what was the name of the dog that was originally, uh, it was implied that the dog, when it was barking, was telling Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, to go out there and kill, kill, kill. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Think of how emasculated we were. Think of how many guys lost their manhood because they, too, were afraid to go out at night. I remember when I would go to the clubs, the normal after-hours clubs, and then the illegal after-hours clubs. There were no women. The women were afraid to go out. And look, I wasn't into dancing with guys. I'm just saying, uh, that's just not me. So it's like, there goes a night at the club. I could have broke it to the... the, the I could have broke it to dawn, to 8 o'clock in the morning. But what was the point? The women had vanished. They were hiding in their homes, fearful of this 44 caliber killer, David Berkowitz. Imagine, he had us by the short hairs, and he taunted us and said, you can't do Jack Diddley squat. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. On that note, let's go to Giuseppe Joe, who's calling from Flushing. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Hey, Curtis. Um, first-time caller. I, I just want to thank you from my, myself and my brother growing up in Flushing right off Union Turnpike, um, 150th Street, that every time we saw the Guardian Angels on the subway, we were ecstatic because <laughs> – Growing up in the early, early, late 70s, early 80s, it was downright frightening at that point. And 
my main the main thrust of my call is to ask you, besides thanking you, is to ask you, in your determination, is the crime that we're seeing and the kind of insane, uh, insane uh, violence and other things that are happening at this moment in New York City, is is that? I know there were more there was more gang related violence back in the 70s and the early 80s when you were really prowling the subways hunting for these guys. Uh, is it worse now, or is it, was it worse then, is my main question to you, because you are deep within all of this. Yeah, well, Giuseppe, Joey, uh, it's different. Uh, for instance, when Rudy Giuliani was elected mayor in 1992, sworn in in 1993, uh, murders were uh, about 2,000 a year, and there were about 5,000 shootings, most of them unsolved. But he was able to... Uh, he was able to get rapid results because of zero tolerance, quality of life initiatives, and prosecuting small crimes as if they were major crimes. He had the assistance of the DAs, the ADAs at that time, not as it is now. So you actually saw progress, even though there was more crime, way more crime back then when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. Because remember, you were coming down from 2,000 murders a year, 5,000, most of them unsolved shootings. But people felt, wow. It's making a difference. The difference now, Joe, is that a lot of these crimes are occurring at the spur of the moment by emotionally disturbed persons. We never had as many before roaming the streets, living in the subways or the parks. We never had as many homeless people who themselves uh, are uh, uh, at times uh, prompted to just trigger off and commit crimes, if nothing more than in their attempt to survive. Uh, having to live in intolerable conditions because they're not being kept in shelters, they're not being given any services, and most importantly, the emotionally disturbed persons are not getting a psychiatric observation and being committed for long-term care so that uh, these lost souls can get their medicine, can get their therapy, can get back on track. I would say those are the differences, Joe. Also in the 80s and 90s, we had the age of crack cocaine in the mid-80s. The crack cocaine monsters were out there uh, beaming themselves up to Scotty and glass pipes. Crack dealers were everywhere. The cops didn't know how to handle that because a crack monster was moving around 24-7-365. They were like nonstop as opposed to heroin junkies who would shoot up and then not out for a few hours before they'd be going back committing, uh, getting into a crime spree in order to feed the beast and feed their habit. So there were a lot of differences. There were also more street gangs back then, very noticeable street gangs who would wear cut-off lead jackets. They tried to imitate the Hells Angels. Uh, they were called the Savage Nomads. Uh, they were called the Savage Skulls, the Black Spades, the Tomahawks, the Jolly Stompers, the Crazy Homicides, and they were in every borough. And they were very noticeable. They didn't just blend into the urban uh, landscape. They they stood out. Uh, and then you had the burned-out buildings. They were everywhere in which uh, drug users and drug dealers would burrow their way in, and they'd start setting up shooting galleries. So the aesthetics, the optics were far worse. You went to the Lower East Side. It was the alphabet jungle from avenues A, B, C, and D, right through Tompkins Square Park to the projects on Avenue D. You'd have people lining up around the block in order to get their P-dope, in order to go in, base heads, who would be free-basing cocaine, shooting up speedballs, which consisted of cocaine and heroin. You'd go up to Hunts Point, um, Brian and Seneca, again, shooting galleries galore. 
So it was a lot more in your face, Joe. It was a lot more violent. But at least you were seeing progress in limiting the crime, whereas now it's just escalating everywhere. Hopefully I was able to give you a, a sort of a good thumbnail sketch of the differences in the two eras. Not only did you give me a perfect sketch of it, I, I lived through some of that when I went to Pratt as a, as a communications design major. I got held up twice at gunpoint with my buddies. We all had to give in our wallets. And when one of my illustration buddies drew exactly what the guy looked like, the cops drove us around. And when the guy walked into one of the crack, crack uh, houses in Bedford Stuyvesant, we said, aren't you going to go after him? And he said, absolutely not. Those guys are stuck to the teeth with way more artillery than we could ever handle. And that was it. So everything you just said is completely gospel to at least my experience growing up in New York. And by the way, I just want to say, Curtis, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not even I'm, I'm actually not even a Democrat. I'm just at this point now I'm sort of independent. I would have voted you in in two seconds. I think the, the choice of mayor in this city is such an absolute disgrace. And it's not that de Blasio wasn't horrible as well. De Blasio was absolutely horrendous. But, you know, this reminds me a little bit of Dinkins, and it's not because of the color of, of, of Eric's skin. It's just that I don't feel safe in the city the way that I would. You become mayor had there been a Giuliani still in power. I just don't feel safe, and I think I speak for a lot of folks who are on the calls with us tonight. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And the disappointment, Joe, of all the people who uh, got wolf tickets, who bought that uh, Kya Kya Downs uh, flip-flop message, Eric Adams, is one thing you learn in life. When you try to please everybody, you please nobody. So one minute he's law and order. Next minute, oh, no, 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 we're going to turn him loose. We're not going to arrest people. There was a formula in how to save the city. Rudy Giuliani created the template. All you had to do is follow it and make a few tweaks. That's what I would have done as mayor. Eric Adams has done nothing but style and profile, get wine dined and pocket lined in the process. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. Many bad habits that are leading to a crime crisis in New York City. We've had a mayor who, when he was running both in the Democratic primary and in the general election against me, pretended to be law and order. He's been nothing having to do with law and order. 
He's had no law and total disorder. And it's amazing because there are situations taking place every day that go from the sublime to the ridiculous. In fact, uh, (laughs) this one, again, uh, decisions made by educated men and women. They've had uh, college uh, educations. Uh, They've uh, had graduate degrees. They've had uh, BAs. They've had PhDs. And they know nothing about nothing. They are just intellectually stupid. Uh, It is so obvious. Let's look at the MTA. MTA, the acronym, stands for Money Taking Agency. So you had this guy who went on a smashing spree at 11, uh, well, two different uh, subway stations, and it affected 11 different uh, subway cars in Brooklyn. Basically busted out the glass, busted out the technology. It costs the MTA, the money-taking agency, not them. It didn't cost them anything because it's us. We subsidize everything. It costs us, the sucker taxpayers, $44,000 in damages. So you would have thought they would have locked up the guy, right? They would say, okay, we're going to have to lock you up because you are a danger to all of our equipment. You go, Obviously, you're a predicate offender. You've done this before. You're going to continue to do this. And you probably have some, uh, some issues. I think a guy who goes around smashing property where he's not really gaining from it financially, it's not like doing a smash and grab. He's just smashing and not grabbing anything. So they don't incarcerate him. They don't put him in prison. They they sue him for $44,000. He lives in a homeless shelter. How, how ludicrous is that? And I'm not talking about the rap guy from Atlanta. I'm talking about how ludicrous is that, that you would actually go to your corporation council... These overpaid lawyers at the MTA money-taking agency that we have to pay for, the sucker taxpayers, and actually convince them to draw up papers, go to civil court to sue a homeless guy for the damages that he created to the MTA system to the tune of $44,000, knowing he'll never be able to pay back a nickel, dime, and penny. Now, Maybe in the chance that he plays uh, Powerball and Lotto, it's a million-to-one shot. He wins. It just ain't going to happen. How crazy is that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Anthony, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. Oh, Curtis, it's good to talk to you. I, I just want to say I... I received that hat you sent me, and I'm really appreciative, buddy. I really am appreciative of you and and all that you do. I really now, now, let me let me ask you a question, Anthony. Uh, which hat are you referring to, Anthony? The one with this seventy with the, your name on it and all, Kurt Guardian Angels and all. I'll be proud to wear. And it's from WABC, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And and you got the uh, the uh, WABC cap with my name on it and the Guardian Angels. Why? What did you do to earn that? Uh, well, I spoke to you the last time, and um, I, I just I, we had a good conversation. I thought, and uh, you just said you're going to send me your hat. And it took uh, how long to arrive from the point of that conversation? 
Uh, I would say maybe about four days. Oh, so within a week, and it came United States Postal Service? Absolutely, absolutely. That's like a miracle, four days. But, <laughs> but you know, Curtis, I, I'm, I'm really concerned about this thing with crime because, you know, the five-bar bicycle tour is coming up, and I want to do it. I haven't done it in years. And, I'm, I, you know, I usually – sometimes I take the subway there and back. I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to train myself to the point where I can ride there and back. How about this, uh, Anthony? Um, uh, what kind of bicycle do you have? Cannondale. I told you the last time. Okay. All right, the Cannondale. That's a damn good bicycle. Um, and what kind of uh, body garb do you have? Do you wear a tight-fitting uh, outfit when you uh, do the five-borough ride? Uh, I, I usually wear – I'm a former competitive cyclist too, so I, I just wear my uh, – my cycling shorts, a jersey, and everything like that, you know. But it'll probably be chilly that morning, so I'll probably wear tights. All right, well, this is what you do. Uh, you put a sheath on your back, and you put in a sharp samurai sword. You remember the movie Kill Bill, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so instead of you walking around with the sheath on your back, you're riding that bicycle, and if anybody comes up to you, I mean anybody, and tries to harm you or any of the other bicyclists, you take that samurai sword out of that sheath and you slice them up like boar's head bologna right on the spot. I would love to, buddy, but then I'll be in jail. No, nobody goes to jail nowadays, Anthony. That's the benefit. Oh. Nobody goes to jail. You see, the system has so collapsed uh, collapsed, anarchy prevails, that nobody goes to jail. So uh, let's say you did real physical damage to this perp, this uh, guy who was a predator, who was causing uh, you problems and your fellow bicyclist problems. Uh, you would be charged with a felony. It would be downgraded to a misdemeanor. You would go before the judge with my advice and you would say, you know something, judge, why do we need to continue this? And then I have to come back. The ADA has to come back to police officers. I'll just cop to a disorderly conduct, which is a violation. Uh, the paperwork disappears within uh, six months. And guess what? You have no record, Anthony. Yeah, yeah, I wish, but the thing is, though, I guarantee you, if, if, if the perp is black and I'm, and I'm white and Hispanic, I guarantee you they're going to try to lock me up. Believe it or not, Anthony, I know in the past your complexion would not have been your protection. Uh, the entire criminal justice system would have been geared down to turn you into a Ku Klux Klan nutnik, a white supremacist, and one who needs to do time for the crime you committed. But now, Anthony... Nobody does time. Everybody gets cut loose. Oh, boy. It's now, now don't, don't get caught, though, going into a, uh, a Metroplex, uh, a uh, movie theater, and stealing a box of milk duds, because that might be considered a capital offense, Anthony. <laughs> and it puts you to death for that. <laughs> you know... You don't want to commit a, a Harvey, Harvey Weinstein offense. I'm telling you, the guy was in an eight-by-four-foot eight cell, L.A. County. Bad lockup. I've been locked up there. Really bad. Gangs everywhere. And they found milk duds underneath his, his – he's got a really small, light mattress. 
and they're now wanting to add additional time. He's already doing 25 years for rape, sexual assault, abusing women. Can you imagine this? They're making this a major capital offense that somehow he smuggled in milk duds. Oh, boy. You see what we're dealing with? And the other thing I want to make mention, uh, we do two mornings the other side of midnight. I'm on Saturday mornings from 1 to 6, and then obviously now Sunday morning from 12 midnight to 6. Anthony was able to earn himself a WABC Curtis Sleeper Guardian Angel baseball cap that hopefully you will wear proudly, Anthony. You received it within four days. It was a miracula, miraculous. United States Postal Service delivered it in four days. Do you know, Anthony, there are still some people waiting for Frank Morano for the prizes that he had promised them over the uh, past few years? I'm not surprised. I'm and, not surprised. And you know, the answer always is, well, it's in the mail. Yeah, yeah. You know something? One more thing, Curtis. Though, I would, I would love to be able to hire you for a bodyguard for the day. I really would. Let me tell you something, Anthony. And I would love jumping on a thug, hitting him so hard his mother would feel the vibrations, having him suck that asphalt in front of the other bicyclists, picking up your Cannondale. I would say, Anthony, excuse me, I need this Cannondale while this guy is laying prostate on the ground, sucking the asphalt. And picking because the Cannondale's a big bicycle, and then slamming it down on him. <laughs> I love talking to you, Curtis. I really do. Now, Ant- Anthony, your fellow bicyclists, you know, they'll give me a standing ovation, won't they? Yes, absolutely, we will. Absolutely. You don't go picking up any bicyclists, although I'm not going to call it my city like Eric Adams, you know, my city, my police, my what? Well, what do you mean? It's ours, not not his. I really wish you would have been mayor. I voted for you and all, and I, re- I really wish you would have been mayor. Well, you know something? I'm going to start uh, by the 90th day. That's three months. The honeymoon period will be over. I think I'm going to start printing out uh, bumper stickers that say, don't blame me, I voted for Sliwa. That's right. I think I think they'll go like hotcakes. I think so, too. I really think so, too, Curtis. Well, do appreciate that, Anthony. And thank you for being uh, so quick to explain the difference between when Curtis Sleewa gives you a free booby prize, don't ask, don't tell, because we throw nickels around like manhole covers. Normally, if it was left to me, uh, I would take my belly button lint, uh, hermetically seal it in an envelope with uh, scotch tape around and around, and send it to your COD, cash on delivery. You pay for it, sucker. I mean, uh, recipient. In this case, uh, the rules, Anthony, uh, by WABC, the management, the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, no belly button lint. We will send them the uh, the cap, uh, and then hopefully you will style it and profile it out there pr- proudly, Anthony. Absolutely. Absolutely, sir. But I'm like I said, I'm glad I got to talk to you. And my best to you and your wife and the kitty cats. So I, I have my cats, too. Oh, how many cats do you have, Anthony? I have two rescue kitty cats right now. I can't afford any more. No, no, that's good. You see, if I had been elected mayor, uh, I would have been able to issue snap cards to those who would have been willing to take in more unwanted dogs and cats who would be slaughtered in the shelter system if they weren't claimed within 72 hours. A simple snap card that can only be used for pet supplies, for vet visits, and naturally for pet food. 
And, boy, we would have been able to save a lot more of our animal friends and, and our animal family members. You know, there's some people, Anthony, like yourself, if they're on a limited budget, like in your case, you can only take care of two. Sometimes people have to sacrifice their family member, their little furry friend, because they can't even afford any longer to feed them or care for them. They have to bring them to the shelter they have no idea that the shelters in New York City, if those, those dogs or cats are not claimed within 72 hours, they will be killed. They will be destroyed. They will be euthanized. That's so heartbreaking. I can't, that's so heartbreaking, Curtis. But like I said, I'm thankful to you and your wife, Nancy, and all, and, and all that you do. For, you know, I always listen to on, on, uh, on the Sunday nights, you know, with the, with the, animal, oh. you know, the animal Hour. You know, that's the most listened-to segment of the 20 hours that I do on the weekends when WABC stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. People wait. Uh, they queue up. They start calling early. They want to talk to Nancy, our animal uh, welfare expert, uh, the woman who rescues so many cats and has been doing it for so many years, first in Sunset Park, which he has cat colonies in Brooklyn, uh, and now throughout the five boroughs of the city of New York. If any of you are interested in any information about animal welfare, about how you can adopt these uh, cats and dogs before they destroy them in the uh, shelter system of New York. What a disgraziata. What a shanda. We spend millions of tax dollars to destroy these furry little friends. Uh, and they never tell you that. Uh, every time when I went out on the campaign and I explained to people, you know, your tax dollars are being used to destroy cats and dogs within the first 72 hours of their stay in a shelter. People were in shock. They're only allowed to live for 72 hours unless somebody claims them. Yep. And naturally, if the animals have any kind of physical problems or they've gotten older, they start developing the same kind of problems that we have. Diabetes, tension, high blood pressure, a whole list of human-like medical conditions. Would we destroy human beings if all of a sudden they were incapable of taking care of themselves. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said a society that does not take care of its animals does not take care of its people. Look at it. Look at New York City, filled with homeless people, filled with emotionally disturbed persons that we don't care for, that are lost souls. And then look at how we treat animals who are surrendered into the shelter system or found in the streets or feral cats who are taken from their colonies. Uh, that's an illegal take because they're outdoor cats providing a service. Uh, they're deterring the growth of the rat population, rodent population, mice, mouse population. It's a natural way. It's Mother Nature's way of balancing the populations in the animal community. No, they want to use pesticides. They want to use poisons. Eric Adams, when he was Brooklyn Borough President, was drowning rats and laughing about it. My God, what a masochist. And that doesn't work. Or they put dry ice in the holes in the lairs, and that doesn't work. And then the the uh, the poisons that they put into the atmosphere, they put into the dirt, they put into the lairs, they get absorbed into the uh, air, they get absorbed into the water system. It ends up poisoning other animals. It's a horrible death. They are they implode. Dogs, birds, other animals in the animal kingdom, and then the rats. What happens to them? Just like human beings develop an immunity to certain pharmaceutical products, 
they develop an immunity to all of these poisons made by Dow Chemical. It's endless. And if I had been given an opportunity to be mayor, I would have put a stop to that. But that doesn't mean four years. Four years, Eric Adams, he's going to damage our city. There's no doubt about it. We've already seen the hors d'oeuvre. We've already tasted it. We know what's going to be in the entree. I'll take him on again, and hopefully people will have armed. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tommy, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Don't blame me. I voted for Curtis. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make bumper stickers. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to make bumper stickers, and we're going to offer it to all of the uh, listeners here at WABC and others. The last time I talked to you, you said you were going to give me one when you got it. Anyway, I remember, you remember when I said this? This is Midnight Madness with your host, Curtis Sliwa, Theater of Mind, WABC New York. That is excellent. That is excellent, Tommy. You got to change the name of your show. You gotta, you gotta dump, you gotta dump the midnight man, and you gotta dump the uh, after midnight thing. You gotta go with the new one. Well, you know why I have to do it because it's synonymous to what Frank Morano does. The other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from one to five. Uh, so I, I don't want it to be perceived that I'm pimping his ride on the weekends. You're right. I have to, I have to create a new name for the two mornings that I do at this point, what is considered the other side of midnight. But, uh, Tommy, you are so correct. We've got to change the name of it. Yeah, I got another thing. You know, your buddy uh, there, uh, Eric Adams, he said that the New York York, uh, Police Department had arrested some 140 people over the weekend or something like that. And you know Bragg let them out like two hours later, and they were back on the subway again. (laughs) They got their swag bag, too. They, They get released. And they get a uh, an Alvin Bragg swag bag in which they're told uh, down at the tombs uh, or at the local precincts, here is your Alvin Bragg swag bag. Please visit the nearby Walgreens, CVS, or uh, Dwayne Reed and take whatever you want. Don't worry about it. There are no consequences. You know your buddy Steve that calls all the time, you hang up on him, what do you say, Buchanan, 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 whatever? Yes. He, he's got somebody else doing it. I'm telling you, last night, I heard a different voice. It was a different cadence. I knew it was somebody different. Ah, so he it's like a tag team now. Yeah, I think there's more. There might be more than one, but at least I know the guy last night, the last, in the end of the show, the one not the beginning of the show, the one at the end of the show, he was definitely different because he said it like do you, times. Do you he, think uh, Steve, who has been on the radio as long as I've been, even longer, he goes back to... Uh, the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, when he dominated the airwaves in the afternoons, cloned his own? Hmm, maybe. Could be. But it sounded like it sounded like a, a, a like a different guy with like a younger voice. I mean, you know what we're gonna uh, do? We have a oscillator uh in the back that our uh, crack engineer uses. Unfortunately, he's too often uh, getting serviced at Bada Bing next to our Tower of Power in Lodi, you know, brumskis and lap dances by the uh, girly girls. Uh, But the oscillator can definitely do that. It can verify. It can do verifications of the intonation of a voice. So we'll put it through the oscillator. Put it through it. I got a joke. You think I can say a joke about that Viagra you were talking about earlier? Well, of course, because when a, a a guy is not able to perform, 
That's why uh, they keep promoting Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, and keep texting it and keep advertising it to the point where guys are dreaming about it 24-7-365. (laughs) Well, this guy goes to the doctor on Friday. He says, listen, doc, I got three dates this week, and I need some of the blue pills. He says, sure, no problem. So Monday morning, he comes into the doctor. He's got his arm in in a sling. What happened? He goes, none of my dates showed up. <laughs> that was good. That was good, Tommy. That was good. Yeah. Then I have to change this. Uh, the Other Side of Midnight. Uh, can you uh, find that song, The Other Side of Midnight, a song? Uh, David Crosby specially um, created that from Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young when uh, uh, I actually took the back of um, Neil Young, O Canada, uh, and uh, Mitchell, Joni Mitchell, who's also from Canada, who uh, took on Spotify and said, take take all of our uh, listed songs off the Spotify playlist if you're going to continue to carry Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan was making $100 million at that point. We, we come to learn later on he's making $200 million. And then he was joined by Stephen Stills and then uh, bad boy David Crosby. Here's the song. Uh, let's listen to a little bit. It's specially made for me. In a different place. She took my hand as the heaven spark. Said nothing starts till the work is done. A faint light shone in her eyes. I wasn't frozen or petrified. We started. So good. So good. How does the love light shine from so high above? Tell me. In one moment, my faith was seen. So good. I'm going to have to park that, put it on the uh, top shelf, Uh, mothball it. I'm going to have to change the name of this, uh, the weekend version of The Other Side of Midnight. I can't have the same name that Frank Morano has because, look, uh, let me be perfectly blunt. Frank Morano has scored an outstanding ratings number, more so than anybody who ever did overnight radio here, talk radio, 77 AM, WABC, in the history, since we were spinning stacks of wax and then uh, flipped the, the format. He did better than Alvin, uh, uh, hmm, Alan B. Combs. Boy, we miss him badly, Alan B. Combs. He was so good overnight. It was theater of the mind. He had great re- ratings. He talked about uh, whether there were ants uh, on the 110th uh, floor deck of the Empire State Building and alligators in the sewers. Theater of the mind. 
And then naturally there was that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, uh, Art Bell, who grew up the son of the building superintendent in the Fourth Ward of Patterson, up the hill, down the hill. He was familiar. He used to listen to Long John Nebo and Candy Jones on WMCA when it was the number one news talk station in our tri-state area. And then he dominated, and he had huge ratings. But nobody has ever had bigger ratings than Frank Morano in the overnight. And why did that happen? Because I ended up coming on for the Saturday morning edition and the Sunday morning edition, and the ratings soared, and he will not give me any credit. I'm one-third of the time. Think of it. Saturday mornings, start adding it on your abacus from 1 to 6, that's 5 hours, Sunday morning, 12 midnight to 6, that's 6 hours, that's 11 hours. He does 20 hours, that's one-third, right? One-third. And he will not at all credit me for the increase in the ratings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to appeal to John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator of Red Apple Media, the parent company of WABC, uh, and a great talk show uh, host in his own right. In fact, he's uh, coming up at 8 o'clock in the morning, his roundtable discussion, which will also include the Mamaluka Mangaluch and the Mashad uh, Frank Morano. And I'm going to request of him and Chad Lopez, our capital de tutti, our general manager, our program director, Matt Meany, and others that I be able to change the name for the weekend edition. Our caller made a lot of sense that that's really what should be done. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. He's baking, all right. Man, that guy is so weeded out. Hey, he caused that stampede at the uh, Astrodome there. Yeah, him and Drake, right? Meantime, ended up going to a strip, uh, strip club, putting those $100 bills into those uh, shimmy shimmy outfits. Sort of like uh, what our... Uh, Head engineer is doing right now, Dan the Man, out in Lodi at Bada Bing, right? They shimmy, 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 and they're putting $100 bills. It's like uh, right from a Philly roll, $100 on top, and then all those singles underneath. But the reason I play this song, it's a lead-in to what uh, is big business around the city. I don't know if you're aware in your neighborhood, if you happen to live in the five boroughs of the city of New York, guys uh, who are weed dealers have decided to cop a spot in a parked car, they keep the engine on all night long, and it's like uh, they don't got to pay <laughs> any insurance. They don't got to pay uh, or lease any space. They just steal right out of their car. So what's happened now is they're competing against one another, especially up in Inwood and Washington Heights. 
where you can go on some blocks and there's more uh, weed dealers dealing out of parked cars than there are those fake, phony, fraudulent uh, COVID test vans. Like, what the hell are they still doing out on the streets, those COVID test vans, right? Have you seen anybody walking up and getting a COVID test of late? And these people are getting paid, like, what, $35 an hour just to sit there and, uh, you know, add to their Facebook uh, items of what they had for breakfast? What a ripoff for money. When's the last time you actually saw anybody walk up to these vans that are all over the city to give you a free COVID test? Can anybody tell me if they've seen anybody access the many vans that offer you free COVID tests that are parked all over the city? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Although every time I walk around and I see these weed guys or these weed gals in their parked cars, they're doing boffo business. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to uh, B, who's calling from New York City. Your turn to be heard here at WABCB. Hi, Curtis. I've been listening to you for so many years. Thank you so much for what you do for the city. My pleasure. And by the way, where are you calling from, B? Well, right now I'm in a really bad place because I'm a caregiver. I'm in uh, the Bronx right now, physically. Hmm. And you said you were a what? I'm a caregiver right now. Huh. So I'm, okay. I'm living in, um, I stay most of the time in uh, your old hood in oh. the Bronx. Okay. And uh, where did you go to high school growing up? Growing up, I went to Avanda Childs High School on Gun Hill Road. Wow. Avanda Childs with that Olympic style swimming pool in the back. Yeah. And by the way, when you went there, did they, did you have to go through two metal detectors in order to get into the school? No, I'm dating myself. (laughs) I didn't know. Now you got to go through two metal detectors. Yes, and it's broken up. They have specialty schools right now. It's a different world now, Curtis. Completely is. Remember, you used to have uh, uh, the school you went to, other schools that were in the city. Sometimes they have as many as 4,000 students in one school. Uh, Dewey Clinton on Mashula Parkway, the opposite side of the Bronx, uh, uh, on the West Bronx, uh, from where you were in the East Bronx, uh, 4,000 people. Uh, nowadays, like you said, they break it up to, into little campuses because they say it's not manageable when you have 4,000 students coming to one campus. How is it they did it before, B, and they claim they can't do it now? I know, I know. And I, too, like so many of your other callers, voted for you, and I had everybody voting for you. With everybody calling up, I don't know how you didn't make it, Curtis. We wanted you to be mayor so badly. Well, you know what? Uh, This guy is uh, off to a lousy start, uh, which has given me motivation to say, you know, bide my time, continue to do what I do all over the world, regionally, throughout the United States, and locally with the Guardian Angels and on talk radio, and uh, give it another whirl. Uh, Challenge him in four years. Maybe you'll run for another type of office. Did you think about that? Oh, I, I amassed all the time. They wanted me to run for the Swazi seat. Uh, Tom Swazi's running for governor in the Democratic primary against Kathy Hochul. Uh, so uh, he left his congressional district, which they botulized when they redid the lines. It actually starts in Suffolk, goes into Nassau, a little squiggle through the Bronx, a little squiggle through Queens, and then it goes through Westchester all the way up to Rye. And you say, what is this, a Rorschach test? 
absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah, people are constantly coming up to me suggesting that I run for different public offices, but I think I could best serve as mayor of the city of New York because whoever thought be in our wildest dreams, we always thought, well, Eric Adams will at least do a better job than Comrade Bill de Blasio. In his first eight weeks, he's done worse. Well, I see it firsthand where I'm staying right now. It's it's real bad, real bad. I had a homeless guy come up to me at the intersection of University and Fordham Road, your old hood. Yep. And um, it was really bad. He was homeless, and he was begging me for money, and I kept moving. And I don't know what would have happened. And there was a young Hispanic guy that was double parked on University, and he came out. He said, leave that woman alone and get away from her or I'll blank you up. So the guy walked away. But I really shudder to think what would have happened if that guy didn't come back. He he just he wouldn't let me move. He just was just trying to get money. It's real bad here now. Unfortunately, it is so bad in so many parts of the city. But you actually were responding to the many trivia questions that I, I give out in the course of the six-hour program. Which one uh, did you want to answer? I believe that uh, the, the dog with, that uh, was giving supposedly uh, giving um, the son of Sam the uh, vibes was named Harvey. Is that correct? Harvey, you mean like Harvey Weinstein? Yes, C. Hmm, C, yeah, Harvey. Why is it, uh, I think you're wrong. I'd like you to be right, B, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you take a test and you fail a test and all of a sudden the teacher decides, you know, uh, you you had a, uh, uh, you had a uh, massive, Mastoid infection. So uh, I'm going to give you another chance to take this test. You know, we come up with something wild and crazy to give you an opportunity. Uh, you think uh, the dog was named Harvey? Hmm. Yes. Why, why, why am I thinking that's incorrect? You see, I think you're confused with me having spoken so much of Harvey Weinstein getting busted for having uh, in L.A. County Jail a a theater box of milk duds. And by the way, B, while you're at it, while I try to figure out if you're right or wrong or it's somewhere in between mezzo mezzo or poco poco, do you know why it's called milk duds? No. That Trevor one, I don't know. Well, I want, I'm going to put you on hold, uh, uh, B. Uh, put her on hold. Try to figure this one out. I'm having a bit of an uh, intellectual quagmire. So I'm thinking of milk duds. I'm actually, wow, conjuring up the taste for milk duds now, as if I'm in a movie theater. Remember, a lot of them have been closed down all during this lockdown and pandemic. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Why is it called milk duds? There's a rationale. There's a reason for that. Why is it called D-U-D-S? That should be a tip in and of itself. And again, what was the name of the dog? Of the son of Sam, the 44 caliber killer, David Berkowitz, who supposedly was giving him his instructions at night when he would. All you heard was a dog howling. But you never, ever heard exactly what that dog was saying to David Berkowitz. And in that nearby cemetery, what was going on in that nearby cemetery? Many people believe that there were satanic situations that were unfolding and taking place, ceremonies 
involving uh, witches and wiccas and also a little bit of Santeria, it being Yonkers, of course. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bob in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Hey, Curtis. Yes, Bob. Huge fan of yours. A huge fan of Art Bell. What did you and your callers do to him in, like, 2004, 2005? I was listening to an old radio broadcast to him, and he's like, I have Curtis Sliwa's listeners trying to get me exercised off the radio. (laughs) Yes, uh, what I would do was break FCC rules and regulations, Bob. Thank you for remembering. I would actually break in to the Art Bell Show. I'll never forget the program director at that time at the old WABC when we were at uh, 32nd uh, off 7th Avenue on the 17th floor, Madison Square Garden. Came over to me one time, and I was on from uh, 10 to 2. And then he said to me, uh, I got good news for you, and I got bad news for you, Curtis. And I said, well, why don't you give me the bad news first? He goes, you know, Art Bell, that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, is doing so well from coast to coast that we're going to take one of your hours and give it to Art Bell, which means you'll have one less hour to do, which you can get a little more sleep in the wee hours of the morning. And, Bob, I took great umbrage to that. It felt that was a direct attack on my radio broadcasting ability because I actually heard uh, Art Bell from Pahrump, Nevada, a one-traffic light town outside, way away from Las Vegas. You could see the lights twinkling in the distance down the road, the chicken shack where prostitution was legal. And I heard this, this sort of, what can I call it? It was from the stomach. He was screaming as if a lizard was deep within the embers of his soul. And that's when I launched Radio Jihad. This was before the attack of 9-11, so you could use the term Jihad. I launched a Radio Jihad against Art Bell. And every chance I had, I cut into his nationally syndicated program, I went out to the Bada Bing, not to get a Brumski and a lump, uh, a uh, lap dance, but rather to go into the pillbox of Lodi, New Jersey, and actually take over the broadcast. There were complaints to the Lodi Police Department. Bob, they actually came to the location, withdrew their guns out of their holsters because I was breaking federal law by being in that property and interfering with the FCC signals and threatened to charge me with federal crimes, Bob. Did you ever go to Lodi Pizza, though? Yes, uh, although uh, Art Bell, understanding that it was great theater of the mind, great radio, called off the authorities, said that the FCC should not be getting involved, that he was actually a part of this, which he really wasn't, Bob. He, he had my back. I could have been in really serious trouble. It was a serious violation to break in to an existing radio program and uh, broadcast over it. He, he, he talked about you jokingly, and he talked about you like he, you guys were friends. But it was so funny to listen to an old broadcast and hear 
Curtis Lee with listeners are trying to exercise me off the radio. I did a program in which I took some of his uh, sycophants, totals, and lackeys, people who identified themselves as hardcore Art Bell listeners. And the reason you knew that, they bought all of his products. You may have remembered he advertised the Beijing wind em up radio. He advertised uh, that you buy foodstuffs that could survive a nuclear blast because it was the time of Y2 chaos, and he was promoting that a mile a minute. And uh, I will tell you uh, that at that particular time, uh, I also took it upon myself to go down to the Today Show. Right there at Rockefeller Center, he was on, I forget who, uh, I think it was Matt Matt Lowry who was uh, interviewing uh, before he got involved in Schlonggate. Uh, and um, I had signs out. I was holding signs saying Art Bell is the Antichrist. So an entire audience across America watching the Today Show in the morning saw Curtis Lee were holding up a sign that said Art Bell is the Antichrist. Everybody was horrified. They were humiliated. Uh, management wanted to fire me. They said, how could you do that? And Art Bell again intervened and said, no, that's great theater of the mind. You know what he's going to do for me? He's going to help sell more books for me. Oh, he was the best. And, by the way, he had a book signing that day uh, just down the block at the uh, Barnes & Nobles uh, before Amazon uh, took over the industry and destroyed it. But Barnes & Nobles, the the, the lines went uh, two, around the block, two. People were waiting for hours. And I was going up and challenging the people and saying, don't. Don't. All you're doing is you're promoting Satan's will with Art Bell. You're buying that book. It's like buying a book of witchcraft. People were getting into arguments with me. They were calling the cops on me. They were saying that I was trespassing on their space. They couldn't believe that I would be making such outrageous charges against Art Bell. And then Art Bell on the radio uh, later that day said, no, 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 that's Curtis. Let him be Curtis. It's great. It's great radio. Listen to the old podcast, or the radio broadcast, and now he's talking about nuclear war in 2004. They're like, well, what if Putin ever wants to take over the USSR again? The whole thing that he talked about is actually happening now. It's unbelievable. I love listening to him. I love radio because of you and because of him. It's I, I, I hope radio never goes away. And by the way, I'm a DJ. I know you're into the EDM and all that. I DJ one of the longest-running clubs in Newark right now, 30 years, QXT, right across the street from the courthouse and the Prudential Center. If you ever want to come down, we'll make you dance. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, how old are you, Bob? I just turned 53 in January, and I'm a stage three cancer survivor. All right, so I've got you by a few years. I'll be 68 on March 26. Uh, Do you remember anything about, in Newark, the old club Zanzibar? Frankie Knuckles, uh, Tony Humphreys, absolutely. My sister saw Grace Jones there. And by the way, she got naked. Go figure. Grace Jones getting naked. Never. <laughs> God, that would make me want to projectile vomit. <laughs> so here it is, white guy from New York City, 
with my platform shoes, my polyester waffle weave flame retardant shirts, should have been cotton, not polyester, and my bell-bottom pants, taking the PATH train over to Penn Station in Newark, walking over to the club Zanzibar, getting out on the dance floor, twisting, twirling, churning, swirling. All of a sudden, there were some brothers there who were saying, where's that guy from? He's from New York. And you know how guys who are in Newark, you know, they were envious of people in New York. So they said, we got, we got to teach this white boy a lesson. He's coming on the dance floor. He's dancing with all the sisters here. That was the time, Bob. Feet don't fail me now. I'm running with those marshmallow shoes on, those Elton John shoes, those uh, Parliament Funkadelic uh, Clinton-style uh, shoes, not Bill Clinton, but Clinton from the Parliament Funkadelics. The, 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 the heels break off. Um, tearing down Market Street, uh, down Broad Street, in order to avoid being annihilated by brothers from Newark. And I barely make it to Penn Station, get on the PATH train, get all the way back to New York and say, thank you, feet don't fail me now. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Bob, awesome. I, want, I want you to wait on the uh, line. Camilla will get your information. I will take you up on that. I will travel anywhere in the world because uh, I am not now permitted to play Russian EDM. This is a moral dilemma for me because I so love my EDM. Now, could you uh, cue up Maestro uh, 86, the Alpha Squad? This is so important because any moment now I will get a call from uh, Chad Lopez, the Capo di Tutti here, the general manager of WABC, pull it from my playlist uh, as the uh, boycott against all Russian products continue because of their invasion into uh, the Ukraine. Could get a call on the red phone. We have a red phone directly into the studio by Matt Meany, our program director, that orders uh, our staff here to immediately etch a sketch this uh, song away, this uh, Russian EDM song. Uh, I, uh, I am prepared to fall on the sword for this. You cannot take my Russian EDM away. Look, uh, Israeli EDM is great. Russian EDM is great. French EDM, Dutch EDM, Swedish EDM, American EDM. You cannot take my Russian EDM away. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice all else that is Russian. I won't go to the Russian tea room any longer. Only been there one time in my life. But I'll swear off ever going to the Russian tea room right next to Carnegie Hall. I'll swear off ever eating, uh, well, Caviar, which I almost never do. Russian caviar. Sturgeon. Russian sturgeon. I'll do all of that. But please, don't take my Russian EDM. Our, ne- our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We've yet to get an answer. B is still holding on the line to see if, in fact, she is correct about the name of the uh, son of Sam Dog, who was owned by the landlord. She said it was Harvey. I think she's confusing that with the discussion we had about milk duds. Harvey Weinstein, and none of you have ever called yet to explain why it's called milk duds, D-U-D-S. The explanation of that is in the spelling of that word, milk duds. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Vegas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Robert. Uh, I've only been waiting two hours. Only two hours? Only two hours. Well, you know something? If something is top shelf five star, wouldn't you wait three or four or five hours or more? I guess I would. Especially Uh, if it's free. If it's F-R-E-E, free, that should be music to your ears, Robert. Yes. You're not going to like what I have to say. How do you know that in advance of saying it? Uh, why are you prejudging me? Why are you profiling what I'm I'm going to think uh, about what you say? Because it seems you have sour grapes towards the mayor. Ah, a defense of the mayor. Go for it. You you have plenty, plenty of time to defend him. Go ahead. I'd like to know what you would do if you were mayor that the mayor hasn't done. Oh, what I would do? I would actually put police officers on the subway cars who would be walking up and down the way they did years ago when Eric Adams himself was a transit police officer for 10 years. And that would make things better. Oh, it would definitely improve the cir- the circumstance on the moving trains. You don't you don't see cops on the moving trains at all. And he promised that they would be there. But do you think the crime rate would go down? Uh, yeah, slowly it would start going down. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it was in, uh, it was important that Eric Adams listened to his mentor, who was former police commissioner Bill Bratton, who said, you should never have overpromised how you were going to drive crime down in the subways overnight, uh, not based on the plan you had and the fact that your brand-new police commissioner has been missing in action. We really haven't seen her the last few weeks. But that's not Adams' fault. Well, why? He's not permitting her to be front and center to take control of the police department. How do you know that? Well, it's obvious. Uh, If you're uh, unveiling a new plan to take back the subways and get help for the emotionally disturbed and the homeless and eliminate uh, as much crime as possible on the subways by having more uniformed police officers down there, don't you think the police commissioner would be down there, would be leading the effort and not the mayor? What about the borough president? Well, borough presidents are just ribbon cutters. Uh, they do nothing. I mean, what did Eric Adams do for eight years as Brooklyn borough president? He was powerless. Crime was at an all-time high in Brooklyn. I don't blame him for that. But the, in reality, is what what do borough presidents do other than take up space uh, cost us a lot in the budget, and cut ribbons each day. But you're going to keep hammering away at the mayor no matter what happens. No, no. If things obviously improve, uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, when I gave my concession speech, uh, Robert, which was 15 minutes after the polls closed, uh, I was ge- very generous in urging everybody to get behind Eric Adams because uh, we had to give him our support. This The city is in such desperate need. Uh, but he talked a good game. He said he would be the law and order mayor, and yet crime continues uh, to get worse than it was before. Uh, he has not focused his uh, and made it a priority of his administration, Robert. He's more interested in telling us what we should eat to have a healthier lifestyle as opposed to to avoiding becoming the victim of lead poisoning, which could lead to instant death. I voted for Eric Adams. 
Oh, okay. All right. So you're one of the reasons that I'm not mayor today. I've never voted for a Republican except for Bloomberg. Oh, and would you reconsider that if things continue to get worse? I consider it, yes, but uh, New York is a Democratic city. No, there's uh, no doubt the registration rate is now 8 to 1. Many of the Republicans who previously lived here have either passed to the hereafter or moved uh, south of the uh, Mason-Dixon line of Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee. Uh, But there are lots of independents. Many of the younger people who register now do not have a party affiliation. They're free agents. They're independents. Okay. See, see, uh, you can continue to support Eric Adams, but I want you to be able to look uh, month after month, year after year. Uh, And if he doesn't deliver on his promises, if we're actually worse with Eric Adams uh, in total than we were with Bill de Blasio after eight years, you think you might consider voting for me the next time, Robert? Uh, If uh, you ran as uh, a uh, other than a Republican. Well, you know what? My fellow Republicans have treated me so shabbily, so (laughs) have treated me like an outlier, uh, act like they don't even want to be seen with me. That may well be what I have to do, which is run as an independent, which I've always been a free agent myself. Stay tuned to see what I'm going to be doing in the future. It became a freed man, as they called him back then. But if you work hard, that's it. The bottom line, wake up in the morning, work hard. It's a great country. Frederick Douglass, it's amazing to me that there hasn't been a movie made about this man in the past up until now. I mean, he was so articulate, people began to doubt that he was actually a former slave at one point. And his relationship with a man named, people don't know this name as well, John Brown, the guy who led the attack on uh, Harper's Ferry, I believe it was, Harper's Ferry in what is now West Virginia, his relationship with Frederick Douglass, that people don't know about this stuff, to me is mind-boggling. This is the stuff of movies. Download all of Red Apple Media's podcasts right now through your favorite podcast platform. On your your radio. Always entertaining, you guys. On the 77 WABC app and on all your devices. Play 77 WABC. This is Curtis Sleva. For more than 30 years, when cancer is the issue, my number one source for straight cancer information, guidance, and treatment is Dr. Lederman. Dr. Lederman is cutting edge and the first in America with non-invasive, no-cutting, no-bleeding, highly successful body radio surgery for new and reoccurring cancers. Even if prior chemo, surgery, or radiation didn't work, isn't tolerated or wanted. For prostate cancers... He's the one, and I know best from my personal experience, avoiding radical robotic surgery and all of its many complications. He's a prostate cancer body expert, breast, lung, pancreas, liver, kidney, and more. Conveniently located at 38th and Broadway, accepts most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid. Dr. Liederman's exemplary prostate cancer treatment with better results, sexual and urinary life, and avoiding deforming surgery are best for you. Call Dr. Lederman. 212 Choices. That's 212 Choices. Radio 77 WABC. 
Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Hey, cause that stampede at the uh, Astrodome there. Yeah, him and Drake, right? Meantime, ended up going to a strip uh, strip club, putting those hundred dollar bills into those uh, shimmy shimmy outfits, sort of like uh, what our uh, head engineer is doing right now, Dan the Man, out in Lodi at Bada Bangs, right? They shimmy, 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 and they're putting $100 bills. It's like uh, right from a Philly roll, $100 on top, and then all those singles underneath. But the reason I play this song, it's a lead-in to what uh, is big business around the city. I don't know if you're aware in your neighborhood, if you happen to live in the five boroughs of the city of New York, guys uh, who are weed dealers have decided to cop a spot in a parked car they keep the engine on all night long, and it's like uh, they don't got to pay <laughs> any insurance. They don't got to pay uh, or lease any space. They just steal right out of their car. So what's happened now is they're competing against one another, especially up in Inwood and Washington Heights, where you can go on some blocks and there's more... Uh, Weed dealers dealing out of park cars than there are those fake, phony, fraudulent uh, COVID test vans. Like, what the hell are they still doing out on the streets, those COVID test vans, right? Have you seen anybody walking up and getting a COVID test of late? And these people are getting paid, like, what, $35 an hour just to sit there and, uh, you know, add to their Facebook uh, items of what they had for breakfast. What a ripoff for money. When's the last time you actually saw anybody walk up to these vans that are all over the city to give you a free COVID test? Can anybody tell me if they've seen anybody access the many vans that offer you free COVID tests that are parked all over the city? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Although every time I walk around and I see these weed guys or these weed gals in their parked cars... They're doing boffo business. Our number is one 800 Let's go, if we can, to uh, B, who's calling from New York City. Your turn to be heard here at WABCB. Hi, Curtis. I've been listening to you for so many years. Thank you so much for what you do for the city. My pleasure. And by the way, where are you calling from, B? Well, right now I'm in a really bad place because I'm a caregiver. I'm in uh, the Bronx right now. Physically. Hmm. And you said you're a what? I'm a caregiver right now. Huh. So I'm, okay. I'm living in, um, I stay most of the time in uh, your old hood in oh. the Bronx. Okay. And uh, where did you go to high school growing up? 
Growing up, I went to a Vanda Childs High School on Gun Hill Road. Wow, Vanda Childs with that Olympic-style swimming pool in the back. Yep. And by the way, when you went there, did they did you have to go through two metal detectors in order to get into the school? No, I'm dating myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I didn't know. Now you got to go through two metal detectors. Yes, and it's broken up. They have specialty schools right now. It's a different world now, Curtis. Completely is. Remember, you used to have uh, uh, the school you went to, other schools that were in the city. Sometimes they have as many as 4,000 students in one school. Uh, Dewey Clinton on Mashula Parkway, the opposite side of the Bronx, uh, uh, on the West Bronx uh, from where you were in the East Bronx. Uh, 4,000 people. Uh, nowadays, like you said, they break it up to, into little campuses because they say it's not manageable when you have 4,000 students coming to one campus. How is it they did it before, B, and they claim they can't do it now? I know, I know. And I, too, like so many of your other callers, voted for you, and I had everybody voting for you. With everybody calling up, I don't know how you didn't make it, Curtis. We wanted you to be mayor so badly. Well, you know what? Uh, this guy is uh, off to a lousy start, uh, which has given me motivation to say, you know, bide my time, continue to do what I do all over the world, regionally, throughout the United States, and locally with the Guardian Angels and on talk radio, and uh, give it another world. Uh, challenge him in four years. Maybe you'll run for another type of office. Did you think about that? Oh, I, I'm asked all the time. They wanted me to run for the Swazi seat. Uh, Tom Swazi's running for governor in the Democratic primary against Kathy Hochul. Uh, so uh, he left his congressional district, which they botulized when they redid the lines. It actually starts in Suffolk, goes into Nassau, a little squiggle through the Bronx, a little squiggle through Queens, and then it goes through Westchester all the way up to Rye. And you say, what is this, a Rorschach test? Absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah, people are constantly coming up to me suggesting that I run for different public offices. But I think I could best serve as mayor of the city of New York because whoever thought, be in our wildest dreams, we always thought, well, Eric Adams will at least do a better job than Comrade Bill de Blasio. In his first eight weeks, he's done worse. Well, I see it firsthand where I'm staying right now. It's it's real bad, real bad. I had a homeless guy come up to me at the intersection of University and Fordham Road, your old hood. Yep. And um, it was really bad. He was homeless, and he was begging me for money, and I kept moving. And I don't know what would have happened. And there was a young Hispanic guy that was double parked on University, and he came out. He said, leave that woman alone and get away from her, or I'll blank you up. So the guy walked away, but I really shudder to think what would have happened if that guy didn't come back. He he just he wouldn't let me move. He was just trying to get money. It's real bad here now. Unfortunately, it is so bad in so many parts of the city. But you actually were responding to the many trivia questions that I I give out in the course of this six hour program. Which one uh, did you want to answer? I believe that. Uh, the the dog with, that uh, was giving supposedly uh, giving um, the son of Sam the uh, vibes was named Harvey. Is that correct? Harvey, you mean like Harvey Weinstein? Yes. See. Hmm. See, uh, Harvey. Why is it? Uh, I think you're wrong. I'd like you to be right. The you know, it's almost like. 
you know, when you take a test and you fail a test and all of a sudden the teacher decides, you know, uh, you you had a uh, uh, you had a uh, mass mastoid infection. So uh, I'm going to give you another chance to take this test. You know, we come up with something wild and crazy to give you an opportunity. Uh, you think uh, the dog was named Harvey? Hmm. Yes. Why? Why? Why am I thinking that's incorrect? You see, I think you're confused with me having spoken so much of Harvey Weinstein getting busted for having uh, in L.A. County Jail a a theater box of milk duds. And by the way, B, while you're at it, while I try to figure out if you're right or wrong or it's somewhere in between mezze mezze or poco poco, do you know why it's called milk duds? No, that Trevor one, I don't know. Well, I want, I'm going to put you on hold, uh, uh, B. Uh, put her on hold. Try to figure this one out. I'm having a bit of a uh, intellectual quagmire here. So I'm thinking of milk duds. I'm actually, wow, conjuring up the taste for milk duds now, as if I'm in a movie theater. Remember, a lot of them have been closed down all during this lockdown and pandemic. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. Why is. They call milk duds. There's a rationale. There's a reason for that. Why is it called D-U-D-S? That should be a tip in and of itself. And again, what was the name of the dog? Of the son of Sam. The 44 caliber killer, David Berkowitz, who supposedly was giving him his instructions at night when he would... All you heard was a dog howling. But you never, ever heard exactly what that dog was saying to David Berkowitz. And in that nearby cemetery, what was going on in that nearby cemetery? Many people believe that there were satanic situations that were unfolding and taking place. Ceremonies involving uh, witches and wiccas. And also a little bit of Santeria. It being Yonkers, of course. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bob in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bob. Hey, Curtis. Yes, Bob. Huge fan of yours. A huge fan of Art Bell. What did you and your callers do to him in, like, 2004, 2005? I was listening to an old radio broadcast of him, and he's like, I have Curtis Sliwa's listeners trying to get me exercised off the radio. <laughs> yes, uh, what I would do was break FCC rules and regulations. Bob, thank you for remembering. I would actually break in to the Art Bell show. I'll never forget the program director at that time at the old WABC when we were at uh, 32nd. Uh, off 7th Avenue on the 17th floor, Madison Square Garden, came over to me one time, and I was on from uh, 10 to 2. And then he said to me, uh, I got good news for you, and I got bad news for you, Curtis. And I said, well, why don't you give me the bad news first? He goes, you know, Art Bell, that Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, is doing so well from coast to coast that we're going to take one of your hours and give it to Art Bell which means you'll have one less hour to do, which you can get a little more sleep in the wee hours of the morning. And, Bob, I took great umbrage to that. It felt that was a direct attack 
on my radio broadcasting ability because I actually heard uh, Art Bell from Pahrump, Nevada, a one-traffic light town outside, way away from Las Vegas. You can see the lights twinkling in the distance down the road, the chicken shack where prostitution was legal. And I heard this, this sort of, what can I call it? It was from the stomach. He was screaming as if a lizard was deep within the embers of his soul. And that's when I launched Radio Jihad. This was before the attack of 9-11, so you could use the term Jihad. I launched a Radio Jihad against Art Bell. And every chance I had, I cut into his nationally syndicated program, I went out to the Bada Bing, not to get a Brumski and a lump, uh, a uh, lap dance, but rather to go into the pillbox of Lodi, New Jersey, and actually take over the broadcast. There were complaints to the Lodi Police Department, Bob. They actually came to the location, withdrew their guns out of their holsters because I was breaking federal law by being in that property and interfering with the FCC signals and threatened to charge me with federal crimes, Bob. Did you ever go to Lord I Pizza, though? Yes, uh, although uh, Art Bell, understanding that it was great theater of the mind, great radio, called off the authorities, said that the FCC should not be getting involved, that he was actually a part of this, which he really wasn't, Bob. He he had my back. I could have been in really serious trouble. It was a serious violation to break in to an existing radio program and uh, broadcast over it. He, he, he talked about you jokingly, and he talked about you like he, you guys were friends. But it was so funny to listen to an old broadcast and hear – Curtis Lee was listeners are trying to exercise me off the radio. I did a program in which I took some of his uh, sycophants, totals, and lackeys, people who identified themselves as hardcore Art Bell listeners. And the reason you knew that, they bought all of his products. You may have remembered he advertised the Beijing Wind-Em-Up Radio. He advertised uh, that you buy foodstuffs that could survive a nuclear blast because it was the time of Y2 chaos, and he was promoting that a mile a minute. And uh, I will tell you uh, that at that particular time, uh, I also took it upon myself to go down to the Today Show. Right there at Rockefeller Center, he was on, I forget who, uh, I think it was Matt Matt Lowry who was uh, interviewing uh, before he got involved in Schlonggate. Uh, and um, I had signs out. I was holding signs saying Art Bell is the Antichrist. So an entire audience across America watching the Today Show in the morning saw Curtis Lee were holding up a sign that said Art Bell is the Antichrist. Everybody was horrified. They were humiliated. Uh, management wanted to fire me. They said, how could you do that? And Art Bell again intervened and said, no, that's great theater of the mind. You know what he's going to do for me? He's going to help sell more books for me. And, oh, he was the best. And, by the way, he had a book signing that day uh, just down the block at the uh, Barnes & Nobles uh, before Amazon uh, took over the industry and destroyed it. But Barnes & Nobles, the, the, the lines went 
uh, two, around the block, two. People were waiting for hours. And I was going up and challenging the people and saying, don't, don't. All you're doing is you're promoting Satan's will with Art Bell. You're buying that book. It's like buying a book of witchcraft. People were getting into arguments with me. They were calling the cops on me. They were saying that I was trespassing on their space. They couldn't believe that I would be making such outrageous charges against Art Bell. And then Art Bell on the radio uh, later that day said, no, 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 that's Curtis. Let him be Curtis. It's great. It's great radio. Listen to the old podcast, or the radio broadcast, and now he's talking about nuclear war in 2004. They're like, well, what if Putin ever wants to take over the USSR again? The whole thing that he talked about is actually happening now. It's unbelievable. I, I love listening to him. I love radio because of you and because of him. It's, I, I, I hope radio never goes away. And by the way, I'm a DJ. I know you're into the EDM and all that. I DJ one of the longest-running clubs in Newark right now, 30 years, QXT, right across the street from the courthouse and the Prudential Center. If you ever want to come down, we'll make you dance. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, how old are you, Bob? I just turned 53 in January, and oh. I'm a stage three cancer survivor. All right, so I've got you by a few years. I'll be 68 on March 26. Uh, do you remember anything about, in Newark, the old club Zanzibar? Frankie Knuckles, uh, Tony Humphreys, absolutely. My sister saw Grace Jones there. And by the way, she got naked. Go figure. Grace Jones getting naked? Never. <laughs> God, that would make me want to projectile vomit. <laughs> so here it is, white guy from New York City with my platform shoes, my polyester waffle weave flame retardant shirts, should have been cotton, not polyester, and my bell-bottom pants taking the PATH train over to Penn Station in Newark, walking over to the club Zanzibar, getting out on the dance floor, twisting, twirling, churning, swirling. All of a sudden, there were some brothers there who were saying, where's that guy from? He's from New York. And you know how guys who are in Newark, you know, they were envious of people in New York. So they said, we got, we got to teach this white boy a lesson. He's coming on the dance floor. He's dancing with all the sisters here. That was the time, Bob. Feet don't fail me now. I'm running with those marshmallow shoes on, those Elton John shoes, those uh, Parliament Funkadelic uh, Clinton-style uh, shoes. Not Bill Clinton, but Clinton from the Parliament Funkadelics. The, 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 the heels break off. I'm tearing down Market Street, uh, down Broad Street, in order to avoid being annihilated by brothers from Newark. And I barely make it to Penn Station, get on the PATH train, get all the way back to New York and say, thank you, feet don't fail me now. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Bob, I want, I want you to wait on the uh, line. Carmelo will get your information. I will take you up on that. I will travel anywhere in the world because uh, I am not now permitted to play Russian EDM. This is a moral dilemma for me because I so love my EDM. 
Now, could you uh, cue up, Maestro, uh, 86, the Alpha Squad, is, is so important because any moment now I will get a call from uh, Chad Lopez, the Campo di Tutti here, the general manager of WABC, pull it from my playlist, uh, as the uh, boycott against all Russian products continue because of their invasion into uh, the Ukraine. Could get a call on the red phone. We have a red phone directly into the studio by Matt Meany, our program director, that orders uh, our staff here to immediately etch a sketch this uh, song away, this uh, Russian EDM song. Uh, I, uh, I am prepared to fall on the sword for this. You cannot take my Russian EDM away. Look, uh, Israeli EDM is great. Russian EDM is great. French EDM, Dutch EDM, Swedish EDM, American EDM. You cannot take my Russian EDM away. Look, I'll I'll sacrifice all else that is Russian. I won't go to the Russian tea room any longer. Only been there one time in my life. But I'll swear off ever going to the Russian tea room right next to Carnegie Hall. I'll swear off ever eating... uh, Caviar, which I almost never do. Russian caviar. Sturgeon. Russian sturgeon. I'll do all of that. But please, don't take my Russian EDM. Our, ne- our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We've yet to get an answer. B is still holding on the line to see if, in fact, she is correct about the name of the uh, son of Sam Dog, who was owned by the landlord. She said it was Harvey. I think she's confusing that with the discussion we had about milk duds. Harvey Weinstein, and none of you have ever called yet to explain why it's called milk duds, D-U-D-S. The explanation of that is in the spelling of that word, milk duds. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Vegas. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Uh, I've only been waiting two hours. Only two hours? Only two hours. Well, you know something? If something is top shelf, five star, wouldn't you wait three or four or five hours or more? I I guess I would. Especially Uh, if it's free. If it's F-R-E-E, free, that should be music to your ears, Robert. Yes. You're not going to like what I have to say. How do you know that in advance of saying it? Uh, why are you prejudging me? Why are you profiling what I'm I'm going to think uh, about what you say? Because it seems you have sour grapes towards the mayor. Ah, a defense of the mayor. Go for it. You You have plenty, plenty of time to defend him. Go ahead. I'd like to know what you would do if you were mayor that the mayor hasn't done. Oh, what I would do? I would actually put police officers on the subway cars who would be walking up and down the way they did years ago when Eric Adams himself was a transit police officer for 10 years. And that would make things better. Oh, it would definitely improve the cir- the circumstance on the moving trains. You don't you don't see cops on the moving trains at all. And he promised that they would be there. But do you think the crime rate would go down? Uh, yeah, slowly it would start going down. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it was, in, uh, it was important that Eric Adams listen to his mentor, who was former police commissioner Bill Bratton, who said, 
you should never have overpromised how you were going to drive crime down in the subways overnight, uh, not based on the plan you had and the fact that your brand-new police commissioner has been missing in action. We really haven't seen her the last few weeks. But that's not Adam's fault. Well, why? He's not permitting her to be front and center to take control of the police department. How do you know that? Well, it's obvious. Uh, If you're uh, unveiling a new plan to take back the subways and get help for the emotionally disturbed and the homeless and eliminate uh, as much crime as possible on the subways by having more uniformed police officers down there, don't you think the police commissioner would be down there, would be leading the effort and not the mayor? What about the borough president? Well, borough presidents are just ribbon cutters. Uh, they do nothing. I mean, what did Eric Adams do for eight years as Brooklyn borough president? He was powerless. Crime was at an all-time high in Brooklyn. I don't blame him for that. But he, in reality, is what what do borough presidents do other than take up space, uh, cost us a lot in the budget, and cut ribbons each day? But you're going to keep hammering away at the mayor no matter what happens. No, no. If things obviously improve, uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. Uh, when I gave my concession speech, uh, Robert, which was 15 minutes after the polls closed, uh, I was ge- very generous in urging everybody to get behind Eric Adams because uh, we had to give him our support. This The city is in such desperate need uh, but he talked a good game. He said he would be the law and order mayor, and yet crime continues uh, to get worse than it was before. Uh, he has not focused his uh, and made it a priority of his administration, Robert. He's more interested in telling us what we should eat to have a healthier lifestyle as opposed to avoiding becoming the victim of lead poisoning, which could lead to instant death. I voted for Eric Adams. Oh, Okay. All right, so you're one of the reasons that I'm not mayor today. I've never voted for a Republican except for Bloomberg. Oh, and would you reconsider that if things continue to get worse? I'd consider it, yes, but uh, New York is a Democratic city. No, there's uh, no doubt the registration rate is now 8 to 1. Many of the Republicans who previously lived here have either passed to the hereafter or moved uh, south of the uh, Mason-Dixon line of Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee. Uh, But there are lots of independents. Many of the younger people who register now do not have a party affiliation. They're free agents. They're independents. Okay. See, you can continue to support Eric Adams, but I want you to be able to look uh, month after month, year after year. Uh, And if he doesn't deliver on his promises, if we're actually worse with Eric Adams uh, in total than we were with Bill de Blasio after eight years, you think you might consider voting for me the next time, Robert? Uh, If uh, you're in... As uh, a, uh, other than a Republican. Well, you know what? My fellow Republicans have treated me so shabbily, so sh- <laughs> have treated me like an outlier, uh, act like they don't even want to be seen with me. 
that may well be what I have to do, which is run as an independent, which I've always been a free agent myself. Stay tuned to see what I'm going to be doing in the future. It will be interesting, I promise you. Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. So you heard Creedence Clearwater Revival sing about a hound dog. Didn't know what the hound dog was going to do. And we left B, uh, who's up in the Bronx now, not far from where I first started the Guardian Angels on February 13th of 1979 off of Webster. And uh, Fordham Road at that Mickey D's as a night manager. Uh, she was patient enough to remain uh, B. Uh, just as a reminder to our many listeners, you had said that the name of the dog that the son of Sam, David Berkowitz, the 44 caliber killer, said ordered him to go out and kill and maim. What was the name of that dog? I thought the name was Harvey. You are and couldn't be more hopelessly right. You are absolutely correct. I, it was I was confused because I had been speaking so much about Harvey Weinstein in jail in L.A. County lockup and now being charged with additional crimes because he was found to have a theater-sized box of milk duds hidden under his uh, cell's mattress. Well, Harvey's a dog, too. Harvey, <laughs> Harvey Weinstein's a dog, too, right? That's right, and as a result of your patience and your perseverance uh, and your stick to not to hang up, uh, uh, make sure, Carmela, that we send to be uh, that valued WABC courtesy with Guardian Angel cap that should be arriving within less than a week, uh, much better than what uh, Frank Morano uh, does for his listeners on uh, his uh, form of the other side of midnight during the week. Uh, hopefully that will be able to compensate all the time that you're holding on, B. Thank you so very much for your generosity. And again, thank you for all you do for us. We we love you and appreciate you. Pleasure, pleasure. If you can put uh, be on hold, let uh, Camilla speak with her, get her all of her pertinent information. Uh, we will deliver on our promises here. I, uh, I guarantee you that. We say you want a hat, you're going to get a hat. It won't be a list of complaints like we've seen with Frank. Hopefully, he's finally straightened that out. 
What a hot mess that was. Oh, what Mishikash. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Brian in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard on WABC, Brian. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. So I have the answer for the milk dud uh, conundrum here. Ah. Um, I believe that uh, the milk refers to the amount of milk in the product, just the, the milk chocolate. Uh, and then the dud refers to the fact that they tried to make these things perfectly circular, like a sphere, and they ended up coming out the shape that they are. So they, they, they failed at that process, so they they became duds. Kind of like how Frank Morano tries to replicate you, emulate you, imitate you, but he comes up short. So I would consider you know him to be a dud. Excellent, excellent uh, comparison, although... I'll make a comparison to how the Spalding came about, the very ball that so many of us grew up with, that little pink ball in which we were playing either stickball, boxball, stoopball, Chinese handball. And the Spalding company made and still does tennis balls with the green fur that covers it. So if there were any Spaldines that came off the assembly line that didn't meet the specifications to be covered with that 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 green sort of cloth-like substance, uh, they were called knockoffs, and they would be put into barrels, and for a long time, they would be uh, just destroyed. They would be brought out to a landfill. So an intrepid uh, engineer who was on the assembly line said, you know what? I bet you we could find a use for these balls that are not perfect, perfectly uh, have a perfect circumference, perfectly round that a tennis ball needed to be. And he went to candy stores and he started to sell them to the owners and operators of candy stores and luncheonettes. And they started to sell these little pink balls as Spaldines. And the kids in the neighborhoods bought them and started to play all kinds of games with them, even though they were not a perfect Spaldine, and I guess in many, many ways, uh, as a tennis ball, they would have been considered a dud, Brian. I agree. And now people know how that Spaldine ball, that little pink ball that they grew up with, came about. It's because it was imperfect, uh, and yet they needed to find something to do with it other than just uh, sort of bound them up in barrels and then send it off to some landfill. Yeah, we're learning stuff. So, yeah, it, it's uh, close, but no cigar. But uh, I guess the, the the milk duds still served their purpose, so they were still able to sell them as 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 advertised. Can you imagine, out of all the things that Harvey Weinstein would want to probably uh, secure in uh, jail, his eight by four foot uh, jail, as he awaits additional trials in L.A. County, he's in a bad lockup, L.A. County. That the one thing he smuggled in was a box of theater sized. Milk duds. We all have our vices, I guess. Uh, I guess we we found his weakness. Oh my God! Absolutely, and he's facing, if you can believe it or not, more time. He's already been given twenty five years for the crimes committed in New York. He'll probably be found guilty of being a perv in L.A. I mean, that's casting couch central out there. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Thomas in Virginia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Thomas. Hey, uh, Curtis. Uh, Harvey better be thankful that he wasn't ever uh, apprehended and locked up in Turkey 
the Republic of Turkey. I spent uh, 14 months over there with the Air Force. They don't even feed you there. U.S. Uh, American or International Red Cross would have to go over there and uh, bring food to you. Was uh, was this was the story Midnight Express, which talked about a drug dealer's time spent in the bowels of a Turkish prison? Would you say that was pretty accurate? Yeah, very accurate. That would be uh, Istanbul, but I was at the other end uh, at Inchilik uh, Common Defense Installation over near Syria. And I was a young airman uh, a month before uh, the Iran hostage thing broke out, and I was scared to death. I mean, I swore to God that we were going to war with Iran, and uh, I lost a lot of weight. But uh, uh, it was a crazy time, you know. And uh, But, you know, you were talking about these jails and stuff. Aren't all the jails pretty bad? Well, uh, you know, as bad as uh, they mentioned some of our jails to be uh, pales in comparison to jails that I've visited uh, in uh, Brazil. Oh, they're horrendous in Brazil uh, that I've seen in other countries. Uh, I've been locked up in uh, many of them in the United States, uh, some better than others. But uh, I haven't been in a prison. I've just been in jails. That's generally where they hold you. They might hold you a few days for arraignment or uh, if they lose your paperwork. So uh, I couldn't really compare it to uh, prisons. But uh, when you were over there, what were your functions in the United States military, Thomas? Well, uh, what it was was it was called um, Giant Ear and Giant Voice. The, uh, the common defense installation, we worked with the, uh, the Turks, and they were keeping an eye on the Soviet Union, believe it or not. They were listening to all their conversations. We were flying all kinds of missions around around the Republic of Turkey. They had we must have had thirty bases around. There were small little sites, and that was the primary focus was to keep an eye on Russia. And of course, my job wasn't that. I was a POL, which was a petroleum oil and lubricants, refueling the aircraft on the base, and maintaining all the facilities and. Everything re- regarding that, which was basically supply. But there were a lot of individuals that were at these uh, sites all over Turkey, and they would be uh, given information about what's going on over there. Uh, the uh, The Olympics was going on at the time, the uh, Moscow Olympics. But everything that we heard was from the BBC on the radio. And... Uh, it's, it's really strange how everything kind of goes full circle. It's all coming around back to the same same way as it was. We don't trust each other, and there's a lot of misinformation. Now, you were uh, you were assigned to Turkey for how long? Fourteen months. It was originally fifteen months, but uh, they they shortened it. They couldn't get a lot of volunteers to go over there. But I, I really wasn't a volunteer. They just gave me the orders and said, "Here you go." And I. <laughs> Now what did what did you do, what did you do for R and R when you had time off? Oh, they had all kinds of uh, they call it MWR morale, welfare, and relief. And the base always had certain things going on, and there were church activities. And then you could take these tours where you could go to like Mersin or um, different different cities and towns along the uh, the uh, Mediterranean, uh, Iskenderun. Uh, Different areas right over near Syria, 
and uh, a beautiful coastline. I mean, what an amazing country. Very poor. But a lot has changed in those 40 years. I mean, um, it's it's a very modern country now. And but, how did the uh, how did the Turkish people treat our servicemen there? Oh, they were they were amazing. They, I think at the time, though, they really didn't truly understand why we were there. Be honest with you. Um, they looked at like we were kind of like outsiders, and they didn't trust anybody, you know. But uh, their their money was uh, very very devalued. It was like. Uh, 47 Turkish lira to $1. And then when I left, it was like four or 500. So it'd be well into the thousands by now. And I think they're, they're probably in the uh, European union. So it'd be uh, the, what's the money they have? The, uh, the, the euros, but no, no, they're actually, they're in NATO, but not the European union. Uh, They, they haven't accepted them into the European Union yet, which would be a real boon uh, for the Turks. But their leader, Erdogan, has taken on a lot of tendencies, like an autocrat, a dictator. Uh, he's become very difficult to deal with. So the European Union has uh, withstained, uh, uh, has decided to uh, withhold membership for Turkey in the EU. It would be good for them eventually. It would be good for their economy. Uh, but he's just uh, created so many problems of late. Well, I got a chance to go to Spain, uh, Madrid, Spain, for about a week. There was a running tournament. I used to run a lot, uh, half marathons and stuff like that. And the base had a team. And we went over there. It was in September of 1980. And our country was overthrown by the military. So they told all this uh captain came in the room and says, all you folks that are here from the Republic of Turkey, we don't know if we're going to be able to get you back again. Because <laughs> your country was overthrown by the, uh, I think it was the Admiral of the Navy. And we were on, uh, we were on, what do you call that, martial law for several months when we got back. Everything was closed. You couldn't get on or off base. I and mean, what, was, what, what year was that? Well, I was there in 79 and 80. Yeah, so that was a military coup d'etat. Then there was the uh, military coup d'etat when Barack Obama was president and they tried to oust Erdogan uh, while he was on vacation, but he came back uh, and took uh, power back. And it's interesting because uh, Erdogan, who is this uh, megalomaniac, uh, blames uh, the insurrection on a uh, Turkish guy who actually lives in the Poconos, believe it or not. He thinks that this guy is like some kind of Svengali, some kind of a guru who encourages Turks to rebel against Erdogan, and he lives in the Poconos. Jeez. Well, I was totally oblivious to anything outside of New York State. I'm originally from Rochester, and I married a woman at uh, Plattsburgh Air Force Base that she was she was a sergeant as well and we we ended up down at Pope Pope Air Force Base Fort Bragg North Carolina so I'm kind of an outsider I listen to your show I come up three times a week to New York City or northern New Jersey I haul the mail from uh, what it is is it's a relay from uh, Jacksonville Florida to Springfield Mass 
And I take like the middle segment. It's about 550 miles, and I do that three times a week. So I don't know if you know, but it's it's a boring, uh, lonely job driving a truck, especially at night. I'm doing, you know, five, 600 miles a night. And, you know, you can only hear so much uh, political talk or music. And I hear your show, and you're talking about Frank Morano and uh, – all these different things that are going on in New York City. I got married there. I got married in the Bronx in 83. Knew nothing about it. But uh, absolutely fascinating city. Uh, you know, you've got all these different sections of the city or the, uh, what do you call them, the, the boroughs. And Rochester is not set up like that. We just have towns and, you know, it's it's a diff- different world over there, western New York. Yeah, well, I've spent time in Rochester, especially uh, when Kodak was running strong and uh, so many industries uh, were housed there in Rochester. And then uh, they slowly began shuttering their doors one by one. And now, uh, I don't know if you've been back there, it is a hot mess. Uh, it has more violent crime per capita, per person than any city in New York State, including New York City. It is How, it is that bad. Well, Lovely Warren is no longer the mayor. And there was a lot of problems there. And it wasn't it wasn't her skin color, it wasn't any of that. It was just the way they were running things. They've got another fellow in there. I don't remember I think he's another Democrat, but um I mean you hear I hear Syracuse is bad. I hear Buffalo's got its problems. And how is it possible that all across the country this sort of thing is going on? I mean, I mean, if I if I do something wrong, uh, I expect to go to jail. I, I don't expect to get any uh, free pass or anything like that. Well, remember, we have uh, no cash bail here throughout New York State from Buffalo down to Brooklyn. Uh, and it has had negative ramifications, not just on all the larger cities, as you mentioned, Albany, Utica, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, but a lot of smaller communities also. It's been devastating. It's just uh, turning people loose into the streets who are predicate offenders, who have a history of violating other people's rights or have emotionally disturbed issues that have to be dealt with. And we're the only state now. Thomas, out of all the states, 49 states let a judge make the final determination. We're the only state that will not let a judge make the final determination as to whether somebody should be remanded to jail with bail or or turned loose uh, with some form of supervision. And they're obstinate, they're stubborn, our elected officials. Crime just keeps getting worse and worse, as bad as it is in New York City. Uh, the rates of violent crime in Rochester are at an all-time high. It's an unsafe city. The uh, looting, the smashing grabs there, uh, the people who take bags and then just walk in to a retail establishment and shoplift, uh, the likes of which have never been seen before to this level in Rochester. Well, I'm I'm four years behind you. I was born in 58, and uh, that just wouldn't fly back in the 60s or 70s. The the cops always carried around that long stick, and you'd get a wrap over the top of your head, and you'd be hauled down to, you know, down to stand before the magistrate or the judge, and, and there wouldn't be a, another chance for you. This is just, um, as they'd say, bravo Sierra. <laughs> 
Now, final final question. Uh, do you drive an 18-wheel tractor trailer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's fully loaded. The trailer, 53-foot trailer, is fully loaded. And I got a lock on the back. I got a seal. They also track everywhere we go so that the mail is accounted for. So if I, you know, like I'm on my half an hour break right now, I'm taking a little extra time. But they, they know where I'm at. They know how long I'm going to sit here. They know which route I take. So basically, I'm married to my wife, and I'm married to I-95, is the way I say it. <laughs> and, when, and when you're at odds with your wife, uh, your gumata there is I-95. Yeah, well, she's a she's a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, and she don't take any crap from anybody. Now I understand why you're out on I-95 so much. Yeah, but can I leave you with this real quick? Um uh, white, uh, let's see, what is it? Wilmington. You want to know about Wilmington, New York? Yes. Okay, that's up near Whiteface Mountain in the Adirondacks. When we were stationed at Plattsburgh, I would I would ski over at uh, Whiteface Mountain, and not very far from there is North Elba, where John Brown, the famous abolitionist, was from. Yeah. And you talk about an interesting. And very, very interesting American was John Brown and uh what's his name? Um the uh the black segregate not no the uh the one that wrote the the uh, newspaper in Rochester. Um oh, oh, they, they they have a statue uh to him, uh in fact. Uh, I know in downtown Rochester. In fact it was a movement, believe it or not, with all the Black Lives Matter riots shooting and looting in the summer of twenty twenty in Rochester, there was an attempt to actually pull that statue down by Black Lives Matter. I forget his name real quick. Well, you know what you know what I'm gonna do? I I'm gonna make it a trivia. Trivia question like I always do. Which uh Great black leader has a statue in uh, a park in downtown Rochester that honored his contributions to the community there as a publisher of a uh, newspaper. And that statue was almost at the point of being dragged down and destroyed by members of Black Lives Matter in the summer of 2020. This was a black guy. What was his name? 1-800-848-9222. one 848 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Gene, who's calling from Woodside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Hi, good evening, Mayor. How are you tonight? Uh, uh, I've I had better days. I've had better days, Gene. Oh, okay, well, wish you were the mayor, but what can I tell you? Listen, I spoke to you last weekend for a few minutes about renaming the Costgasco Bridge. If the two friends of mine that got the Medal of Honor in Vietnam who were from the neighborhood, and you said somebody would get back to me, I spoke to someone in your office. I want to try to get a campaign going, Curtis, and I need someone with your your position to get this thing kick-started. Can you help me anyway with this? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, I pledge to you, Gene, that uh, I will begin to lobby, lobby people. Uh, you know, there's going to be a strong um, interest on the part of the uh, Polish community, which is both in Maspeth and then across the bridge over in Greenpoint in uh, Brooklyn to maintain the name of that bridge. So uh, this is not going to be uh, an easy task. I think you can understand that. Yeah, but we also have an awful lot of Irish in Woodside, Maspeth, that whole area that 
you know, we're talking about someone who was a, who was popular 200 years ago, and these guys were popular 20 years ago, 30 years ago. No, no, you're uh, ab- you you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, if you can get that song, Paul Hardcastle, uh, it talks about uh, how difficult it was in the Vietnam War where the average age of a serviceman was 19 years old, of which many of them unfortunately came back in body bags or they were never found uh, when their lives were taken. Uh, or more importantly, they came back impaired because they had not only physical damage to their body but also uh, mental damage. You're, you're absolutely right, Gene. Years ago, I'm not going to years anymore, but someone started a campaign that they ran all the zip codes in the United States, and Woodside has the most had the most kills. Those 26 kids died from Woodside, New York. They made a big, big. Uh, they made a monument. They were going to put it right across the street from Donovan's Pub on 58th Street. There's a little park there, but somebody fucked up when they excuse me. Somebody screwed up when they made the, the monument and they put the word God in it. So the last minute they were stuck. They didn't know what to do with this monument. So this guy, Michael Hardiman, who I went to school with, was the pastor for St. Sebastian's Church. They ended up putting their in their, their churchyard. So that's where the Woodside Memorial for Vietnam is, right there on 58th Street and Roosevelt Avenue. Yeah, well, I'm going to uh, dig in. I'm going to certainly do my best uh, on that. And again, uh, let me just, uh, Carmela, if you can uh, get Gene's uh, information again, let's make sure that we uh, follow up on that. Uh, this is going to be a toughie. This is not going to be an easy maneuver any way you look at it. Because clearly you're going to have uh, the Polish community. It's going to want to keep uh, the name of the bridge, Kosciuszko. They have the statue that's right there. Uh, so they're going to uh, want to maintain that, those that are in Maspeth, those that are in uh, nearby Greenpoint. And obviously there are veterans uh, who likewise... Uh, would want to have it changed uh, and maybe named in the honor of those who gave their life uh, in a war that many people to this day don't remember, know little about, nor unfortunately care about. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. In 1965... Vietnam seemed like just another foreign war, but it wasn't. It was different in many ways, and so were those who did the fighting. In World War II, the average age of the combat soldier was 26. In Vietnam, he was 19. In, 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 in Vietnam, he was 19. In Vietnam, he was 19. It is amazing, ladies and gentlemen, that it's so summed up in this great dance song by Paul Hardcastle. Average age uh, of a young man who fought in Vietnam, 19. Average age in other wars, much older. And uh, we will do our best to follow up on what Gene has now asked us to do twice from Woodside and the Sunnyside area. 
to honor uh, those friends of his, those neighborhood uh, guys of his who went off to die in Vietnam. Not that they went to die, but they went to serve America and unfortunately ended up dying in the process. And for many, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's the least we could do. Meantime, let's go to Junior, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Junior. Good morning, Curtis. Yes, Junior. This is um, this is Junior calling from Staten Island. Oh, you're the neighbor of Frank Morano. You'll have to forgive me, Curtis. I've had quite a busy night. Uh, me and my dog, Rusty, been keeping an eye on Frank Morano's property all night, and I'm just about worn out. Uh, and I wanted to give you a couple little tidbits of in, intel on him. Okay, please. Oh, absolutely, Junior. You've been uh, waiting up, uh, breaking dawn, uh, to to tell us uh, what is uh, going on on the property, the Ponderosa of his. <laughs> oh, it's been a busy night. Um, first of all, I've been to several tobacco shops uh, in the area. My dad worked at a cigar store for 50 years, and, well, it was actually a front for Italian gambling in the back, but, uh, and he used to deal poker all night, but I guess I'm my father's son because he used to store everything around our home in cardboard cigar boxes, and I've been to several tobacco shops and with little avail, and, uh, I hit a gold mine in front of Frank's. He said, uh, he said a, uh, a medium sized clear, uh, bag of empty cigar boxes on the curb. I guess they were free for anyone to take. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. So me and Rusty, we went back home. I didn't want to carry him on our walk. And we brought him in. And, uh, we went back out and walked some more, but uh, I wanted to see what Connecticut wrapper cigar boxes look like while I was walking. I thought, well, that'll be interesting, too. And what a treasure trove of information I got on Frank. Uh, one, two, three. I got nine boxes here, and they're... Uh, they're nothing to do with Connecticut wrappers. I'll give you the retail price for a single cigar. Uh, White Owl, 35 cents suggested retail price. Uh, 69 cents, Sweet Swisher Sweet. Garcia with a letter Y, Vega, 72 cents suggested. Uh, King Edward, 79. David Off, 99. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies, 89. And there's one actually called Bottom Shelf, 99-cent retail suggested value. And Dutch Masters, 35 cents. So a long shot, less than a Connecticut wrapper. And uh, I was just amazed. All this talk and these interviews said he got extra drunk about a month ago and paid a hundred dollars for a cigar and it had uh it had aniseed in it uh licorice and real cocoa added 
said he didn't even have to light it for a week. He just slipped it in there on his pallet, and it was just a, such a delight. But I have to question the fact when I'm seeing 35 cent Dutch Master boxes here on the workbench, if he really did uh, pay a hundred dollars for a Connecticut wrapper. And uh, anyway, we brought those home. I just now uh, been reading on these for about a half hour, but we had another little thing happen when we went back out. We with we witnessed uh, Frank Morano up to his old tricks again, uh, Curtis. Wow. He, uh, oh my goodness. Nothing with the neighbor's bushes, but when we got about a half a block beyond his front door, I seen something that I couldn't believe. Hmm. Uh, it seems Frank Barano uh, is in the wrong profession, Curtis. He should have been uh, in track and field instead of radio broadcasting because me and the dog turned around and... Frank come down them front steps with a single black bag, and uh, he ran halfway up the block, probably in 3.2 seconds. And he started to spin his body around on the sidewalk in front of this little ranch home. And his arms came out further and further, like a discus thrower. And... Uh, the black bag in the right hand and the left arm started flailing out in the wind and he spun around three, four times and he let go of that black bag and it ended up probably two feet from my neighbor's front door. Hmm. And he came scurrying back up the street, ran in the house and closed the door. And I just couldn't believe my eyes. Wow. So... Two points, uh, if I may make them. Oh, uh, of course. You've spent all this time uh, observing Frank. It seems uh, he's exhibiting some very erratic behavior in the early morning hours. Yeah, I'm starting to believe they may be having some problems, and I don't want to go there. But yeah. uh, oh, understood. You know, to uh, fantasize about $100 cigars and find all these boxes for 50 cent cigars and then uh, actually witness him again with the garbage thing. It was quite shocking. And uh, there's an investigation now underway by the enforcement agency of the New York City uh, Sanitation Department. They've taken these, uh, uh, these charges very seriously because it appears that Junior... He, he's been flaunt, flaunting the sanitation code, the EPA code of the city of New York, almost uh, on purpose. Yeah. I don't really want to get personal, but I, the things I witness, I have to wonder if he may be having problems, and I'm hoping the best for him. Uh, well, we we know, like any human being, he has his uh, faults, his weaknesses. Atlantic City always seems to be in his mind, and you know, there's uh, all those dirty uh, diapers uh, uh, that he didn't discard in the appropriate way that has now become a major issue for the Environmental Protection uh, Agency of the City of New York. 
So I, he's compounding his problems, Junior. Yeah, and I think it's very sad. And I actually felt sad when I witnessed all these things. But um, then again, uh, I have to suffer through these interviews with these cigar experts about uh, Connecticut rappers. And I just thought it was very interesting to find these nine boxes with under a dollar suggested retail price for individual cigar. And and then I was quite shocked. Uh, I felt bad for him when he, he came out the front door at 3.02 a.m. and uh, went running up the street and mm. discus threw a bag in my neighbor's front lawn. And, uh, I don't know what to think anymore. And, well, yeah, the, what this will do is he has membership uh, at the Carnegie Club uh, and also at the Al Havana which is in the building on 6th Avenue, 666, that's owned by Jared Kushner. Uh, if if the patrons of the, those cigar-smoking establishments, which include Rudy Giuliani, Al Sharpton, others, were to find out that he's smoking these 10-cent cigars, these 35-cent cigars, these Dutch Masters, these Phillies, uh, they would probably uh, end his membership. Because, you know, that's so low budget, Junior. So low budget. Yeah, and that makes me sad, too. Uh, I don't know. I don't really like this radio program, but uh, I feel as a human being, none of us are perfect. And No, no, we're not. We're not. You know, and it's just sad, but I'm but- hoping things will turn around for him. Well, what I'd like you to do, Junior, is you have uh, set the example of what other listeners should be doing, which is to take matters into your own hands, not to leave it to the normal discourse that we have in talk radio, and uh, to report to me uh, the actions. I may have to do an intervention, Junior. Uh, You may have remembered that scene in The Sopranos when Tony... Uh, and his crew, Paulie Walnuts, they go up to the Poconos because Chrissy has had some problems with nose candy, uh, and he gets wise with them, and he, he smarts off to them, and then they give him a beatdown. That's how they basically get him to follow the instructions of the rehab uh, facility there. Uh, I may have to, based on all of this information that is quite uh, quite concerning, do an intervention on behalf of uh, his wife, Rachel, uh, and also Carmine, uh, so that we can get uh, Frank Morano back on the straight and narrow path and he can be smoking his Monte Criscos or his uh, Cohibas, uh, but not what he's doing now. This is, this is what we call Udiscraziata. This is a Shanda to the south shore of Staten Island. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... Like I say, I'm just praying for the best for him, and uh, each day it's something new. And I had to, I had to eat the Parmesan cheese and rat them out again, and that doesn't make me too happy or proud. But uh, I just felt it was valuable information that we need to put out there. Yeah, and uh, and I might add that since uh, it is uh, Church Day. Uh, you on your end in Staten Island, when you go, if you could do the Stations of the Cross, I'll certainly do so for Frank. Uh, he he needs he needs prayer now. He needs our prayer, uh, Junior. 
He does. <laughs> it's, it's so sad. Mm. But no, he he's redeemable. He's salvageable. Uh, I'm sure this too will pass. It, one day, I believe he will come up to you, Junior. He will embrace you and he will thank you for observing him, reporting him, and this enables us to get him back into the fold. Well, I sure appreciate that. That makes me feel a lot better. Uh, I don't want to always feel like the like I'm eating the Parmesan cheese and I'm a dirty rat, you know, but uh, hopefully someday it'll all be a peaceful ending. Yeah. No, no, thank you again, Junior. Thank you for your diligence, your persistence, staying up into the wee hours of the morning to observe uh, Frank, his eccentricities. Now, this is probably what Frank is going to say, because I'm going to have to do an intervention with him. I'm going to have to bring this to management's attention. I can't. Junior is just has provided us with so many documentary evidences uh, of this uh, it's bizarre behavior. He's probably taking Ambien. How many times have people taken Ambien because they need to sleep? And let's face it, Carmine, he's not, this is his first child. He's not used to this. Carmine is crying. He's pooping. Uh, he's distracting. Uh, Frank is probably, uh, was used to normal, somewhat normal sleep patterns because he never really slept a lot, but this breaks it up for him and causes him to really go over the edge. I'm thinking like the Kennedys. All the Kennedys are on Ambien, you know. Uh, there was Kerry Cuomo who uh, said she was in uh, on the Sawmill River Parkway at like 4 in the morning speeding. And all of a sudden, it's like a state trooper came up on her and had to sort of wake her up out of this uh, Ambien-induced psychosis she was in. And then remember her nephew, who was the U.S. congressman, was racing to the hill, the Capitol Hill, to cast his vote and crashed into that impediment at 4 o'clock in the morning. Ambien does that. Ambien's had a very negative effect. Uh, I really think it's incumbent upon me now and my colleagues here. I'm going to have to bring this to Sid uh, Rosenberg's attention, although, you know, when you talk to Sid, it's I and me, you know. If it ain't about him, he's ain't not interested. But Bernard McGurk, uh, some of our other colleagues here, and we'll, we'll do an intervention for Frank. It, it, def- it strikes me as being ambient-related because young Carmine, he was just telling me the other day when, when I was out at the Annandale Terrace, when we were getting signatures for Andrew Giuliani's run uh, in the Republican primary to be the next governor, I'm supporting him on that, and Rudy was there holding court. And I remember Frank was telling me that it's been very difficult for him to get any kind of sleep because at times he has to relieve Rachel, who also has her own career as a top-flight journalist. In fact, at one point she was up for a Pulitzer Prize. She had written uh, some uh, neighborhood uh, stories for Long Island Newsday. Excellent. Extraordinary journalist. So she, it's almost like, He's not getting his proper sleep. He's now popping ambience. You know, it's a Tiger Woods kind of thing. You remember what happened to Tiger? He had no, he was popping ambience. Next thing, he takes his SUV, he crashes into the Johnny Pump. And his whole career, 
almost destroyed. Boy, we, we all owe a great debt of gratitude to Junior there. Imagine every night going out there with his faithful dog, Rusty, patrolling the the parameters of uh, Frank Morano's and Rachel's uh, and uh, Carmine's uh, Ponderosa out there. Boy, we need more more citizens like that who, who understand that you have to come to the aid of your, your, your fellow neighbors. Uh, fences do not keep neighbors from being neighbors. Neighbors do. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pat in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pat. Hi, Curtis. Um, I understand you're a Yankee fan, right? Absolutely. Cut my veins and arteries. I bleed Yankee pinstripes. Okay, me too. What about John Casamitides? I know he likes baseball. Is he a Yankee fan? I believe when he was growing up in Harlem and he was playing stickball in the streets right in the shadow of City University, he grew up right there before he went to Brooklyn Tech uh, in Fort Greene. I believe he actually uh, was a Yankee fan, although I stand to be corrected. Okay, well, here's my thought. Uh, I would like to see John Casamitides and Derek Jeter, who's no longer with the Marlins, get together with a few other money people and get the Steinbrenners to sell the Yankees to them. They don't like baseball like their dad did. They're just in it for the business. Something's got to be done with the Yankees. If we could get Casamitidis to buy them, we could get rid of Brian Cashman and Boone, who's a nice guy, but he's not a good manager because he just has to listen to Cashman. Um, Look, they got Show Walter to the Mets now, which I I really wanted us to get him. But we're going nowhere. It's been 12 years now, right, since we won the World Series? You know, I, com- I completely concur with you, Pat. You, uh, you have really figured this out. Here's Brian Cashman, uh, who brings nothing to the plate each year, does not bring another world championship. We're always a dollar short and a day late. And yet he keeps getting signed up again and again and again. It makes no sense. You know George Steinbrenner wouldn't have had anything to do uh, with his inability to bring a world championship to the Bronx. Oh, no. He would have been gone pronto. In fact, let me remind you, there was a summit that then uh, George Steinbrenner had with his brand new general manager, Brian Cashman. And they were looking at Poppy, who was playing uh, first base for the Minnesota Twins at that time. A lot of people don't know that David uh, Ortiz was the first baseman for the Minnesota Twins. He was a free agent. Steinbrenner badly wanted David Ortiz because he said to Brian Cashman, he said, look at that that short porch in right field. David Ortiz, left-handed hitter, uh, would have hit uh, so many more home runs in Yankee Stadium than he obviously was hitting in uh, – Minnesota, Minneapolis, uh, or uh, what he would do eventually with the Red Sox. I mean, it's the short porch. And you know what Brian Cashman told him, Pat? What? That David Ortiz will be lucky if he wasn't sent down to the minor leagues within a year. 
Well, all I can tell you is something's got to be done because the Yankees are not what the Yankees were. I mean, I've been a fan since I was a toddler in the crib hearing uh, the radio with Joe DiMaggio playing um, and all this analytical nonsense. you got to go back to managing from your gut. Not only that, but the fundamentals of baseball – the Yankees were always pretty good at, at it. They, I mean, they had power hitters. Uh, they would always uh, exploit the middle of their lineup where they would expect, uh, you know, a double, a triple, or a home run to drive in a few RBIs. But they knew how to bunt. I mean, remember, Bobby Richardson was a great bunter. Uh, you had other uh, New York Yankees who would hit to the opposite field in order to bring the runner over so they would sacrifice their own uh, uh, their own time at bat in order to get that runner over to third base so maybe a sacrifice fly would bring them in. You, you notice when they put the shift on, Pat, they put the shift on, none of the Yankee hitters will go the other way. All they have to do is lay down a bunt and walk to first base. Maybe one or two can, but most of them don't know how to bunt. Yeah, you would think the fundamentals would be taught at their massive facility in Tampa. Uh, It is a a spring training facility like no other team in Major League Baseball has. And you would think instead of just trying always to pull the ball, hit the ball out of the park, they would stress the fundamentals of hit and run, hitting the other way to get the – uh, to get the, the guy on second base over the third so a sacrifice uh, fly can bring him in. And they, they don't even focus on those uh, normal procedures that were part of baseball when I was growing up. Yeah. No, they just want to get out there and hit a home run. And do you remember what Brian Cashman did to Jeter when his last year was coming up? Do you remember what he said to him? No, I remember he was giving uh, him a very difficult time. It was very contentious. There was a, a lot of acrimony there. Absolutely. And I remember he said to him, well, see if you can get another team to hire you for a year at this money. He, he was going to let him go. I can't stand that man. You're not alone. I can't stand him either. In fact, uh, every year, if you notice, he scales down that building, I think in Connecticut. I think it's in Stamford. You know, he does it for some charity. He repels down a building. And then I notice that every time he does that, then he ends up mucking things up, mucking things up within the Yankee lineup. Uh, we got to get rid of him, Pat. I think maybe we uh, may have to begin a drive, a petition drive, to impress upon the Steinbrenner family that is n- enough is enough. But you're right. If we can put together a confab, because that's how George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees from CBS and Michael Burke. He didn't buy it by himself. He bought a whole confab of investors from Cleveland. And they were able to purchase the Yankees, save the Yankees from CBS. Michael Burke was destroying him. And you know the rest of the history. Yeah. Well, this is what I say. If we could get John Casamitidis to do it, get together with Jeter and a few others and get them to sell because they don't care. The Steinbrenners there don't care about baseball. They're just in it for the money and the business. You know, they inherited it. Let's face it. Look, uh, John Katsimatidis now has the Staten Island Ferry Hawks that will be playing uh, in March. Uh, The millionaire baseball players are at odds with the billionaire owners. So we may not have Major League Baseball 
for quite some time. And yet we he saved the team. What used to be the Staten Island Yankees is now an independent franchise owned by John Katsimatidis. And uh, I know I'll be at opening day. Uh, Pat, you should plan on being at opening day also, especially if uh, Major League Baseball is not back on track. Oh, if I could get one of my sons to bring me, I'd love to. But you got to work on your Boston to try and get the Yankees sold. To no, them. no, I, I will. I will. You, you've you uh, motivated me in that process because you're right. We'll never win a World Series as long as Brian Cashman is the general manager of the greatest franchise in all of sports history, our beloved New York Yankees. Cut our veins and arteries, we bleed Yankee pinstripes. But Cashman does everything to prevent us from winning another World Series. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Yes, you do. When I think of all the things I used to do. Ah, uh, you know Mama Luke. Mama used to clean somebody else's house. Oh, Mama Luke. Buy me a new or a Mashad. What a great song. The Philadelphia sound. Everybody loves their Mama. And oftentimes, uh, I've discussed with uh, mothers, uh, especially their sons or their daughters, who are incorrigible, uh, enemies of society. Uh, they just uh, have never been told no. No parent has ever stood up to them and uh, at times use corporal punishment. There are some others who will tell you, I can never hit my son. I can never hit my daughter under any circumstance. And I believe them. And there is a train of thought out there that you can manage a child, you can actually direct them into good behavior out of bad behavior without ever having to use corporal punishment. But there's the other train of thought, I call it the old school train of thought, is is that at times a young person is going to be rebellious. It's part of their growth cycle. And that they have to be taught if necessary, through pain compliance, that there's the right way and then there's the wrong way. And uh, many a father has hit a child so hard that the mother has felt the vibrations. Uh, I know that happened with me on two occasions. I'll get to that momentarily. But I thought the other day, it was an excellent discussion that our own Greg Kelly had about corporal punishment and especially the role that a father plays. Uh, in administering discipline. It is uh, one of the reasons that I believe that so many uh, young people have uh, gone in the wrong direction and made the wrong choices, simply because as a parent, some of the fathers have shied away from being the disciplinarian, the sergeant of arms, the enforcer, so to speak, in the house. Listen to the... uh, The difference, 
as Greg Kelly explains it, between the way his father, the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York City, Ray Kelly, would deal with discipline in their household in Garden City. And he used as an example from the podcast that Bo Deedle does here. You can get his podcast on WABCradio.com. That's WABCradio.com. The discipline that was met out to Bo Deedle. Listen to how Greg Kelly describes it. Did anybody hear that Bo Deedle commercial? I just heard a Bo Deedle podcast commercial. Listen to his podcast. It should be very entertaining. But he just told a pretty brutal graphic story about getting beat up by his father back in the day. He was whipping him for a half hour underneath the bathtub. Is Bo Deedle's dad still alive? I just... I, somebody else told me about that uh I was in the middle of an interview. Yeah, you know, I used to spank spank my kids. I still spank my... I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, I know. People do that. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, how do we feel about corporal punishment? I am going to learn myself. A month old, I can't imagine. I can't dream of spanking either one of them. But perhaps... How do you, how do you get their attention? How do you, you know... How do you correct... How do you take corrective action? How do you do that? I, there's got to be a book on this. I'm sure there are plenty, and I'm sure they're very confusing and updated and woke. I don't know. I don't know. I was really never spanked. I was got a stern talking to. Very that 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 did the trick. That did the trick. Whew. Stern talking to, no yelling. A stern, stern talking to. You can imagine Ray Kelly giving you a stern talking to. It happened. I just said that was very corrective. No spanking. I think I would have preferred a spanking. It worked. It worked. And I was wrong as hell. I He only got involved when I really somehow, you know, drove my mother crazy. When it was too much and then when she let him know something I did, then I was in serious, serious trouble. So you heard Greg Kelly that you can hear every Monday through Friday as he has gotten better and better and better ever since he replaced me for two hours when I went off to run for the mayoralty of the city of New York in March of 2021. Extraordinarily better each and every time I listen to him. I uh, basically purloined that section of his discussion about corporal punishment Because even in the midst of discussing the juxtaposition, the difference between uh, how Bo Deedle was describing how he was treated on one occasion by his father versus how Ray Kelly would take a different approach to dealing with his son's uh, indiscretions, Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly asked the question that I ask all of you. I don't know. How do we feel about corporal punishment? Very difficult to do that. Individuals have gotten into major trouble from child welfare uh, in uh, New York or DIFUS in New Jersey and been accused of being abusive uh, to their children or their stepchildren. Uh, let's open up the phone lines on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tom, who's calling from Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Yes, hello, Tom. Let's flip the script on Tom. Let's go to Rick in Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Good morning, Curtis. Uh, I got a name for your rebranding of your show that you were thinking about. Yes. How about The Edge of Midnight with the Hawk of New York, Curtis Lewa? 
Wow. Now, let me write this down. Uh, hold on a second. So we're rebranding, renaming my portion of the other side of midnight to weekend edition. Uh, to uh, uh, say that again, uh, Rick. The, the edge of midnight mm. with the hawk of New York. Wow. We were. Yeah, boy. And then you have then you have the squeal of a hawk. You know? Yeah, that's right. The hawk is talking with the hawk of New York. Wow, that is so good. You realize uh, that we would have to pay consultants or people who put together packaging, uh, how they sort of re-image uh, a station, re-image programming. We'd have to pay you like uh, tens of thousands of dollars for that. Well, just a thank you as well enough, you know. Oh, no, you uh, you get more than a thank you. Uh, in fact, Camilla. Uh, please uh, take Rick's information, uh, and we want to expedite to to Rick and to be earlier uh, with our tremendous patience, uh, sending out the uh, fabulous uh, WABC cap with my name on it, the Guardian Angels name on it. Unlike uh, another show that's heard at the same time, but during the week, that's uh, boy, you'll be waiting a month of Sundays to get your cap. You know, it's real snail mail. You'd imagine you could be living across the street from our studios here in Midtown Manhattan. And if it was up to the Murano show, you'd probably get your, your cap if you ever got it about two months later. That's not happening here. Uh, so please, Camilla, please get uh, Rick's information. That was really a good idea of rebranding my portion of the other side of Midnight, no longer referring to it as such, because obviously that is the, uh, the turf of Frank Morano, call it the edge of midnight with the hawk who is talking and then the loud call of the hawk. I like that. I like that. You see, this is the ingenious nature of what comes from talk radio. Frank Morano has often said, nothing comes from trivia. It doesn't lead to further discussion. It sure does. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mike in Yonkers. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mikey. Curtis, good morning, man. Um, yeah, my buddy there, uh, Berkowitz, uh, he um, he definitely had a, a system going, him and the two brothers, because uh, I had friends that lived up here in Yonkers. I, I went to Columbus High School with him at the same year, and um, he used to hang out under my park, and they used to torture they used to torture little animals and stuff. And uh, the three of them were, uh, they were all on peyote. They were, they were really whacked out. They were, there was people, I knew people that knew the brothers. And uh, that's why those pictures, that's why those drawings, you know, when, when they came up with the rendition, uh, you know, artist rendition of what a guy looked like, <laughs> they, were, they couldn't have been any more different than the, it was unbelievable. There was no comparison. So that's why those faces were all different. Uh, that being said, the night of the, I think it was the second to last shooting, the last shooting being Stacy Moskowitz, uh, the second to last shooting was on the Hutch. I was in Orchard Beach Park about, now, you know, I'm, seven, I'm going back, I'm 67, same age as you. So I'm in Orchard Beach Park a lot with my girl. And, uh, you know, it's nice back there. It's nice and dark and there was there was a there was a character walking around breaking twigs and stuff as he was walking. He was going he was going from Cardinal. We could see him. He also killed. He didn't wait for the full moon. There was no moon when he was killing people. It was dark, and uh, I could tell you how he how he aims his gun, but I'd rather not say it on open airwaves. I'd rather I'll just tell you privately. 
Well, I'll tell the girl, because he, he had no laser pointer. How is he shooting these people dead shots in the head? How is he doing that with, 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 with no laser pointer? So he, he had a system He had a system going. So the night of the people that got killed on the uh, one, the girl got killed and the boyfriend got blinded on the hutch, he was only a few hundred yards away at the Orchard Beach parking lot. You could just cross straight through. So I took. I said to my girlfriend, let's get the hell out of here, because we were nervous. It was stupid. You know, he's parking in a Camaro, you know, hot night in the summer. And we took off the next morning. The, he, he killed on the hutch, you know. And then the last one was Moskowitz. Moskowitz was, uh, the mother was brave. The mother said, print that picture. That's why Stacey Moskowitz, you didn't realize how bad it was until until they 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 showed the picture of Stacey Moskowitz with her face blown off. That's when the city realized, oh, my God, you know, there's a, there's a monster out here. I remember that. And by the way, Mike, uh, did you actually know David Berkowitz? No, my friend Eric was good friends with him. My friend Eric was in another club. We were in different. We were in, uh, I'm in Columbus. We were both in Columbus. I got a, my, Eric's got a picture of him in the um in the gym class, you know, like 40 guys all hanging out in Berkowitz, and Eric was like two people away from him. Now, this was uh, Columbus High School on Pelham Parkway in the Bronx. Yeah, 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 right by, not far from St. Lucy's Church, by, by the Scalazanta, you know, right down the block. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, this is, this is incredibly important. Uh, do you believe, Mike, that, that, uh, the 44 caliber killer David Berkowitz was not alone when he would stalk his potential victims. It was impossible to be alone. It was, oh, oh, as far as he was stalking, yeah, uh, they, they they did like a they did like a round robin. They were they were they were three guys that was totally smokers, totally cracked out of their heads, and under my park, there's, 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 that's why that's why the Yonkers police were so embarrassed. These guys were hanging out. And if you ever been to Untermeyer's Park, I mean, you could see all the Satanistic, you know, the, heat, the hedonism, you know, drawings on the walls. You know, these guys were into devil worship and everything else. They were, you know, Charlie Manson style. Charlie Manson style. These guys had a, had a cult going. It was a three-man cult. So when Berkowitz got caught because of that parking ticket, he just, you know, he went mum's the word. He didn't, he didn't do what you always say, which is uh, uh, the snitches get stitches. And the pictures, he just, he just, you know, he actually had, when you, if you remember the pictures of him when they took him away, he had a smirk on his face like he was proud. Like, hey, you know, look at me. Because the guy was, you know, useless. So, you know, that, that's why, that's why when, when Moskowitz got shot, the mother said to the, to the papers, I want you to print my baby's face. Mm. Like that, I never forget it, man. Then we saw that picture of the papers, and I almost threw up. Mm. Mm. You know. Because everything is sterile, everything is antiseptic. You don't, you don't really realize a forty-four caliber bullet. It, it's like pushing a, it's like pushing a, you know, a, a bolt through your head. You know, and and the way he was aiming, the way he was aiming with such accuracy, what he used on the gun, was one of the most simplistic ways you could you could you could imagine. But I don't want to say it on the radio. I'd rather mm-hmm. tell tell it to because it was like I said, there was no, there was no. Well, laser pointers. He was picking them up. He wasn't like shooting sixteen shots into the car. You know, two, three shots. And uh, at that point, uh, had you heard of any erratic behavior in the area where he was residing? 
Not really. My, you know, the, the, these guys were these guys were stoners, man. They were stoners with the, you know with a severe severe mental handicap. You know, they 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 weren't out there flashing things. As I said, they were. They, if you go to Antemaya Park, there's still stuff down there today. You know, they cleaned it up, but Antemaya Park was notorious back in the seventies. You know, no, no, no. I, I know exactly where that is. In fact, the last time I was up there. They had a problem where uh, Coyote was loose, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Coyotes are all over the place. Bronxville, they run through. They run because I'm right on the border of Bronxville and Yonkers, and the, they run around. You're driving by Lawrence Hospital, and you see a coyote dart across the street, and then you see the deers. You know, you know, the, they're, they're, you know they're, there's deers all over the place over here at night. You drive in your car, you're going up the hill, and especially when it's foggy, it's really weird. But when like a fog rolls in. There's two, three deers grazing on, you know, right on the side of the dam. You know, there's nothing to eat. Just, you know, that's what they eat. Now, you know, according, uh, according, Mike, to David Berkowitz, uh, the 44 caliber killer, he, uh, in essence, claimed that the dog, who we now know was named Harvey, was giving him uh, improper information, was uh, actually goading him on to commit these uh, atrocities. You know, see out of his mind. You know, when when you, when you hallucinate him, a lot of stuff happens. <laughs> you know, hallucinate him, Curtis. You hallucinate Period. I oftentimes hallucinate in the middle of the program, but not because I've dropped any acid or any chemical substances. It's old injuries that resurface, and I start to believe it or not, Mike. I start to hallucinate. Yeah. Well, sixty-seven. Uh, you know. Or, 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 our bodies are breaking down. I got to go for hip surgery eventually, so I can walk again. And uh, you know, the body has a wonderful, uh, a wonderful instrument. It gives you a certain amount of time. And then, like you said, you might you might eat something during the day that's totally harmless to you, and you know it'll end up uh, it'll end up you, you know you'll have an allergic reaction to it. And you could be going to you know you going to you zone out. You, you know. Going to space. Did you, did you have COVID this year? Did you have COVID? No, no. I should have been uh, the first person that got COVID uh, when the lockdown and pandemic came in March of 2020. Uh, I was out there along with the Guardian Angels in Penn Station. We had no masks, no gloves, no PPP, and we were taking care of the emotionally disturbed and the homeless, some of whom did have uh, COVID. Uh, it must be my blood type. I, that's the only explanation I could give, Mike, other than my regimen, which is each day to uh, take uh, the tips of my uh, pinkies, uh, put it in rubbing alcohol, and put it up my nostrils and rub it around. Uh, I believe that may have deterred or may have killed any potential germs that were floating around. But luckily, I, I never had COVID. My, my, my grandmother... Came from the old school, right? She was born 1880, 1888, came over from Italy. And they had some, you know, they have those cures of stuff that you couldn't believe. Uh, one time I had a fever. I was about 22. And I had a fever that it was ass-kicking. I was 103. And I was hallucinated. And took this drug, that drug. And my grandmother said, take an onion. Take a red onion and slice it up thin. And put it on your feet and put socks over it. I swear to God. Eight hours later, my fever broke. Now, coincidence? Maybe. Mm. She, she, 
onion drawers the poison out of your body, man. Yeah, yeah. So many, there's so many things that you got to know that from from your grandparents. Come on, man. They know all this. They know all the old tricks. There was no such thing as, uh, you know, uh, me, me, you know, the med- medical buildings in those days in Italy. You got to depend on what you know. No, yeah, in fact, uh, the only thing we had was the regimen. Uh, you wake up, cod liver oil, which you hated to take. Uh, if you had any kind of sniffles or uh, flu, it was uh, chicken soup. Uh, that was a liquid penicillin. And then if it was anything more extreme or potentially more dangerous to yourself, uh, it was almost like uh, you had a council in your family that would make the determination if that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Now people pretty much make those determinations on their own. Yeah. Yeah, well, like the old days with the old with the old ladies who used to come over, and they used to they used to examine the, uh, <laughs> the, the the young virgins in the family, make sure they were still virgins. That was a council, you know. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> That's right. And oh boy, the young ladies that was their their terror zone because if they were found to have been violated. Oh, God, they wanted to make sure that their brothers didn't find out about that, that their uh, father didn't find out about that, the grandfather or the uncles, because they might all of a sudden want to take law into their own hands and met out justice to that young man. Yeah, keep in mind now, when they came over from Italy and did that here, and even Italy, they were doing that. But my grand, my mother, my grand, my mother's mother became a mother by the age of 15. If you weren't a mother by the age of 15, you were considered an old lady. You understand? My grandmother had five children. She had 15, at the age of 15, and she went on and on, and she lost all of them. Every one of them died before her, except for my mother. Mm. Her two-year-old son was killed on Arthur Avenue by a truck, garbage truck. Yeah. This is this is the way, you know, people say, oh, we got it so bad today. Yeah, you don't know what bad is. My Aunt Ray died of kidney failure. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. She, she lived to 90 and everybody else lived in their 60s. Her son, Frank, uh, kidney fit, bad kidneys, bad kidneys. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's uh, definitely old school, no doubt about it. Uh, but do appreciate your input, Mike. Yeah, man. You know, it's just uh, the reason why I asked you if you had COVID, because you're saying you hallucinate, is because I listened to Mikolos, you know, uh, Cassie Matisse is doctor there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's been talking about brain fog now for the last 18 months, you know, from COVID. So even though you may not have had COVID as such, there's still a possibility that that's another issue. But Well, you know. well there's no doubt uh, that I believe that I have suffered from bouts of brain fog. The only difference is, Mike, that I was experiencing brain fog long before the lockdown and the pandemic of March of 2020, just from getting hit over the years with pipes, sticks, bats. From time to time, if I move my head in a certain direction, I would immediately get brain fog. I would be stung out. I would forget what my train of thought was, and then all of a sudden I would turn to the left, and I'd be right back on track. A lot of wooden shampoos in your day, man. So, yeah, yeah. So wooden shampoos, concrete facials, and attitudinal readjustments. Yeah, so you're lucky to be uh, that you can make three sentences. You know, you know, look what happened to Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, the guy was, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and then talk like a, you know, talk like a drunk because 
all those little jabs and punches. Now, that's true. Uh, I certainly have benefited uh, from uh, top-flight medical care, uh, but also interventions myself uh, as uh, we will be uh, doing an intervention. Oh, no doubt for Frank Morano. We have to. We really do. The uh, You've had enough uh, info uh, on him. Uh, Mike, you've been able to do a basic observation, haven't you? Yeah, not you know, in general. It doesn't seem like you can make it in the, in the DJ world or the, in your world unless you've been a drug addict, been arrested 67 times. It doesn't. It seems to be part and parcel to becoming more and more popular. I mean, look at Bernie and Sid. I mean, they, they, they fess up. Who was on who was on crack? Who was on heroin? Sid was a disaster. So so maybe Frank is looking up just like John Candy. John Candy was you know he killed himself with food, and and the other guy that came along there, Jeff Farley, there he went and killed himself with food. It's just it, it's it's that I don't know, man. It's something in the psyche that says you know he's in excess. Frank's in he's in, he's in excess. If he's smoking something, he's got to smoke 20 of them. If he's drinking something, he's got to have 13 drinks. You remember the story when his wife sent him out to go get the, what's it called, test? Yep. And he's sitting in a bar. (laughs) He's sitting in a bar waiting for the wine to move. Well, I'm I'm telling you, uh, I will certainly, I will certainly bring it to uh, John Katsimatidis' uh, attention, owner and operator of Red Apple Media, parent company to WABC, good friend of Dr. Mikolos, who's a regular guest on his uh, roundtable discussion uh, about that whole subject of brain fog and what is triggering it. Yeah, Mikolos is great. I I look forward to listening to that show just to hear Mikolos. And and, and do me a favor. Tell John, Mr. Casamitidis, nice guy, okay, he's got a lot of money, he's fun. Tell him when he gets a guest on, like Mikolos or somebody else, and they're making a statement. And it's your program. It's your building. You can do whatever you want. You can sit there naked in your underwear. It doesn't matter. But please, let them finish their train of thought. He always, I mean, it's, it's, it gets, I actually threw my radio down the other day because there was somebody talking. I forget who it was. And he was just about to finish probably another six words. And John made a, you know, it's annoying. It's almost like CB radios years ago. I was a CB, you know, I had a CB radio in my Camaro, I had it in all my cars. And when you get on the CB radio, you're supposed to have a little courtesy. So when I listen to the 5 o'clock show, sometimes those guys talk over each other, it gets crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's like you got to try to filter out who's talking. Mm. No, no, you're absolutely right. By the way, did you have an IROC Camaro up there in the Yonkers? No, man, I had that. It was in the Bronx. I, my, 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 my Camaro still I still got the 69 Camaro in the Bronx. Mm. I got a... I got a 70 Challenger with a 440 engine down there. You know, they're locked up in the garage. Do you know that the city the city sends me violation notices for having those cars in my garages? Wow, you're kidding. Oh, there's, there's laws on the books for the last 200 years or better that they could fine you for almost anything imaginable. Just like you're talking about what's-his-face there, having the chocolate bars, having the milk duds. Yeah. They, there's a statute for everything, Curtis. There's a statute for everything. Mm. Mm. They could, they, they, could, they send me letters. I guess 
gasoline in the tanks with a baby in your own garage. Not, not even on the street. I mean, not even in the yard. The yard, forget about it. So I had to throw my cars out. I had two or three other cars. I had to get rid of them. Every year, it was a cash cow. They would come, bang, on my door. There's on my door, nice pink and yellow tag. 400 parking, uh, 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 um, non-registered vehicle on the property. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, Mike, uh, uh, boy, I could have straightened a lot of stuff up here with the uh, strangling uh, bureaucracy, uh, autocracy that at times takes place at City Hall in New York City. But he had uh, so much to say, but especially about that brain fog that Dr. Mikolos has made reference to. I think that's something that Frank Morano is suffering from. I think uh, I really need to confront him on that. Doesn't have to be done to the suits, the mockers, the muckety mucks. John Casamitidis, owner operator of uh, Red Apple Media, a parent company, he he needs not know about this. It's something I should be able to do one on one with him to try to get him back on track. Try to get him back on track. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. of my life I'm a lot like you were Oh man look at my life I'm a lot like you were Oh yeah that last caller that was deep I now realize the obligation I have here at WABC Oh man look at my life 24 so much more Live alone in a paradise That makes me think of two Love lost such a cost Give me things that don't get lost Like a coin that won't get tossed Rolling home to you Yeah, I've got I've to take more of the responsibility As the old man here at WABC have to give guidance to those who are wayward, who've lost their way. Maybe I shouldn't be as critical of Frank Morano. He's young. He's bound to make many mistakes. Sid Rosenberg, all full of himself. I, me, instead of us and we. Uh, maybe I'm being too judgmental. But I am the old man here at WABC. I think I'm the oldest broadcaster. I think... Uh, this song, written by Neil Young, might might actually refer to me here. I think I'm the oldest guy here broadcasting at WABC. So maybe it's time for me to understand that I have to I have to give guidance. I have to give direction. I have to mentor. I have to uh, be patient, as an elderly person has to with the young huckleberries of the world who uh, think they know it all. You know, they're pretentious, omnipotent. Obstinate. Oh, obstinate as they are. I'm not going to mention names any longer, but you know who I'm talking about, Frank Morano, said Rosenberg. You you know what I'm talking about. Oh, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Yeah, I got to take a look at it. It is so true. It is so true. 
Well, on that note, now that I've uh, had a attitudinal uh, redirection from our caller from Yonkers, originally from the Bronx, who was able to describe so much of what was going on, and I actually began to understand the wayward path that Frank Morano is going on. Junior, intrepid as he has been out there, neighbor of Frank, out there with Rusty the dog, keeping an eye on him, making sure he doesn't get into double trouble, doesn't end up while he's on his Ambien doing a Tiger Woods, and then destroying this growing, burgeoning radio career here on the other side of midnight at WABC. I I, I think I'm on track now. Let's go to Jeff in uh, Forest Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. I, I, I don't even know what to say now after that last caller. He was, that guy was amazing. Yes, yes, he was. And was, have you noticed, Jeff, when a caller is good, it's their show. You almost don't even hear from me. Yeah, yeah, like you definitely. You, know, you didn't say it, and I was like, should I, should I hang up? Like, what am I going to say? Now, this guy just, but my, my great-grandfather was a day warden in Yonkers. And, uh, you know, my, my mother's side of the family all lived in Yonkers. So I used to get to go up there when I was a little kid. I'm from Long Island, right? So I'm a little kid. I go visit Aunt and Uncle Johnny. They had Muggsy, was a big German shepherd. And they lived right on the avenue. So I remember that, that disco song, Twilight Zone. And I remember the Camaros with the stereos and the chicks with the jeans. And I'm off of Muggsy down the sidewalk going, wow. Wow, there's another side to, this, to life. This kind of, you know, it was pretty wild. When I was a kid, but uh, my 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 aunt Mary, who was one of my favorite aunts, she lived near the she she lived near the Caliber Killer. Mm. He lived like two couple of blocks away. I never saw him. Like I don't know anything about that. Uh, my uncles were all firemen, so there was a firehouse down the block. And I used to go down and see Uncle Larry at the firehouse. And there was a high school. She lived on a dead end near a convent. There was a high school across across the way. But I just remember going up there. It was so cool. I loved going up to Yonkers when I was little. It was just, but it was a cool experience being a little kid from Long Island where really my neighborhood, nothing really went on except, you know, oh. you got on your, your dirt bike and you went in the woods. Yeah, no, no. The, uh, you'd get lost in Yonkers going up those hills, winding as they are, you know, Paul Simon lost in Yonkers. I mean, it's great. It's great. Yes, one quick one. My grandmother used to tell me, since my great-grandfather, he had a team of horses. And she said, well, the way she told the story was, he said, I don't want you sleigh riding because they just lay down, like it's McLean Avenue, the big ones. Oh, sure. And and she said, I don't want you sleigh riding. You know, it's dangerous today. People are going to be running around. So they went anyway. And the way she told the story is they go into an intersection, and here comes my great-grandfather, and he had to halt the horses. Because the kids were coming by in the sled, so mm-hmm. yeah. And that was on uh, that was on McLean Avenue, the other side of Woodlawn. So on the Yonkers side, uh, Woodlawn, which is like uh, it's like uh, Little Dublin, it's all Irish. That's right. Well, that's basically. I had. Let me tell you, I had two cousins that lived in the Yonkers, and they were gorgeous. My grandmother had a, 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 a nephew who had two daughters. Debbie and Con, I don't want to give them away, but yeah, they were absolutely still, they were like amazing. And you know, Irish girls usually have freckles in the, you know, they were, they, these girls were like something out of, out of, wow, they were, 
I'll tell you. Well, Jeff, you that's that's like how it. that's how you knew they'd have that milky white skin. Some of them would have that red hair, the Irish uh, uh, sort of like uh, the fire in their eyes and the fire in their hair. And then they'd have those freckles that would sort of uh, twinkle in the sunlight. Yeah. Yep. It's a, diff- yeah. a different time, a completely different time. But now, uh, did uh, they ever tell you what the responsibilities uh of your great grandfather was as a game warden. Like, what did what did game wardens do back then? I don't. I don't. Under, I didn't really explain it too much, but the Italians down the street <laughs> borrowed the hunting dogs, and so a couple of weeks go by, a month. So my grandfather asked the guy, you know, got the dogs. He's ah, my dogs now, and so my my grandmother was from fifteen. Brothers and sisters. So a couple of the boys went down to get the dogs, and they yeah they had a little fight. So was this uh, they, was this in uh, Yonkers, Jeff? This is in Yonkers. This now now were, one of those hunting dogs were they named? Uh, uh, did they happen to be named Harvey? Could have been. <laughs> yeah, my I grandfather, my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino Bades, couldn't read, couldn't write, but he would go out hunting, and he had his hunting dog right at our house uh, in Canarsie, who was called German. He called his uh, hunting dog German, who would go on point. So whenever they would go in the lots, you know, they'd have pheasants, they'd have other birds uh, that would fly up, and uh, the dog, the hunting dog, would immediately go on point. The point is they have spots and pecks on them. That's what they're called. Yeah, those are great. And then you have the Labrador. One shut, one one points, and the other one, the other one goes in the mud and, and pushes them out. You know, the other one says, "Yo, hey, over here." And then the other one comes in and okay, and he runs in there and he chases them out, and then the guy shoots him. Yeah, you know, you know, sounds like uh, a good dog is that rusty dog uh, who is uh, owned by Junior. You know, who's doing that surveillance of Frank Morano, his neighbor. That boy, that Rusty, sounds like a really uh, trusted, like, Terry. I, in fact, I forgot to ask Junior, what kind of a dog is that that he's always walking in the wee hours of the morning? Yeah, well, look, yeah, I think, you know, what are you doing up? Like, because I, I, I had to take care of the guys up some machinery and stuff. I got you guys basically on all the time. Then I hear you on, and I'm like, because I usually can set the clock. I'm telling you, because I don't really listen to any other news. You know, it's all garbage. They don't give you the real stuff. Yeah, that's true. And I like your shows. And you got some good cohort, even Frankie. And <laughs> so I hear you, though, and I'm like, wait a second. What time is it? You did this a couple of weeks ago. You were on for like two days. And I'm like, wait a second. Wait, was he still on the radio? Was yeah, yeah no, no. I, I actually, at one point. Uh, on a Memorial Day weekend uh, many years ago, I substituted for a whole bunch of hosts at that time. We had on Sean Hannity, the rock-ribbed, all-American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island, Lionel, a number of others. Um, and they were asking me, hey, could you do my shift? Could you do my shift? I want to break out early. I said, yes, 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 yes. And I ended up doing about 32 straight hours before the program director realized that I had never gone home. That I was broadcasting WABC, fulfilling the acronym, always broadcasting Curtis for 32 straight hours, Jeff. I, I believe it. Never, I believe. Ta- never talked about the same thing twice. Never talked about the same thing twice. 
Uh, and that's, that's, you know, well, yeah, how long have you been doing this? Because I remember you at 9BP years ago. That's right, 9 Broadcast Plaza. Uh, if you remember, um, at that time, the fixture there was Richard Bay, uh, who was in the mornings there. He was the fixture there, and I would appear. My wife at that time, Lisa, would appear. Uh, but that uh, gave us a regular forum. No, no, that goes way back. We're talking like, gee, that's in the mid-'80s. And, and one thing I want to bring up is I heard you talking about the Guardian Angels. You started, right? Yes, in 1979. Uh, you guys are in Europe? Yeah, we're in uh, 13 countries, 130 cities. So uh, we're in Italy. Uh, we're in Sweden. Uh, we're in England. We're in the United States, obviously. We're in Mexico. We're in Brazil. We're in the Dominican Republic, Japan, the Philippines, South Africa. Probably left a, a country or two out. Oh, yeah, Spain. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, quite large. There are 5,000 members internationally, and we're in 130 cities now. Are you in the stock exchange? <laughs> Believe it or not, there is a need on Wall Street. Could you believe? I mean, think about that. There's guys that can't do that. So I don't care what you what you you can't sell key tips and do that. I mean, that's amazing. There are a number of hotels. The new Radisson Hotel that they uh, built down in Wall Street is used now to house the homeless. There is another hotel. Uh, the name escapes me. Also, they put homeless people in there. Some of them uh, uh, who have severe emotional uh, issues. Uh, it's called a mica shelter. And uh, there are citizens now who uh, moved into a lot of those empty buildings. You know, they've turned them into condos. Spend, they spent all kinds of money down there. And it's crime central, Jeff. They want guardian angels patrolling down on Wall Street. I, well, you know what? I, why not? It's not a bad You never hear, you know, it's not a bad idea. Well, I, I, tell, you, I, I tell you what, we'll not only uh, patrol to get the street thugs, uh, but all the white-collar criminals, too, the hedge fund monsters, the crypto rip-off artists who have all fled to Puerto Rico so they can take advantage of tax shelters there like they used to have for pharmaceutical products and for oil refineries, the Fortune 500 uh, folks, and the stock exchange folks. Yeah, all the white-collar criminals uh, that are committing crime there. Yeah, we'll be making citizens arrest. Ha! Probably the only arrests that would be tolerated in New York City now because if you commit street crime, there are no arrests. Let's go, if we can, to Frank, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frank. Yeah, Curtis, if you look at Detective James Rothstein, he investigated the Berkowitz. uh... Uh, That's Mr. Dobbs Ferry, you know. Janine Pirro, he needs to know. Janine Pirro is on in just a few hours after Mike Kumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani at 10 o'clock with Dr. Maria. And then it's Janine Pirro from 11 to 12. Why doesn't he ever call her? Why is he so afraid to call her? It's like the kid, you know, uh, you you wanted a snack on a young lady in school, but you were too intimidated because you were so nerdy. You were such a schlub, a schmendrick. You figured, oh, she'd never give me any play. And then all of a sudden, you would do stupid things to get her attention. And she'd say, oh, what a jerk. Let's go to Marty in Baldwin. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marty. Morning, Curtis. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story about Bernard Getz. You remember him, I guess, right? Oh, of course, of course. 
Okay. He, he was sentenced uh, to a year with the gun charge at Rikers. I was uh, assigned to the radio shop at Rikers Island where they placed him as his job. So it's so funny. We were working on some police department radios and equipment, and he had said to my partner, myself, uh, listen, I have the parts at home for this radio. If you guys could drive me home, I'll get the part, which was funny. And we said, Bernie, we can't, we can't take you back to your house to get the part. <laughs> but he was like so naive thinking, you know, he could just leave with us, obviously, and go home and get the part. <laughs> and he was so famous, the inmates never bothered him. But we used to go out for lunch, not him, but the, as the officers, we used to pick up our sandwiches at the Malba Deli in Whitestone. So they knew about Bernie, and they made a special sandwich and gave it to us to bring back to him, which really wasn't the right thing to do. But they were so honored with Bernie Getz that we did that. We brought it back to Bernie. He was so happy. He served his time. Nobody bothered him. It was just an unusual guy, a nerdy guy, very nerdy. But oh, that's, that's oh, my yeah. story. In fact, Marty, uh, he grew up probably reading Popular Mechanics. Uh, I remember visiting him when he had gotten into trouble uh, when he shot Daryl Cabey, uh, James Ramsour, uh, Barry Allen, and I said Daryl Cabey. Oh, I'm missing one there. Uh, it'll come to me momentarily. Uh, and then shot Daryl Cabey one more time in the back, said, uh, you don't look so bad. After they had surrounded him on that number two train, he was actually heading Marty downtown uh, for his normal Saturday meeting, which was down the block from City Hall with all the other nerds and the guys who uh, did electronic fixing of all all these kinds of popular mechanic tools. In fact, Bernard Maguetz would do adjustments on satellites for NYU. That's how sophisticated an engineer he was. And then the other thing, Marty, is I'm surprised he didn't do it when he was in Punk City Protective Custody on Rikers Island. He would uh, collect squirrels. When I visited him in his apartment, he had squirrels from nearby Washington uh, uh, Washington Square Park. Wow, really? Yeah, I, I, I read that. But he, just, he nobody would say a word after he shot those guys. He just turned himself in. I don't, I don't understand it. He would have got away with everything, no problem. But he gave up the gun. And Koch, during those Koch years, you know that, he did that one year. What, one year at Rikers. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Koch uh, vilified him. I'll never forget. Uh, initially, he was off to a rough start with his legal defense. And then Barry Slotnick took it over with Mark Baker. It was a, a great uh, one-two tandem. Uh, they protected him oftentimes from himself. He would oftentimes talk himself into a jail sentence. And then uh, at the time, Morgenthau was the DA, DA for life, and he assigned his top assistant district attorney in charge of a division, uh, Waples was his name. And, boy, what a battle in court it was. Uh, but you could just see as good as Waples was. He was the best that Morgenthau had as a district attorney. He was no match for Barry Slotnick who used every legal trick in the book to convince the jury that you had to give the benefit of the doubt to Bernard Goetz, uh, even to the point of making sure that the jurors who were chosen in the voir dire 
had experienced crime. Now, let's face it, uh, growing up in New York City at that time, most people had had personal experiences with crime. But it was the perfect kind of jury that would find him innocent of all those other charges, but only find him guilty on that singular charge uh, in the possession of an illegal handgun. Now, do you remember who the PC was at, at that time? You're pretty good at this. Uh, I think, according to Ed Koch, who couldn't be more hopelessly wrong on this, it was the greatest police commissioner of all time, Benjamin <gasps> Half in the Bag Ward. Oh, boy. There's another story about that guy, too, when he went to Rikers Island, half-bombed. He used to come in on Sunday. He wanted us to watch his windows to the department vehicle. He was a very strange guy, let me tell you. Yeah, he was the correctional chief for a while. Yeah, yeah, he was a correction. Yeah, he was a correction commissioner. Now, if you remember, there was the Palm Sunday massacre, horrible situation. This guy crawled in through a window next to a uh, Italian bakery in East New York, slit the throats of wives and children. Slit their throats. Horrible murder. It was all related to uh, uh, drugs. It was a drug stash house. Uh, so they're trying to find the police commissioner at that time, Benjamin Ward. Couldn't find him. You know, wasn't the uh, age of cell phones. Couldn't reach him at his home. He was nowhere to be found. He was out with some floozy driving around the beltway outside of going between Washington and the block in Baltimore, which are where all the strip clubs were. Then when he comes back, finally, three days later, he checks in. He said, oh, I had a horrible asthma attack, horrible asthma attack. I was down for the count. Any other mayor would have fired him right on the spot. Fired him. Ed Koch, because uh, Benjamin Ward's complexion was his protection and he wanted an African-American police commissioner, just just ignored what had happened. Ignored what had happened, Marty. That's it. You're right. That's what happens when you're up there. And you know what was interesting? Uh, Bernard uh, Getz lives in the same apartment that he moved into right on 6th Avenue uh, off of 14th Street. Same apartment. He rides the subways. Uh, Some people still look at him and they remember him, especially the boomers. And they're a little intimidated. Some of them run in the other direction. But, you know, the the... The hipsters and millennials, they don't really know him that well. Well, They're not intimidated by him. He's never been in trouble since, other than soliciting uh, from an undercover police officer uh, interest uh, that she might have had in him in Washington Square Park by sharing a joint with her, and he got busted for that. Unbelievable. What a story that guy has. I'm behind him. Oh, yeah. No, no. He uh, was in the forefront of wanting to legalize the recreational use and the medicinal use of marijuana. He would actually uh, uh, participate in the annual hemp march, uh, the annual pot march uh, that would end up going into Washington Square Park. He was a regular fixture of that. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that before. Strange guy. Another strange guy. But. You know, he did what he did, and he, otherwise he wouldn't be here right now, I guess. Yeah, no, no, no. He uh very complex, uh, very uh, intricate, uh, and he's always thinking of so many different things. But he's a part of our history. He continues to live, operate in New York City, never got in trouble since. Think of those guys who preyed upon him as they had preyed on many victims before that with sharpened screwdrivers, oftentimes to play uh, almost like uh, a game of clockwork orange, to intimidate, to sweat somebody down, 
to uh, emotionally scar them. Not always rob them, not always beat them, but you never knew when that trigger would fly off for James Ramsour, Barry Allen, Troy Canty. And I don't understand why I'm forgetting the other guy. We had seen him so many times on the number two train. You know, it's interesting. The street law is you try to rob me, I'm going to get you before you get me, right, in the streets amongst thugs. It's sort of like, oh, you try to take me off, I'll get you first. Mm. <laughs> but but when, well, he, he was the hero of the writing public, of the public that had been victimized until Al Slim Shady Sharpton jumped on board. Remember, that's when he was... Uh, uh, he had the Afro. He had the Martin Luther King gold medallion around his neck. I wonder what porn shop he brought that to. He had the velour jumpsuit. Uh, he uh, looked totally different than he looks now as he's GQ'd down and he's uh, lost so much weight. Uh, but he declared that Bernard Getz was a racist and he made it a issue of color as opposed to an issue of victims versus predators, Marty. Yeah, I know. I don't know if we have time for a quick Stacy Moskowitz story. Sure, go for it. Okay, before I went to corrections, I was an EMS dispatcher for Brooklyn, and unfortunately I was working the night that Stacy Moskowitz got shot at Bay 8th Street at the playground just before the Verrazano Bridge. So we were coordinating with the police department, uh, trying to secure the Bell Parkway where a car was going. Anyway, she was such bad shape. They took her right away to Coney Island Hospital. Coney Island Hospital tried to stabilize her. They couldn't do it, so they had an escort set up to bring in the KCH, Kings County Hospital. But that was some night. Everybody that night was unbelievable between the, the police and the EMS, ambulances. It was a terrible night. I'll never forget that. Yeah, and all the result of one man, the forty four caliber killer, uh, uh, David Berkowitz. He kept our entire city hostage for over a year, taunting the police, taunting the elected officials, doing it through Jimmy Breslin of the Daily News. He would send him letters that the Daily News would publish. And then just as soon as the Daily News would publish a letter from uh, uh, the forty-four caliber killer, David Berkowitz, he would send a letter to the brand-new editor who had been brought over from Australia by... Uh, Rupert Murdoch, who had just purchased uh, the New York Post, uh, Steve Dunleavy, and then they would publish it, and uh, the cops uh, just were were doing rope-a-dope, rope-a-dope. But anyway, appreciate you sharing all those uh, stories, Marty. It's a wealth of information. Thank you. Have a good night, Curtis. And you see, it proves, it disproves once again what Frank Morano has stipulated, that trivia does not lead to further conversation. We have had so many long-term conversations that get stimulating, they get interesting, they go into areas uh, of discussion that talk radio has never ventured into, never ventured into, because you don't give the caller leeway. That's why I much prefer callers who have a wealth of information to share, many of them for the first time, because we make them feel comfortable here at WABC. As opposed to guest after guest, you almost know what the guest is going to say, particularly if they're a professional guest. It's sort of like they're just uh, repeating uh, ad nauseum what they've said. With guests, you never know. It's like pearl diving. It's like verbal pearl diving. And that's why I've established uh, that my shows here on the weekend 
the 20 hours that I do are going to be different than anything else that you hear on this station, WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation, or any form of talk radio, whether in podcast form, old school, new jack form. It is unique, it is different, and it is all dependent on the callers. At times, I'm the host. I just step back and I let you, the listeners, call and tell us stories that regale us and remind us of what a great medium talk radio is. That makes me think of two. 